Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus. This is being broadcast live and recorded live on September 4th, 2020. The time right now, 9.50 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Even though it's the end of summer, many people think when you get to Labor Day weekend that that's pretty much the last weekend of summer, even though the season technically goes until the 21st. But in Los Angeles, a lot of you don't know, but in Los Angeles and all of Southern California, the summer is actually, at least the weather part of the summer that you associate with summer, the hot weather, that actually comes in late August and early September, not in July. So July, while warm, is not really the hot time in Southern California. You always expect this towards the end of the summer. And we're getting that tomorrow. Tomorrow in Southern California it is going to be between 100 and 110 degrees, depending on where you are. And it's going to be that way throughout the weekend, and it will not cool down until Tuesday. Las Vegas, also unusually hot. It's going to be 113 degrees in Las Vegas this weekend. Las Vegas does cool down in September. Not, It's not cool, but it, it's not as hot as July usually. But uh, this heat wave is affecting Las Vegas as well. So that's why I opened with that song. We have a free roll tonight. The free roll is for $71. The money came from two sources. Online Veteran gave another $100. I appreciate that. So we had $150 left to spend for him since uh, 50 left over from last week and 100 more this week. I used 50 of it again, plus $21 from Seabock Cockshot, who's been looking to donate for quite some time, but we were having some issues texting each other. Somehow... I wasn't getting his text. He wasn't getting mine. We seem to have solved that. So I've received $42 from him. I thank him very much for that. So I'm using half of that for this week. So $71 is being used this week on the free roll, which is on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. And the prizes break down as follows. First place gets 20 or th- sorry, $35. First place gets $35. Nice first prize. Second place gets... Uh, $22, and third place gets 14 So it's 35 22 and 14 this week. No bounties. We had the bounties last week. But uh, 35 22 and 14 to add up to a $71 prize pool on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account to register there, and you need to be verified. Please PM Belly Buster. That's Belly Space Buster on the forum to get verified. And if for whatever reason he isn't responding or you have any problems, then just uh, contact me, Dan Space Druff on the forum or the text phone number I'm going to give out shortly, and I will take care of it for you. So that's taking place every week. Every week we have radio, we have a free roll, and I can pay you in a lot of different ways. But unfortunately, this week, there's one way I can't pay you. I cannot pay you by PayPal. I'll explain in a second why that is. But the free roll starts in one minute at 9.55. But don't panic. Don't scramble to the computer and pound the keyboard as quickly as possible because you have another 25 minutes to get in. It's a 9.55 free roll, and late registration runs until 10.20. So you have 25 minutes to get in there with a full stack. And... Usually not a big pool these days, especially with uh, the later and later times we've been starting. It's been hard for people who are on the East Coast or elsewhere in the world to play. 
So you have a decent shot at winning the money, which is not big money, but we're the only poker podcast or radio show which has a weekly free roll. Do you know of any other that actually has a free roll every single week where you can win real money that you get paid in cash? I don't think you do. If you do, you can tell me about one, but I challenge people to tell me about one, and no one ever has because I don't believe one exists. We're the only one in the world that does this, and we have done it for the last eight and a half years which has been the time that we have been on. So it's the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Once again, a separate account from your forum account. Some people are confused by that. They try to log in with a forum account. It doesn't work. And you need to wait to be validated. But you still have 25 minutes left to get in. It just started right now. I have another announcement, which I'll do actually right before I explain the PayPal thing. If you're trying to get into the chat room, the chat room no longer works. I was telling you it was having some difficulty last week. Now it is completely dead. The chat, it's its a third-party tool that I've been using. And honestly, it has problems. It's, it was not well-written. It gets corrupt easily. I have to reset things every so often. So it was on the decline again. Last week I noticed you couldn't log in unless you logged out of this forum and back in. And this week you can't go in at all. This week it just freezes. So don't bother. The chat does not work this week. And I think I'm just going to take it down until I come up with another chat room. So that's uh, one of the pieces of work I have to put into the site uh, in the coming weeks is get a new chat room. I'm also going to fix the radio player further. The radio player does work now for devices that – well, pretty much any device. If you don't have Flash, that's fine now. You can actually now use all the Poker Fraud Alert with no Flash because the chat room's dead and the – Radio player on the radio tab no longer requires Flash to play it. But it does not autoplay, so make sure you press that play button when you go there. And if you can't press the play button, then refresh the screen and you'll be able to. And I'm working on improving that, but at least we have a functional player, as we have for the last few weeks, because the player also wasn't working. A lot of things are breaking down here just because of uh, either getting corrupt or just getting obsolete with current browser technology. So I've got to update these things. And I will let you know as that occurs. So don't bother with the chat room tonight. And as far as PayPal goes, PayPal has banned me multiple times. Never for a good reason. But they they have a bot that patrols PayPal. And if the bot decides you're banned, then you're banned. And it's really frustrating because if you call up, you'll get a rep. You'll get a rep usually in the U.S., And it all sounds very promising, and you explain to them your situation, why you didn't break the rules, and why everything's fine, and then they say, yeah, we agree, we agree, we agree. Go, okay, good. Well, can you restore my account? And they say, no. And you say, well, why no? We don't have the power to do it. And they're serious. They're not just jerking you around or trying to pass the buck. They are not given the authority at the call center for PayPal to restore your account, nor is anyone you can contact given the authority. Now, Matt the Rat pointed out that this happened to him a few years ago, and he actually wrote to the executive office of PayPal, who then restored his account. Then somebody else on the forum named V12CL tried the same thing this past week, and it actually worked. He didn't get a response from them, but then he went on to PayPal and his account was restored. So I said, what the hell, I'll try too. And of course I tried, and of course for me it didn't work. So my PayPal is still dead, so if you win the free roll, at least for the moment I cannot pay you by PayPal. But I can pay you in various other ways. I can pay you by Zelle, by Cash App. I can pay you by a service kind of similar to PayPal that you might know of. I can pay you by Bitcoin, of course. Bitcoin 
crashed a little bit this week, but that's what Bitcoin's been known to do. But the good news is you'll actually get uh, more of it because it went down. So if it goes back up, you'll actually get more than your winnings. Of course, if it keeps crashing, you'll get less than your winnings, but that's the way Bitcoin works. And I can also do a bank transfer to certain banks, not all. used to be able to do it to all banks, but I can still do it to a number of banks. So there's a lot of different ways to get paid. If you do play the free roll regularly, I suggest you get an account with something like Cash App or with something like Zelle. It's free, and it's an easy way to get paid. That's really the best option right now. In fact, if you want Cash App, I can give you a link. You text me with the phone number I'll give you shortly. I can give you a link to sign up, and if you don't have an account there yet, you can get a $5 bonus using my link. I'll get a $5 bonus too. That's what I would suggest at this point. PayPal, it's just, you know how they are. They're, they're very difficult, and they are very stubborn, and they always have been. They have been ever since the beginning, even back in the Elon Musk days. It has always been a crappy company. I've always disliked them. They have banned me. Why was I banned, you may ask? This time I don't know. This time I don't know. In the past I knew why. It was stupid reasons, really stupid reasons. But I knew why. This time I do not know why and I cannot figure it out. I tried to go through my transactions and people's notes they put on. I could not find anything that was indicative of why I got banned. I actually think the most likely reason I was banned was because of my son Benjamin. Yeah. What happened was a few days before I got banned, my son came and told me that he created not one, but two PayPal accounts, and he was very proud of himself. <laughs> this is a nine-year-old. So I asked him, well, why did you create PayPal accounts? And he said, oh, I don't know. I just wanted to. I wanted to see if I could. So I not only made one, I made two, and they both work. I said, well, how do you fund them? He doesn't have a way to fund them. He doesn't understand how the banking system works or anything like that. And he said, oh, I didn't. I just made the account. So I asked, okay, what were your plans with the account? What do you want to do with them? He said, I don't know. I just made it. So I dropped it at that. A little bit weird, but he made two PayPal accounts. Well, a few days later, it was no longer laughing matter because I got banned. And I suspected that maybe since it was from the same IP as my account – that they were thinking I was just creating like a bunch of different accounts and maybe he did something when he created the accounts that was suspicious. I, who knows? He may even put his real birth date down and they would have seen he's a nine-year-old. I didn't, I didn't ask him that. I should ask him how old he said he was there. Maybe that was the killer for me. They didn't say that's why they banned me. It's just like a few days after he made those accounts, I was banned. So anyway, bottom line is I'm gone from PayPal and that's that. So I'll let you know if that changes. But for now, if you play the free roll, I would find another way to get paid. And no, I can't pay you on ACR, and I, I can't really pay you on any poker site right now. So I've given you a number of real-world, real-money options where I can pay you. That's a lot better than poker site money anyway. Uh, if you really want, like if, like there's someone who wins the free roll sometimes who asks me to send Bitcoin on their behalf to like a gambling site where they're depositing because they don't really know how to use it. And I can do that, but only if you happen to catch me at the right time because usually with these deposits to poker sites, you have like 15 minutes to make the Bitcoin deposit. So if I'm around when you ask, then uh, I can do it. I'd prefer not to have to do it this way because it's kind of a pain, but I can do it. But again, 
we'd have to be like texting at the exact time you'd want to put the deposit there. I would suggest you just learn how Bitcoin works and get your own Bitcoin wallet on blockchain.com. It's free. And then I can send you Bitcoin there. That's an easy way I can pay you. Anyway, let's uh, move on here. If you want to call the show, the phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Make sure to show your caller ID when you call, or otherwise you will not get through. I have to be able to use calling, or else I have had the phone system already instructed to reject your call, where it doesn't come through at all. So if you get like a weird busy signal or something, that's what that means. You have to show your caller ID. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's an old 70s rotary phone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is about 30 miles from Las Vegas and is about 30 degrees cooler than Las Vegas. Maybe a little bit more than 30 miles, but it takes about 45 minutes by car, so maybe more than the, depending where you're going, more than 30 miles. But anyway, that rotary phone forwards to me wherever I go. It's in a cabin on top of Mount Charleston. The phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. You can text me anytime, morning, noon, or night, during the show, before the show, after the show, whenever. 775-372-8355, our main number, also serves as our text phone number. Make sure to mention at the beginning of your text if you don't want me to read it on the air, or I might, unless it's obvious, unless it's an ongoing conversation we're having. But if you just text me out of nowhere and don't want it read on the air, then make sure to say that. Otherwise, I might. I will use my own discretion. The call to listen line is a number you can just call up and use to listen to the show. Some people think it's antiquated. Some people think it's pointless. Some people think it's stupid. But others love it. That's why we've had more than one million minutes listened to on the call to listen line in its lifetime which is now almost five years old. It was invented in November of 2015. The call to listen line has gone through a few different phone numbers. It's gone through a few different locations, but nonetheless, it exists. And in fact, it has two phone numbers. 605-313-0736, 605-313-0736. We also have 641-741-1095. If you forget any of these numbers, just go to the radio tab on Poker Fraud Alert, and they will all be listed there for you. Every number I've given out will be listed there for you. The call to listen line, remember, it does not require a smartphone. It does not require a data plan. It does not require a computer or the Internet. No, 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 no. It requires any phone ever made that can dial. That's all you need is a phone that can dial and complete a call to a United States phone number. And it is one cent a minute for those with T-Mobile. Not my choice. They decided that. But everybody else, provided you can call within the U.S. for free, it is free. And you can spend as long as you like on there. You can go to sleep with it running. I don't care because I don't pay by the minute. Though if you're paying one cent a minute to T-Mobile, you probably don't want to fall asleep on there. It could be an expensive sleep. Okay. I'm going to try to find Trader Ruski. Then we'll do the agenda. What's happening, Drop? Trader Ruski, can you get into the chat room? Someone texted me that they can get into the chat room, but I can't and Matt the Rat can't, so I assume nobody could. But maybe oh, let, let me try maybe right some now. people can. I I cannot get in there. Even my own chat room shuts me out. Okay, somebody just leave me in the tournament to give me one Uh-oh. set. 
Trader Ruski never misses the tournament. He makes sure to get in there. He makes sure to stay awake until the tournament's over at the very least. I, I need louder clicking so it wakes me up, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, let me know about that chat. Let me go. Let me go with the agenda. Okay. Here. Sorry. I'll check in the sec. I'll check in. Okay. No. No problem. No problem. I, I know this is like last minute troubleshooting. I mean, I, even if it does work for you, I can't have it where like for a lot of people it doesn't work. I think I may have to just take it down uh, after the show. But anyway, here is the agenda tonight. Top story is that Mike Sexton has cancer. He has prostate cancer and he is in hospice care. And has little time left, to be honest. Uh, some people are saying, get well, Mike, uh, hope you beat this. No, it's past that. It's unfortunately past that. I wish I wish Mike Sexton had a one time in in here where there's a chance. But when you're in hospice, you're past that. So Mike Sexton is just, uh, they're trying to leave him comfortable. And uh, his days on this earth are not that numerous from this point, And that's sad. So... We'll talk about that, and I will tell you about a personal story I had with Mike Sexton. I have shared it before on the show, but obviously this is the right time to share it again. And I'll give you my general impression of him and and how I feel he has impacted poker. Very big figure in poker and sad story. Vital Vegas. By the way, Trader Risky is kind of loud in the background here. You get uh, maybe mute until you... Uh... My bad. My bad. Uh, okay. So Vital Vegas on Twitter, they are best known for just tweeting things about Vegas, especially downtown Vegas and a lot of rumors about Vegas. They have done some questionable things in recent times. In March, they were encouraging everyone to just ignore the coronavirus, ignore the hysteria and, quote, live a little. This is when everybody knew the coronavirus was getting pretty bad. This was not like in January. They also persistently put out rumors about Sahara and its supposed pending closure that was to happen on September 1st of this year. And Sahara insisted it wasn't true, and they were in a battle back and forth. Well, two things. Two things involving Vital Vegas I'm going to talk about this week. First of all, Vital Vegas has blocked me on Twitter this week. And for a very stupid reason. And then second, and more interesting... Vital Vegas, and this isn't being reported anywhere but Poker Fraud Alert, Vital Vegas is being sued by the Sahara. So we're going to talk about this. In fact, my blocking from their Twitter is what led me to find out that they were being sued because uh, I was discussing the matter privately about my blocking. What's their problem? And then I was told what's going on. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'm going to report it then. So that's going to, I'm going to be doing this. And by the way, I would report this whether or not they blocked me. This isn't because I'm bitter that they blocked me. I think it was stupid, but I'm not bitter. This is newsworthy, of course. So we're going to discuss the Sahara lawsuit against Vital Vegas, which is actually kind of an interesting story. Remember Christopher Mitchell, the Baccarat coaching scammer? We had two episodes with long segments about him. Well, this is not going to be a long segment. However... Christopher Mitchell is claiming that he is getting out of the gambling coaching business and that his gambling coaching is over forever. Now, I realize that he never tells the truth, so it's very hard to believe that this is true. And we'll discuss that. But if it is true, then what's next for him? 
So I told you I won't mention anything about Christopher Mitchell on this show unless something big happens. I would say this is pretty big. He claims he's quitting the whole thing that we've been criticizing all this time. So I'll play you his video where he says he's quitting, and then I'll play another funny video, a part of a funny video he released today. Mike Timex McDonald made a $250,000 free throw prop bet, and that is complete. And, of course, as often happens in the poker world, controversy occurred. I know you're shocked. So I'll tell you what happened with that bet and what the controversy was about and who else was involved with this bet. Brian Piccioli, I think that's how you say his name, he finished sixth at the 2017 main event. Well, he is the chip leader at the moment of the 2020 online GG Poker WSOP main event with almost $4 million up top. But the most notable thing about this, the only reason I'm talking about Brian Piccioli on this show, otherwise I would not be giving this report in the middle of the main event, the reason I'm giving this report is that Brian Piccioli's name on GG Poker is Somebody Suck Me. (laughs) Come on. Talk about a poor vetting of screen names. This this is why they've got to be careful with the screen names, because when they have – very publicized events like the World Series of Poker and the chip leader is named Somebody Suck Me, that makes them look pretty bad. So that's what's going on. Somebody Suck Me is winning the World Series of Poker at the moment. Or leading it. Not winning it, but he's leading it with like 38 people left. Daniel Negranu made a bizarre tweet. I know he makes a lot of bizarre tweets, but he made a bizarre tweet today about dating advice. You may say... What advice can he give at this point, given that he's not dating? He's married now, and he's been with Amanda for a few years now. So what dating advice could he give? Well, it'll seem even stranger when I read you a further conversation that sprung from it between him and Melissa Burr. Very strange behavior in recent months from Negranu. I don't understand a lot of what he's saying and doing. I have an update on the PFA exclusive story from last week about that Cosmopolitan player who bounced a $1.5 million check. Matt the Rat was nice enough to get more information. So we're going to give you that here. We've got some more stuff to tell you about that, which has not been reported anywhere but Poker Fraud Alert. Dan Bilzerian is back in the news. He's accused of wrongdoing by a YouTuber who's been... uh, closely following his legalized pot company called Ignite. So we're going to talk about what he is being accused of. In fact, I'm going to play you some of the videos. There's three videos of like 11 minutes each. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but you'll get the idea of what's going on with Ignite. And I'll tell you, in my opinion, how I feel about what the guy in the video is accusing him of. By the way, the guy doing these videos is not a poker player. This is just someone who makes uh, videos about different frauds and stuff. Kind of of similar to this show in a way, but it's not about poker or gambling. just happens to involve Dan Bilzerian because he's known in various circles, not just in the poker and gambling world. ACR trade scammer Brian Wojtek, the one who's definitely the most prolific money trade scammer these days, uh, like he's dwarfing everybody else, a money trade scammer involving poker is somebody who offers to trade you money, like money on a site for PayPal or Cash App or Bitcoin or whatever, and then you send them the money and they never send you the ACR. 
So that's what Brian Wojtek's entire scam is. But he's now undertaking a new tactic to trick people into trusting his various fake identities that he uses to perpetrate these scams. He knows his name is Mud, so now he's using a new tactic to have you not suspect it's him. Actually, one's pretty clever, so I'm going to tell you about it. I only have one element of coronavirus news this week, but it is a big piece of news, and it's not getting that much reporting yet. There's very little about it out there. If you Google it, you'll find it. It's not an exclusive from the site, but... I would think this is the biggest coronavirus news that we've had in a long time, and yet nobody seems interested in talking about it. So I'm going to talk about it. It has to do with a supercomputer that was used to analyze a lot of different data that came from verified positive coronavirus patients. And it may have yielded a breakthrough in understanding what COVID-19 does to the body. And you may say, well, I thought we understood that. And my answer is, no, we don't. We know what happens, but we don't know why it happens. There's a lot of weird symptoms that come with COVID-19 that when asked to explain why are these things happening, even the very best scientists cannot explain. And this supercomputer may have found the answer, which might lead to some treatments that could be very effective. Because if you know what's happening, then you can treat it. If you don't know why the hell something's happening, then you can't treat it. In fact, That is a big element to solving any kind of problem with a disease. Forget the vaccine part. I'm talking about the as far as treatments to stop a disease from harming you. You have to understand what the disease is doing first in order to make a good treatment for it. Otherwise, you're just throwing things at the wall and hoping that something sticks. Now, it looks like we may actually know. And I will explain when we get to that segment. And then I'll tell you how to find it online if you'd like to read about it. Canadian card counter Kevin Barton is a suspect in the disappearance of his female card counting partner. These are both older people, by the way. Uh, Kevin Barton is 60, and the female who disappeared and is now assumed dead was 69. It's not uh, young people going around to casinos and card counting. These are two older people, and one is is suspected of killing the other so we're going to discuss that as our final topic of the night and i just want to mention something i forgot to mention in our intro you can listen to the show in archive format in various ways you can find it on itunes you can find it on stitcher you can find it on google play you can find it on the TuneIn app the TuneIn app has both the live program and the archived version you can see two entries of it over there. We are on iHeartMedia now. We're on Spotify now. And we're on the little-known Bullhorn app. You can also play or download the MP3 file of the show directly from the Poker Fraud Alert server. Just go to the forum called Radio Archives, and it's right there. In fact, most devices, if you click on the MP3, it just plays without any kind of external player. So that's one easy way to listen to the show. In fact, when I go back and listen to the show, often I will use that method. So a lot of different ways to listen. If you want another way to listen that is not difficult and not costly for me, you can text me 775-372-8355 and I'll look into it. Like I had people asking me for Spotify and iHeartMedia. I said, okay, here you go. And I slapped them up there. iHeartMedia had a lot of trouble getting us up there. They could not figure it out. They have monkeys working their tech support department, but they finally figured it out after like two months. So... It now works, and in fact, 
I will give them credit. Now that it works, it's one of the first sites to pick up our show in the archives once I post it. Some sites are faster than others. I notice Stitcher's usually pretty slow. But they all get it within a few hours, typically. All right. So let's get going. I want to talk about Mike Sexton and the bad news about him. Before I get to what's happening with Mike Sexton, I want to give you a little background. This guy goes way back in poker. He's 73 years old. He is someone who not only had a huge influence on modern poker as we know it, modern meaning like the last 20 years, but also was a big part of the game before that. Even though they were very, very different personality-wise, he and Stewie Unger were close friends. Mike Sexton, what's interesting about him is he's one of the few people in poker who has a very stable personality. This is someone who was very, very even-tempered. I mean, extremely even-tempered. You never saw him pissed off. I'm not just, just talking about TV. A lot of people can get on TV and seem really nice and friendly, and then off-camera they're jerks. Uh, he wasn't like that. The Mike Sexton you saw on TV was similar to the Mike Sexton that you'd meet in real life. And I know when somebody is dying or after they've died, there's often an outpouring of nice statements about them that often they don't really deserve. Their mistakes and faults are not discussed and their life is pretty much whitewashed and they're almost made to sound like a saint. And we've had people in poker that have died that have gotten that treatment in recent years. Devilfish was one. He definitely didn't deserve any praise, but he got plenty. Uh, Gavin Smith, who was a flawed person, got a ton of praise when he abruptly died last year. So there are a lot of people in poker who uh, whose lives are kind of uh, cleaned up when discussing them after they've passed away when it looks like their death is imminent. But Mike Sexton's not that person. Mike Sexton, there's a, an outpouring of love right now for him on Twitter and elsewhere in the poker media. And this isn't just because he's dying. This is also because everyone has positive feelings about him. He's actually one of the very few in poker that doesn't have anyone that I know of that dislikes him. Forget people who hate him. I don't even know anybody who ever disliked him. In all my years in poker, in my almost 20 years of poker, I, I'm trying to think of one negative comment that's been made about Mike Sexton, even like behind his back, even by uh, jealous haters, what, whatever. I haven't heard any. Like, like nobody dislikes the guy. Nobody disliked him on TV. Nobody dislikes him in person. Nobody seems to resent him. Like, there just seems to be universal positive feelings about Mike Sexton. And this was before anyone found out that he's having health problems. I'm talking about if you asked about him a few weeks ago before anyone knew about this or last year or whatever, you would have heard just nothing but positive things about him. And that's very hard to do in poker because, as you know, this community has a lot of drama. It has a lot of dysfunctional people. has a lot of people who are bitter and angry and like to come up with reasons to hate and troll people. I mean, like, I look at myself, and there's people out there in poker who don't like me. There's people out there who really dislike me, even though I haven't done anything bad to them. It's not like I'm a scammer or, or done really bad things to people. There's people who just don't like my personality, don't like some things I've said, and uh, there, there's people out there in poker 
who don't like me, who really don't like me. So I'm not going to be one that when I die, people will say, oh, everyone loved him. And in fact, almost nobody in poker can say that. Even very even-tempered, agreeable people like Phil Galfond have some who dislike them. And in fact, some of that started coming out when Phil was uh, losing the Galfond challenge at first and when uh, his site run at once was having some issues. Like you, you started to see people coming out that thought some negative things about him. And overall, he's very liked. I don't want to mislead you and say that uh, secretly everyone hates Galfon. Galfon is very well liked in the community, but even he's not someone that nobody dislikes. But Mike Sexton is really one of the very few who nobody dislikes that I know of. I first knew of Mike Sexton from reading about him in Card Player. He uh, used to have a column there. And just from reading his columns, I got an idea of what he was like. And this is when I was very new to poker in early 01. And I would sit there in The Hustler and eventually in Commerce. And there'd be that free card player magazine you could pick up. And you'd sit there in between hands. And, of course, back in those days, there was no smartphone. So between hands, and you're, you're waiting for a hand to finish after you folded your 8-3 offsuit, you've got to do something. So you can either talk or you can read something. That was the case back then. Now everybody's on their phones. But uh, back then, the options were listen to music, talk to people at the table, or read something. So a lot of people would pick up the card player and read it. So I would uh, read the card player pretty much from cover to cover each week because of that. And I would see Mike Sexton's column, and I would see this dignified-looking guy in a tuxedo. and A tuxedo or a suit. I forget the exact picture. I think it was a tuxedo. But uh, And you read his articles, and you'd really get an idea from reading it that he's like this older, dignified Southern guy who really likes the world of poker. And that, that's pretty much what he is. And as I got to see him on TV, and as I got to see him in person, and I didn't play with him that often, but I have played with him uh, a few times, including last year. And... I will tell you that the Mike Sexton you see in public, the Mike Sexton that you see on TV, it's pretty much all the same guy as the one that's in private or that, you know, the way he behaves when the cameras aren't rolling is, is similar to what he does when they are rolling. So for that reason, the poker community was really shook by this because when somebody is dying or has died who is flawed – People can say nice things about him, but then they have in the back of their mind, okay, you know, in some ways this person was kind of an asshole. But no one thinks that about Mike Sexton. It's like this nice, older, like kind of like grandfatherly figure of poker that everybody kind of always admired and looked up to. And now he's very close to being gone. And I got a call from him. In 2001, very surprising call. So, again, in 2001, I was not a poker pro. I was a recreational player. I was playing a bunch on party poker starting from the summer of that year, kind of like the late summer, probably about exactly 19 years ago. In August, September, I joined party poker. And I I was playing a whole bunch on there. And then I, I think I ran bad for some time, and I took a break. I remember I wasn't a winning player consistently until 2003, so even though Party had very good games, they're not quite as good as they'd be 
once the poker boom started. But they had good games, but I, I, I still wasn't that great of a player. And so I'd, I'd have my good runs, I'd have my bad runs, and I was kind of overall spinning my wheels. But what, would ha- what happened was I took a break from the site because I went on a losing streak, and I just wanted to take a break. Of course, I had a job at the time. I was not a pro player. So I'm sitting there at work one day, and my cell phone rings. And I'm like, okay, it's like a phone number I didn't recognize in the caller ID. And I'm thinking, okay, do I answer this? And I had my own office, but, you know, people hear me talk. And like I, I wasn't even sure if I should answer this, but I answered it. And the voice on the other end says, oh, yeah, hello, can I speak to Todd, please? And I say, yeah, this is Todd. Oh, yeah, hi, Todd. This is Mike Sexton. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about, uh, about part of poker. Well, at that point, I was, I'm thinking it's got to be a joke. It's got to be a prank call. Like, what, why is Mike Sexton calling me? <laughs> I, I've re- I'm reading about him. Like, I read his articles in Card Player. He's like this big figure in poker. Why is he calling me? Why is he calling me? I knew he had some affiliation with party poker, but, like, why is he calling me? I said, uh, yeah, okay, hi. And he says, yeah, um, I, I'm just wondering. Uh, I've noticed you haven't uh, been on party poker recently. Uh, is there something we can do to make your, your time on there better? Because... We just noticed you haven't played. You used to play a whole lot. Now you haven't played much at all in the last few weeks, and uh, we're wondering if there's something we can do to bring you back. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm just taking a break. It's not really a problem with your site. I just decided I'm going to take a little break here, and I'll, I'll probably come back soon. Said, all right, well, well, that's uh, as long as it's not some kind of problem you're having here, because if, if there is, we, we can solve it for you. I said, no, no, that's okay. I, it's not a problem. I just quit on my own, but I'll, I'll come back. Just a break. Okay, well, I'm glad to hear that, and uh, we do appreciate you very much as a customer on Party Poker, and uh, we'll be happy to see you again. I said, okay, thank you for calling. <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> this is so weird. I'm just this nobody break-even poker player who plays recreationally at Limit Hold'em on Party Poker, and I'm having Mike Sexton call up to check on me because I haven't played in a few weeks. Now, the reason he was doing this is because he was very involved with Party, and he was uh, the part owner there. And he actually, I don't know if they asked him to or if he took it upon himself, but they they looked up the players who were very active there that had stopped playing because they wanted to figure out why. They wanted to see if someone got pissed off about something. or It was pretty much a, a, a fact-finding call for them as a business, which was smart, by the way. I'm not saying anything was wrong with that. I, I would do this myself. If I thought maybe we could be leaking away good customers, maybe I'll want to find out why that's happening. So this was a call saying, hey, why did you quit? And if it's my own reasons, then okay, no problem. If it's something they screwed up, then maybe they can get me back and maybe they can change their own procedures so they don't run off other people. So Mike Sexton was tasked to do this or he chose to do this himself. But what a weird thing to get a call from Mike Sexton back then. I mean, nobody in poker basically knew I existed then. It'd be a little different if I got a call from him today. I could say, well, okay, I, I've got this poker fraud alert show. I'm a, I'm a known player. I have a bracelet. You know, Maybe I could understand why a site that sees me playing a lot would like me to keep playing there. But th- this is back then I was a, a break-even recreational nobody. And it was just because of my volume on the site, which wasn't like super high. It was just I was playing like every day. It's not, I wasn't like multi-tabling six tables all day and all night when I had a job too. 
But I thought, wow, this is that's kind of funny. Mike Sexton called me, but I called up my friend, who the friend who actually got me into poker. I called him and go, you wouldn't believe who just called me. It was Mike Sexton. Can you believe this? Mike Sexton's calling about me on Party Poker. And my friend thought that was pretty amazing, too. That was my main interaction with him. I didn't really get to know him personally. As I said, I played with him a few times. He's always nice at the table, always a nice, dignified, soft-spoken guy. But I never got to really know him beyond that, and I didn't interact with him that much. But you take a look at what everybody's saying about him, and if you want to take a look and see if you can find anything negative that's ever been said about him, you can't. Mike Sexton famously talked about how he may have cost himself $500 million based upon when he sold out his interest in party poker. That he said if he had stayed on a little bit longer, it could have been worth $500 million from when it eventually went public. And he told that story. Even when he told that story, he didn't sound bitter. He, he just kind of seemed like, oh, look, I could have had that, but oh, well. I'm not, you know, he was, and he made sure to qualify that he's not complaining, that he made a lot of money from it, that he's doing very well, that he's not trying to say, oh, woe is me, my luck's so bad, that he, he acknowledged in his usual soft-spoken and gracious manner that he felt fortunate, but that he could have really had the gigantic payday had he just stayed a little bit longer, and uh, he still thinks about that, which, of course, anybody would. So this is how the news broke about Mike Sexton's condition, because this is not a new condition. It's been like this for some time, and everyone's kept quiet about it who knows him personally. He told his close friends and said, hey, don't tell people. But I guess... uh, The cat was let out of the bag. I don't know if Mike even wanted this, but nevertheless, the cat was let out by a guy on Twitter named Dink Inc. D-I-N-K-I-N-C. goes by Alan. I don't really know who this is, but he tweeted out, My friend Mike Sexton is very ill. Mike is pretty famous for his work in the poker world, so many of my followers will know him. He's one of the most universally liked humans in the gambling world. True. Mike is always funny and charming and is a friend to the friendless. This was tweeted out at 10.37 p.m. on August 31st. So this is four days ago. And everybody was pretty shocked by this. And it really made the community pause and say, wow, that's that's really kind of hard to believe. But yeah, he is an older guy. These things happen. For a while, it was not known exactly what was wrong with him, though that first tweet wasn't very encouraging. It did kind of sound like, especially at his age, that we might be looking at his death coming fairly soon. Linda Johnson confirmed that the situation is pretty grave. Linda Johnson, who is also a veteran in the poker industry, also very well-liked and respected. She's a personal friend of Mike Sexton. She tweeted out, Mike Sexton is poker's, great, is, is poker's greatest ambassador. He authorized this tweet. He's only wanted to deliver positive messages, so he kept his health problems private. Mike has been battling prostate cancer that has recently spread to other organs. He began in-home hospice a month ago. So apparently Mike didn't announce it simply because he didn't want everyone feeling bad for him. He is so big on wanting to put out positive messages that he didn't want to make people feel down so he wanted to obviously one day he's going to die one day 
fairly soon it looks like he's going to die, and then there's no getting away from it, but he doesn't, I guess he didn't want to bring people down until the absolute last moment that he could, because uh, he only likes bringing out positivity. And I believe that. Some people will claim that, and it's not true, but with, knowing Mike Sexton, I, I believe that that is why he kept his health problems a secret. A number of people will keep their cancer a secret, but it's for different reasons. Some people are ashamed of it, especially ones that have always prided themselves upon being healthy and uh, taking care of themselves. They're almost like ashamed that they got it, which, which is stupid because unless you've done something to bring it on, uh, in most cases when you get cancer, that's just it's just bad luck. It just happened to you. And it's a very common cause of death, of course, to older human beings. That's just the way life goes, that some people die of cancer. In fact, uh, it's about certain that you have a close relative that has died of cancer. I, I definitely do. I have, I have multiple relatives who have died of cancer. Uh, but uh, he kept it private, but then that Dink Inc. guy let it out of the bag, and then Linda Johnson went to him and said, hey, this Allen guy... Uh, told everybody, so it's time to discuss this. What would you like me to say? And uh, so he told Linda, go ahead and say this. Now, a number of people were responding, saying, I really hope you beat this, Mike. Here's your one time, referring to what they would say on the the WBT broadcast that uh, Mike used to do. But here's the truth. Here's the sad truth of the matter. Hospice care is meant to keep you comfortable as you were in your final days dying. Hospice care is not an attempt to cure what you have. It is not a long shot attempt at your one time of surviving something where your chances are very low. Hospice is basically giving up, but giving up and deciding to make yourself comfortable as, or at least as comfortable as possible as you're going out because uh, cancer is very, very uncomfortable and painful. And it gets worse and worse. It's not something like where it goes through, gets bad, 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 gets to a peak and then improves. It usually gets worse and worse and worse and worse and then kills you. And sometimes in just awful ways, too. Like it's uh, The only good thing about cancer, if you can say there's a good thing about cancer, is that it's not sudden. So you have some time to say goodbye to everybody and prepare for your own death and prepare your estate. And uh, it's not like a heart attack which just hits you out of the blue and then whatever way your life was and whatever way your estate was at the time is the way it's going to stay because you, you, you're just gone. So it does give you time to prepare everything for your death, but it's a very slow, agonizing process for you and for those watching you deteriorate. So uh, Mike going into hospice is basically saying, I've given up the the prostate cancer has spread to other organs there's no way to beat this it's just it's too far gone so rather than put myself through awful treatments with terrible side effects and the awful cancer i'm experiencing that's that's killing me uh i'm just going to give up and just i'm going to get out of the hospital i'm going to go to my home i'm going to live out my final days at home i'm going to take whatever i need to take to make me feel better and i'm going to stop treating this and that's that's what he's doing so there's actually zero chance he will recover from this. This is it's done. It's just a matter of when he's going to go. Prostate cancer is actually a cancer that can be very slow moving. In fact, he is one of the unlucky ones, unless he's had this for a lot longer than we know. 
in some cases, prostate cancer can take 20 years to kill you. For that reason, they actually advise older people. In fact, uh, around Mike's age, starting around then, they'll start, they will tell you it's actually probably better if we don't treat the prostate cancer because it's going to be so slow that uh, there's a good chance you'll live 20 years and the attempt to treat it is more likely to kill you than the cancer itself. So your, your life expectancy is actually higher with the cancer not treating it than treating it, which is weird to think about. But that's the, that's, there's only so long you can expect to live if you didn't have the cancer. So that, that's basically what they're saying. If, uh, it's a similar way that uh, if you get a prison sentence of 20 years when you're 75, there's a very high chance you're going to die in jail. It's a very high chance that's a life sentence, where if you get a 20-year sentence when you're 20, then that's, that's very unlikely to be a life sentence for you. So I don't know how long Mike has had the prostate cancer. I was surprised when I heard it was prostate cancer, because as I said, that's known to be a slow cancer. But it could have been something he's had for quite some time, and that only now it's getting bad. And he just didn't mention it to anybody because he didn't want to bring anyone down. And he didn't want to explain, oh, no, there's a slow-moving thing. I mean, who knows how long he could have had this. But it is sad, and he's not really young, but he's not really old. You know, 73, which is below the average life expectancy for a male in the United States. In fact, once you get to, like, 50 and don't have any major health problems as a male in the United States, your, your life expectancy is to live above 80. See, life expectancy is a little tricky because it's actually an average of the length of time that everybody lives in that population. So when an infant dies, then that drags the average down because the, in, the infant didn't even make it to one. And if you were to average like an infant who dies and someone who lives to 100, or take, say we have three people living to 100 and one infant that dies the life expectancy for those four people would be 75, even though three of the four lived to 100, just because the infant dragged them down. So for that reason, when infants die, when people die of drug overdoses, when people die of, uh, from accidents or violence, this all goes into the life expectancy. In fact, that has to be understood when looking at the life expectancy in the U.S. Is uh, Some people say, oh, look, look how bad the U.S. healthcare system is because our life expectancy is lower than other uh, first world countries. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you take out deaths from violence, deaths from drug overdose, and deaths from uh, extreme unhealthy habits like uh, obesity or uh, chain smoking or heavy alcohol abuse, if you take all that out and then you take it all out in the other countries, then compare it, then the U.S. does a lot better. In fact, the U.S. is ahead of just about every country then. Not, not the top, but it's, it's one of the top. If you take out these self-brought-on causes of death, so for someone like Mike Sexton, tying it back into to Mike Sexton, as far as I know, he didn't have any of these uh, life issues that would have prematurely brought on a death. And in fact, prostate cancer is something that just uh, you can't prevent. It's just unlucky if you get it. I mean, you can you, you can do checkups where they check your prostate and they can catch it early if there starts to be a problem, but uh, it's not something you bring on from your own behavior, prostate cancer. So Mike Sexton was just unlucky to get this, and for somebody who was 
already an older guy that had lived already that long and didn't have uh, any major health issues or congenital uh, health defects that I know of, to have that at 73 is, is fairly bad luck. It's not as bad as die, getting this at 50, but it, it's still fairly bad luck at, at 73 to meet your end that way when you've lived a responsible life. So that's uh, that's unfortunate, and this is a case of uh, something bad happening to a good person. Mike Sexton, of course, was known to many in poker as the guy on TV broadcasting the World Poker Tour with Vince Van Patten. He was a very big figure in bringing on the early 2000s poker boom, which made poker blow up everywhere. In fact, if it were not for that, then there probably wouldn't be this show. And in fact, I probably would not have uh, remained a pro poker player for as long as I did. I probably would have quit because the games just weren't lucrative enough. But uh, what happened was uh, just shortly after I became a winning player in 03, two big things happened. Number one, the poker boom from the World Poker Tour being televised to the whole cards and then the World Series of Poker as well. And then Chris Moneymaker winning the World Series that year. And those two factors just made poker explode. And all of a sudden there's all these new players in the game who weren't good, who were new. And I was already a few years experienced and had gotten good at Limit Hold'em, and that made the game very lucrative for me. I was in a good position there when that all happened. And that was partially thanks to Mike Sexton. And uh, so he was just, the whole way in poker, a major figure. And a respected figure. So don't sit there hoping, oh, I hope he gets better, I hope he beats this. It's it's not going to happen. In fact, if... Supposedly he's been reading the comments about him, like people tweeting about him. Uh, I guess Linda's been showing him the tweets, and she said he's been reading all of them and appreciates them very much. Uh, If you post a comment to him, don't bother saying something like, oh, I hope you beat this, I hope you get better. He's not going to be pissed, but when you know you've entered hospice, it's only a depressing thing to read. When you know you've given up on trying to beat it and you just want to remain comfortable for the short remainder of your life. You, you don't want to hear people saying, come on, man, I know you can beat this. You're like, no, 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 no. Like, I know you mean well, but I, I know, no, I can't beat this. Like, that's what I've given up on. That's, that's exactly why I'm doing this is because I can't beat this. So people like to sometimes be overly encouraging and you have to understand the circumstances before you say something. So I, I tweeted something just generally positive about him, but uh, not, and this is before I, I did say get better, Mike, but this is before I knew he had prostate cancer and he was in hospice. I tweeted this uh, in response to the first tweet. But unfortunately, he's not going to be getting better. And uh, Mike Sexton, I think he was the one. Trader Whiskey, do you know this? Was he the one who found uh, Stewie Unger dead? I don't think I heard that. Forgetting who it was, I, I know they were they were friends, and that uh, oh, I'm forgetting which person found him dead. It was someone I knew knew of at least. Now I don't remember. I wish we had a chat room. I, were you able to get in the chat room? Oh yeah, I was. I'm in. Okay. Let me see if anybody mentioned anything about that. 
They probably no. Can't. It's just me, Bobby, and John Connor. Okay. Or John Commode. Uh, yeah. Okay. And well, no chats. If anybody knows, they can, they can tell me who found uh, Stu Unger dead. I. I anyway, uh, Mike Sexton was uh, a World Series of Poker bracelet winner as well. He does have one bracelet. He won in 1989 the 1500 seven card stud, which of course was way way before the poker boom, but nevertheless still a World Series of Poker bracelet. And this is back when stud was a very popular game. This is when uh, this is actually seven card stud split. So this was a popular game back then. It's not like today where stud is, is a dead game and that there's still a small number of people, mostly older, who play it. Uh, this was when stud was far more popular than hold'em. Hold'em just had begun its rise in the late 80s. It, uh, it was legalized in California in 1987. Prior to that, all the card rooms uh, spread stud, but they didn't spread any kind of hold'em. Uh, so it, once it was legalized in California card rooms, then it started to catch on in a lot of other places. And then uh, it got, got bigger and bigger. Limit hold'em was the first thing to get big, and then uh, No Limit took over in the early 2000s as the big game. So, yeah, he, he has a stud bracelet. He also has a WPT title. So he did manage to get uh, each of those. He wasn't just a commentator. He made four final tables at uh, the World Poker Tour. He finished in the money 15 times at the World Poker Tour. He finished in the money 59 times at the World Series of Poker and finished 12th in 2000 at the main event. A lot of people don't know that Mike Sexton actually had uh, – some pretty good success as a poker player. More people think of him as uh, uh, one of the owners of Party Poker or a a promotional guy or a commentator. That's what most people saw him as because uh, after the poker room, that that was his main role. But uh, but he goes way back in poker and had success as a player, which is why he was in... uh, which, Which is why he was in poker for so long. Because back in the early days in poker, there were, there were no jobs like being a poker commentator. That came starting the 2000s. So some people forget that about him. Uh, taking a look at him in the Hendon mob, he actually had $6.7 million worth of caches and had a cash for over a million dollars at one point. And he was still actively playing as recently as last year. He cashed in the 2019 World Series of Poker four times. Now, none of these caches were really large, but he did make the final table, one of 23 World Series of Poker final tables that he's made in his poker career. He made 23 final tables. Uh, One of them was 2019 in the 2500 Mixed Big Bad event, which is a hard event. All those $2,500 and $5,000 events at the World Series are tough. In fact, I, I stopped playing them. If you notice, I don't ever have a 2500 or 5K event on my schedule because I noticed that the, these attract mostly pros. For some reason, there's this barrier at 2500 where rec players don't want to play them. So at a tough event, the mixed big bed event, event number 43 last year, he finished 7th for 12K. He also finished uh, 142nd in the uh, $500 No Limit uh, Hold'em Salute to Warriors event. The little one-for-one drop, No Limit Hold'em, finished 73rd. And 
the closer, the final event of the World Series of Poker, he finished in 61st. So I, I forgot what event I had him at my table. He he wasn't doing very well in that event. He didn't cash in the one I was in. I think he came to the table with a short stack and didn't last all that long, but he was still an active player, as you see. I mean, he cashed four times, and uh, he played other tournaments as well. He played uh, the Party Poker Millions. He played uh, the WPT Montreal. He played the Win Winter Classic. He I mean, he entered that for 545 bucks. That's not a major series, the Win Winter Classic, a 545 no-limit hold'em. So he, he still enjoyed playing. He was still uh, very much a player. Uh, in 2013, he entered the one drop, the one not the million dollar one drop, but the 111k one drop that they had every odd year. So in 2013, he entered that and cashed, made it to the final two tables, finished 16th to cash for 208k. Of course, that's less than 100k profit. He less than doubled his buy-in, but still, uh, that was that was a nice hit. And uh, so if you scroll down his handed mob. He has a lot of results, and a lot of... You should see how many results going way back, starting uh, 1981. And before that, poker tournaments weren't as big. So you may say, well, what about before 81? It's, it's just what poker t- tournaments weren't happening as much. They, they were happening, but they weren't happening as much. Uh, in, I don't know when he started playing specifically. Uh, his first World Series cash, I see, was in uh, 1988. He cashed uh, at the 1500 No Limit Hold'em. And then in 89, he, uh, he he won that seven-card split and made a final table in Pot Limit Omaha, before Pot Limit Omaha was cool. Many, many years before Pot Limit Omaha was cool. The 1500 PLO, he finished sixth place. Now, these are smaller fields back then, of course, but still he made uh, 23 final tables. Uh, if you look in the modern era, which I'd say begins uh, in uh, 2004, he still was uh, cashing plenty, as I mentioned, four times last year. And if you scroll, you'll see that uh, I, I think there's a cash in every year since '04. Yeah, I'm, uh, scrolling up, I, it looks like he's cashing at least once in the World Series every year since '04. Kind of like me, I've cashed every year since '05, except this year. This year I uh, did not play, for obvious reasons. But yeah, he cashed at least once every year since '04 in the World Series of Poker. Pretty good. This is a guy who didn't just decide he's done with poker for as a player once he... I mean, look, he struck so much... He, even though he didn't get the $500 million, he got a lot of money out of the party poker thing. So he was set. He was set monetarily. He was playing for the love of the game. And there's a number of people who do that. There's a number of people who play poker who have so much money they're never going to need more. And they, if, in fact, will sometimes play tournaments where even first place will basically do nothing for them. Jerry Buss used to do that. Jerry Buss loved poker at the end of his life. He was far more interested in poker than he was in the Lakers. And I can tell you this from playing with him and seeing a Lakers playoff game on in the background. <laughs> he wasn't even looking over at it. I was I was more interested in the Lakers playoffs than he was. Uh, Jerry Buss became obsessed with poker in, at the end of his life. And this is someone for sure who had so much money. This, this is with someone with hundreds of millions of dollars who definitely uh, – None of the games he was playing was going to matter as far as his net worth. Even the main event had Jerry Buss won the main event. It wouldn't have made a dent in his finances. But he played for the love of the game, and so did Mike Sexton, who was a much bigger figure in poker than Jerry Buss. So that's interesting as well. Some people didn't realize he's playing as much as he does 
In fact, even I didn't realize that. When I saw him last year, I was like, oh, cool, Mike's still playing. But I, did, I didn't realize he's as active as he is. I, he doesn't have any results in 2020, partially because there's barely been any tournaments in 2020, and partially probably because he's been sick. It's not like, it's not like he's just starting to feel sick now. Not much more to say. I hope the end of Mike's life is as comfortable as possible. I'm sure he's enjoyed reading the outpouring of love for him. I'm sure that made him smile. And I, uh, it's, it'll be sad when he goes. Now we're already aware of his condition now, so it's not gonna, when, when we hear he eventually goes. If once you've already decided for yourself this person is going to die soon when they die it's a little bit less sad because you're already emotionally prepared for it but still when it actually happens and you know mike sexton's gone that'll be like kind of a hole in poker you know it's like there's like a figure in poker that you knew was older you you knew was like not going to live forever but just kind of uh, leave a hole now when Doyle brunson goes it'll be similar very different type of person Doyle does have his detractors, but uh, is also generally liked and is also an older figure in poker who's very much associated with the game that will leave a hole in the community when he's gone. It's too bad for Mike Sexton, and I hope his final days can be as comfortable as possible. For sure, and who would have thought he would have gone before Doyle? Yeah, right, I know. He seemed a lot healthier than Doyle. He seemed to to be... uh, just in a lot better shape. Doyle's going in his motorized wheelchair and is very overweight. And like, like Doyle really, I mean, there was the, the running joke that people are always tweeting out RIP Doyle and people were believing it because they're like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But now Doyle, he, he keeps living on year after year. And uh, Mike Sexton turns out he's, he's not going to. How soon can we expect him to pass? I'm not sure. Uh, sometimes people, even on hospice, can hang on for a lot longer than you'd expect. Uh, this, this is not poker related, but uh, many years ago, a family friend, they had cancer, and it really seemed like they were going to be gone within a month or two. They, they held on for like two and a half years before uh, finally passing away. So you, you never know. Sometimes it, it's over very quickly, and sometimes it, uh, people manage to hang on. Once you go to hospice and you're giving up, then it's just a matter of a relatively short time. Sometimes a very short time, sometimes a relatively short time, but it's it's the end. All right, uh, let's move on to a completely different type of subject. This is something that I wanted to talk about for a while in a way, and now that I've uh, been blocked on their Twitter, and now that I've discovered some new information, thanks to somebody else passing it to me, now I can give it the full discussion and that's vital vegas vital vegas has always kind of bugged me i followed them i sometimes interacted with them they sometimes once in a while they like retweeted me but i i always kind of thought that vital vegas was annoying i i thought vital vegas was something that was kind of bothersome and sometimes irresponsible and i I like to say that Vital Vegas's reporting was the broken clock is right twice a day style. Because they put out a ton of rumors about different casinos and different things in Vegas. And then once in a while they'd have a scoop and they'd know something like way before the rest of us. 
and that's why you couldn't just completely ignore them and discount them. It was kind of annoying because, like, every once in a while they hit on something right, and then so many times they'd be wrong. So many times they'd be putting out a rumor which just totally has no basis in fact. Like, something that sounds pretty sensational, and like, wow, I can't believe that's going to happen, and it just never comes, never occurs. They they were pushing hard at one point with the stupid thing that Rio is going to become a Major League Baseball stadium. Like, like as soon as that came out, I'm like, come on, that's such BS. I, I knew there was such BS. There, there were so many reasons why that wasn't going to happen. And they weren't saying, like, eventually, one day, many years down the line, it's like, like this is imminent. It's going to be sold very soon and turned into a Major League Baseball stadium. Like They put out so many stupid rumors like that. And so often, you'd hear about it, you'd say, wow, that's pretty amazing. And then, like, months later, you go, wait a minute, what happened with that? No, it just never occurred. Now, I don't think they were making things up. I think people were bringing rumors to them, and they just were reporting anything they heard. Like, it, I guess you could have screwed with them. I should have thought about this before. You could have made, like, phony accounts on Twitter and then just start sending them fake rumors and seeing what they'll run with. Because it really seemed like they would just run with anything. I don't know where they were getting these rumors, but what I found, and I I can tell you this myself as somebody who's passed rumors that, you know, someone doesn't want to say themselves, but they're okay if I say, that usually it's true. Once in a while I've been burned with it where I've said something that's only partially true or not true, and that's why if it's like accusing someone of something, I don't want to say it, but usually I found when rumors are passed to me that they tend to be true, they just aren't well known yet, or at least mostly true, but Vital, Vital Vega seemed to just be getting a lot of rumors that just weren't at all in the ballpark of being true, and again, I, I don't think they're making it up, but I, I think they probably had a number of unreliable sources, and they would just put things out there. It had a pretty good following. It had and still has a pretty good following, Vital Vegas. It has like 50K followers, which, which is pretty good for a, a Vegas-type Twitter account. It's not like this is an official account for anything or associated with someone famous. This is just an account that claims it does Las Vegas news. Yeah, actually it has 75K followers. I thought it was 50K, 75K. Wow. And... They've been putting out just a ton of tweets over time about different pieces of Vegas news. And again, it's not all rumors. Sometimes they'll put out some interesting videos or just some interesting information, which isn't really rumors, just kind of stuff I didn't know about. So it's worth following them, but it it can also be really annoying. Do you follow Vital Vegas? I think so. Oh, yeah, Yeah, you you do. Actually, I I see that. I see that. It says it's followed by you. Yeah. Yeah, I just I, – I didn't know what to think of them. Like I, I, I would have times where I thought this is total garbage. Then there were other times I'm like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool what they're putting out. Like I'm, this is interesting. And then I'd go back to thinking they're garbage. And then I, I, I basically came to the conclusion that they're mostly garbage, but they occasionally hit on a few good things. And it's one of these things you don't want to not follow them, but you're also kind of hating yourself for following them and reading what they put out. So that, that was my impression of them. Up through March of 2020. And then I'll I'll tell you what happened in March of 2020 to change that. This was actually brought out by PLOL under his uh, dupe account on Poker Fraud Alert. He had a dupe account named Spit This. Not Split This, but Spit This. And uh, he posted on March 11th, 2020. This is Spit This on Poker Fraud Alert. Morally decrepit, vital Vegas maliciously spreading disinformation about coronavirus. 
So, of course, I thought, okay, well, <laughs> I want to see about this. So he wrote, Vital Vegas has grown a following of over 50K users on Twitter. He is the interactive marketing manager for the Fremont Street Experience. See, that was the first time I heard about that. I never really tried to figure out who this was. It actually wasn't too hard to find out. You just go to their own website, you figure it out. But I, I had, like, that little interest of who they were that I didn't even bother to try to figure it out. But I was kind of, like, mildly curious. So this answered it right there. He's the interactive marketing manager for the Fremont Street Experience, which is that area downtown that used to be Fremont Street but is now uh, a walking area that has a roof on it that they have a screen, a giant screen on the roof. It's the main area of downtown now. So he said he naturally has a profit motive in keeping tourists visiting Vegas. True. Remember, he's supposed to market for the Fremont Street experience. So of course, he wants to say positive things about Vegas, especially downtown. So Spit This gone, went on to say, He's been downplaying the virus, saying it's, quote, seasonal allergies, and saying it's better than the common flu. He's even encouraging people to go on on cruise ships, one of the worst things you could do right now, against the advice of health experts. So Vital Vegas, on March 9th, put out this tweet. Remember, this is March 9th, after it was getting very clear that the coronavirus is a big problem. This is not just as we're learning about it, this is... After we were sure it was killing people in the U.S., and as cruise ships were starting to have big problems, like the Diamond Princess and others, where they couldn't even dock anywhere because nobody wanted to take them. So on March 9th, Bloomberg, not Michael Bloomberg, but the company Bloomberg, tweeted out, Thousands of vacationers are ignoring the U.S. government's warning that Americans should avoid setting sail on cruise ships. Now, I was saying that in March, too, if you remember. That was such a dumb thing to do. And this Bloomberg article is basically saying that thousands of Americans are doing it anyway, some of whom ended up being sorry they did, by the way. So Vital Vegas responds, yes and more yes, F the hysteria, and live a little. Wow. (laughs) F the hysteria and live a little. Go on a cruise. Yes and more yes. He's not saying yes and yes... This is stupid. He's saying yes and more yes. I want to go on a cruise. You should want to go on a cruise. This, this is all hysteria. Live a little. So why would he say this? Why would he say this? Well, he may have believed it, but he also had a profit motive to believe this. Because remember, he's trying to market going to Vegas. And if you're afraid to go on a cruise, maybe you're going to be afraid to go to downtown Vegas in March when people are being told to uh, watch out as far as crowded spaces and things like that. This is like days before that everybody was told they really need to social distance. But it was already known that being in crowds and stuff was dangerous. Like this was already known on March 9th. And it was already known how cruise ships were especially dangerous. So on March 11th, two days later, Fox 5 Las Vegas, which is a TV station in Vegas, tweeted out, While the coronavirus is certainly something to take seriously, the chances of any individual person getting it are still low. And then Vital Vegas tweeted out, Psst, it's allergies. It's allergies, everybody. That's all the coronavirus is. Just just allergies, no big deal. Just seasonal allergies that might kill you and damage your lungs and heart. Can you believe this? March 11th, he's saying the coronavirus is allergies. And a guy named Daniel Salzberg, I don't know who that is, but he responded to Vital Vegas on March 11th. 
and said, given what we know, COVID is likely to obliterate those flu numbers within a few weeks. And then Vital Vegas said, given what we know, it's a blip compared to the flu. On March 11th, it was not a blip compared to the flu. On March 11th, people started realizing that there's much more to worry about than the flu. Much more. On March 10th, the day before that, Vital Vegas tweeted, How are Vegas casinos not marketing the crap out of such low airfares and room rates right now? So again, he's trying to say that Vegas casinos are dropping the ball, that the low airfares and room rates should be enticing and that the casinos should be really, really pushing to come to Vegas right now. And he was, he was like asking, why, why isn't this happening? Now, by the way, you may wonder, why is the interactive marketing manager criticizing marketing? Well, it's a trick. It's a marketing trick. He's saying, hey, everybody, psst. everything's really cheap to come to Vegas. The airfares are cheap. The hotel rooms are cheap. Cheap. Why does nobody know this? And then he's hoping you're going to read it and go, oh, crap, I didn't know that. Wow, nobody knows this? I'm going to be one of the smart few to take a cheap flight and stay at a cheap room in Vegas. Also on March 10th, Vital Vegas tweeted, Is there a way to selectively give coronavirus to people driving 40 miles per hour in the passing lane? Asking for a friend to pretty much everyone. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Is it, can we give the coronavirus to people who are driving too slow in the passing lane? <laughs> yeah, that's. See, he still thinks it's a laughing matter. The coronavirus on March 10th. Again, on March 11th, every news story about COVID-19 should include, during the 2018 to 2019 flu season, CDC estimates 35.5 million people got sick with influenza and there were 34,200 deaths. It's surreal when such stats are the good news. So again, he's trying to compare it to the flu, making the flu seem worse. And, and notice how many how many COVID related tweets in two days, between March 9th and the 11th. Like that's 48 hours. He's like hammering the COVID tweets, trying to make you believe it's no big deal. Come to Vegas, live a little, go on a cruise, whatever. Just just travel. Don't worry about it, guys. It'll be fine. This isn't just someone with a, an opposing opinion back then. This is someone who's really trying to push that narrative. So you uh, you go to Vegas. So uh, we've never seen an apology for that, by the way. Also, March 11th, same day. We're not saying slots are looser during a coronavirus outbreak, but we're not not saying that. And then they showed a picture of someone hitting four of a kind on video poker. That's nice. He's, He's implying that they're making the slot machines and video poker machines looser to where you're going to win more often during a coronavirus outbreak, which isn't true, by the way, that they didn't do that. But uh, that's also, it's like a lie, too. It's not, it's not even like they've really done this and he's trying to entice people to come. They, they haven't even done this. It's like, it's like a lie and scummy to try to get people down there under these circumstances. Never got an apology for that. Now, you may ask me, why am I talking about this six months later in September? Why did I not cover this in March? I don't know why I didn't cover it in March. I just, I kind of meant to. I just didn't. But whatever. Like I, I remember, like a little later after this, I realized I should have covered it here. But then it was kind of too late to bother talking about that. I, I just didn't bother. Okay. Well, it got back on my mind because of what happened on August thirty first. Because I got a little uh, 
thing with uh, Vital Vegas. And uh, <laughs> let's just say uh, it led to me discovering some things, and which led to this segment. So Vital Vegas tweeted out on August 31st a picture of the Plaza Hotel, which, by the way, was uh, Biff's Casino in Back to the Future 2. It wasn't called the Plaza, but it's the same hotel. But they show, like, the entrance to it, this very lit-up uh, valet area. And it's kind of like looking up to the hotel, like the camera angle. And August 31st, Vital Vegas tweeted, any impression of a casino should be like this one. So he's basically trying to say that this is the way a casino should look when you pull up to it. Of course, it's something downtown, shock upon shocks. The, the interactive marketing manager of Fremont Street uh, is promoting the plaza, which is downtown. Like, is, is that a shock? Like, notice he's never tweeting anything positive about the Bellagio or the, the competition to downtown. So I responded back. Is this the right time to disclose that the Vital Vegas account is part of a marketing arm for downtown Los Angeles, Las Vegas? <laughs> I, I, isn't that a reasonable thing for me to ask? Like, I, it just kind of irked me that he's saying, this is the way, basically, this is the way all casinos should look when you pull up. Any impression of a casino should be like this one. So, well, yeah. Conveniently, it, it's uh, part of the area you've always been trying to promote. So then he blocked me and responded back, what else don't you know anything about? So he's implying that I'm, I'm wrong. He blocks me and then responds. I, I, I don't know how he expected me to see it, but he blocks me and responds, what else don't you know anything about? That means I, I don't know what I'm talking about. The Vital Vegas account is not part of the marketing arm for downtown Las Vegas, he says. So then I went under the poker fraud alert account that the guy didn't realize is also me. <laughs> not like I'm trying to hide. Like It's pretty clear that that's who, who I am. But I said, so you're not the interactive marketing manager for the Fremont Street experience? And you've never done any work for anything downtown in a marketing capacity? By the way, why did you block Todd for stating that? Does the truth hurt that much? So he wrote, I left Fremont Street Experience May 1st. Okay, it turns out that's true, but like, okay, so he's been part of it for many years as the interactive marketing manager, and he left on May 1st, and like, so, so that means I don't know anything? Like, why well, I'm supposed to follow the guy's employment history? He, this account was created to promote the Fremont Street Experience in downtown Los, Las Vegas. They want to say, I don't block people for, for stating the truth. I sometimes block them for being rude or talking out of their ass. Example... Plaza isn't a member of Fremont Street Experience. Okay, but it's right next to it. It's right next to it. It's, it's walking distance. It's right there. You see it from the Fremont Street Experience. So clearly what he's trying to do is get a job there or somewhere else that he thinks might want to hire him because he's already known as a promoter for downtown. He's not just doing this to remark about how lovely the plaza is. So he said... Let me know if you'd like to join him. Him meaning me. Like, we, we, how would you like to be blocked too, basically? I have an unlimited supply. Isn't that an asshole? So he claims he blocked me for being rude or talking out of my ass. Well, I wasn't talking out of my ass. All he had to say back is, uh, actually, I left that position on May 1st, so I'm not doing this to promote the Fremont Street experience. That would have been fine. Instead, well, what, what else don't you know about? What an asshole response. And then blocking me for it. Like... 
yes, I was responding initially in kind of a snarky way, but it was a good point I was raising, that he's not just an independent guy marveling at how lovely the plaza is. There's some sort of ulterior motive to it, because this is a marketing account. And while he hasn't hidden that it's a marketing account, because if you go to VitalVegas.com, it does explain that. In fact, uh, says who he is and what he does. Uh, it's, it doesn't say that on the Twitter account. On the Twitter account, they don't make that clear. And that's why I didn't know it, and I didn't put any effort into finding out who he was or what he was doing. But I'm saying that the Twitter account could say, I'm the interactive manager for the Fremont Free Experience. He didn't say that. So I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, there's a reason he didn't say that. There's a reason he was hiding that. If you go to Vital Vegas' Twitter account, just at Vital Vegas, it says VitalVegas.com is your essential source for Las Vegas news, rumors, tips, and WTF. Hashtag Las Vegas. That, that's all it said. Like, even when he was with the Fremont Street Experience, it did, did not say that this is a Fremont Street Experience-related account. So, pardon me for not knowing you've left them. And pardon for me for pointing out that you worked for them. And that I thought you did still work for them. It's, it's not. I'm not just pulling this out of my ass. So this is what is listed on their own website. Who are we? Well, in terms of sheer obfuscation, who aren't we? More specifically, though, we are lovers of all things Las Vegas. We love the casinos, the restaurants, the shows, and even Chris Angel. Well, okay, we love the casinos, the restaurants, the shows. <laughs> so they don't really love Chris Angel. You get it? We should say this up front. As of March 3rd, 2014, our day job is that of interactive marketing manager for the Fremont Street Experience. And by the way, it, it says at the beginning that this is his name is Scott Robin, R-O-E-B-E-N. Fremont Street Experience serves as the marketing umbrella for a group of casinos, including the D. Las Vegas, Fremont, California, Main Street, Four Queens, Binion's, Golden Gate, and Golden Nugget. That said, our opinions are completely our own. We loved downtown Las Vegas before we got the gig, and we continue to love it now. We're here to give you the essential news and information you need to get the most from your next Las Vegas visit, all with a slightly skewed and often highly intoxicated perspective. Ha 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 ha. You get it, guys? He's having fun and he's drunk while he's doing it. Uh, All right. So that's kind of like a cringeworthy explanation. But, like, it sounds like I was pretty correct, other than the fact that he left on May 1st, and other than the fact that the uh, plaza is technically not part of this group because it's, it's barely outside the Fremont Street experience. Sorry for getting that a tiny bit wrong. But I got blocked. And that's where I thought the story would end. I was going to mention it on this show, but that's what I thought the story would end. But there's more. There is more because after I got blocked, I decided to tweet out that I had gotten blocked. And others apparently have gotten blocked that responded to me. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, he blocked me a long time ago. So apparently this guy likes to block people. But remember we reported on this show in early August that Sahara Las Vegas, which, remember, they closed, then they reopened as SLS, which attempted to be like a high-end hotel that was a renovated Sahara, and then that was a tremendous fail. And then SLS 
rebranded back to Sahara, and that's what they currently are, is Sahara Las Vegas. They got really, really angry at Vital Vegas in late July because Vital Vegas wrote this. Gut punch of the day. Rumor is Sahara Las Vegas could close permanently in September. Permanently. And then they linked an article. Sahara was so angry that they retweeted this and wrote, There is no merit to this claim. It is extremely disappointing to have someone spread unfounded rumors that detrimentally impact our team members, guests, and community. To find out what we're really about, visit Sahara.lv. So that's unusual for a hotel to actually tweet back to someone putting out rumors. <laughs> they, they quoted the rumor and said, uh-uh, not true, and this is irresponsible. So that, I was like, wow, that's, that's a pretty big smackdown. And I thought that ended there. I thought they just wanted to humiliate Vital Vegas for doing this, which Vital Vegas did this type of crap all the time. They finally got called on it by one of the victims of the rumors. And I believed them, too. I didn't think that they put this out if they weren't really sure that they weren't going to be closing. Like, if he was right and they were really going to close, like, in a month, because this is put out in late July, and he was saying they're going to close the beginning of September. So if they were really going to close in a month, they're not going to say, no, no, we're not closing, and then, uh, then September 1st comes. Uh, yeah, guys, we're closing. Like, they look really bad. So... I had a feeling when they responded that way that this rumor was just completely incorrect, and that's why they were so enraged, because it got employees nervous, it got people with trips planned there to be nervous. Like, the guy has 75K followers, and they're seeing this false rumor that they're closing. So they were pissed. They put it out there. I thought that was that. Well, apparently not. That is not that. That is very much a lie. Why? Because Sahara has decided that they are going to sue Vital Vegas for what they have been putting out about the closure. Now, despite my issues with Vital Vegas, I had mixed feelings about this. Because on one hand, I thought, okay, it's good that Vital Vegas is finally uh, paying the piper for all the false rumors they put out. But on the other hand, as someone who frequently puts out rumors on the show, I have a better record than Vital Vegas, but still, as someone who likes to discuss rumor and gossip around Vegas, I thought, well, that's a bad precedent. So... Should I worry? Should next should next time I be very concerned before I put out any Vegas rumors that a casino might sue me? Because they have attorneys that work for them full time, and I would have to pay out of my own pocket to hire an attorney to defend me. And do I want to hassle with this? Do I want the hassle and the expense of this just to bring you guys some Vegas news? And I started to get worried. I started to think, wow, you know, this regardless of what I think of, of this uh, Scott Robin of Vital Vegas. Maybe this isn't a good thing that casinos are suing people for putting out rumors, even if they're incorrect rumors. Like, okay, the guy said it. It was a wrong rumor. You let it go. That's what I thought at first. Until I found out some more about what was really going on, and it turns out that I understand the lawsuit, and it's something that had this happened to me, I would have never done what Scott Robin, a.k.a. Vital Vegas, apparently did. So I actually have a copy of the filing which was sent to me by somebody, in fact, the same somebody who informed me of the lawsuit, which I had no idea was taking place, and in fact has not been reported anywhere to my knowledge. This was filed in Las Vegas, and it was filed, uh, let's see, I don't see the date. I'm going to the bottom. Uh, let's see. 
Yeah, it was uh, on August 6th it was filed. So only a week after, only a week after they put out that angry tweet, they filed a lawsuit against Scott Robin, DBA Vital Vegas. And I will not read you the entire filing, but I'll read you some relevant parts. Comes now, Plaintiff Las Vegas Resort Holdings LLC, DBA Sahara Las Vegas, by through its counsel of record, Matthew J. Wheats, Esquire, hereby complains against Scott Robin, DBA Vital Vegas. Plaintiff Las Vegas Resort Holdings was was uh, a business uh, with was a Delaware LLC with a principal place of holding a business at uh, 2535 Las Vegas Boulevard, South Las Vegas, which is Sahara's address. And then they talk about how Scott Robin lives in Las Vegas. and They're basically establishing the venue, which I believe is correct because this is all involving Las Vegas. And uh, here's the general allegations. LVRH operates one of the oldest properties in Las Vegas Strip, the Sahara Las Vegas. The Sahara is a hotel brand dating back to Las Vegas' golden era. True. In 2018, LVRH was acquired by new owners. At the time of acquisition, the property was branded the SLS Las Vegas. LVRH subsequently rebranded the property to its original name, investing millions of dollars renovating and remarketing the property under the historic brand Sahara Las Vegas. That's all true. Since the rebranding in August 2019... LVRH continues to invest substantial energy and money revitalizing and marketing the property of the Sahara Las Vegas brand, including investment in room upgrades, equipment purchases, strategic partnerships, blah, blah, blah. This is all true. In fact, they opened a, a pretty nice, albeit small, new poker room that's gotten a lot of good press and unfortunately is struggling thanks to the uh, coronavirus, but uh, it, it is back open. But uh, that was the first new poker room to open in Vegas in a long time because Vegas has been closing poker rooms, not opening them. I'm talking about before the coronavirus. And they opened their poker room in 2019, and it has a good rep. So it is true that they have put a lot of money into trying to get the Sahara back relevant again. On information and belief, defendant owns and operates a website and Twitter account under the brands VitalVegas and VitalVegas.com. Defendant promotes his website as a source for, quote, the essential news information you need to get get the most from your next Las Vegas visit. Defendant self-proclaims that one of the most baffling things about VitalVegas.com is we're just one person, Scott Robin, although we speak about ourselves in the first person plural. So that's basically defending that if he were to try to claim others wrote it, they're, they're pointing out right here in this lawsuit that he's saying it's one person. He's saying Vital Vegas is him. On July 30th, 2020, defendant published an article on his website with a headline, Sahara Las Vegas to close permanently per sources. A copy of the article is attached The article's layout begins with the headline and continues, We knew Sahara Las Vegas was in trouble, but according to industry sources familiar with the long-struggled casino, it's even worse than we thought. Sahara is expected to close permanently in September 20th, in September 2020, per our sources. Yeah, we sort of went into shock too, not temporarily, permanently. And then... Following the quoted text, there was a photograph of the Sahara's interior creating a visible break between the text quoted and the allegation from the remainder of the article, such that the average reader would believe that the article ended after the above quotation. Uh, at the time the headline was published, defendant had not ma- attempted nor made an attempt to contact LVRH or its representatives by either, to either verify or seek comment on whether Sahara would in fact be closing. That is, uh, that's a pretty big mistake on uh, Scott's part there. 
before publishing that he should have. He should have called up, and even if they wouldn't tell him anything, at least attempt to find out. Say, hey, I heard you guys are closing on September 1st. Is this true? And even if the operator says, no, no, we're not closing. Okay, well, Sahara denies it. That's all he has to put. Uh, but But he didn't. But you may say still, okay, this sounds pretty bad that Sahara is jumping on him for just putting out that one article. But it gets much worse for Scott, not for Sahara. They wrote, at no point since taking ownership has LVRH contemplated permanently closing the Sahara. The fallout from the headlines publication was widespread. LVRH has had to expend considerable effort assuring worried employees that Zahara was not closing, many of whom were already concerned about their jobs as a result of the current coronavirus pandemic. Casino hosts were contacted by customers in Florida, Texas, and California expressing concern over the article, inquiring if they should cancel their trips. I believe that. There's got to be people reading this going, oh, crap, I've got a trip in September. I've got a trip in October. Maybe I shouldn't come. Maybe I should cancel and book elsewhere that's not going to close. LVRH's convention and sales team received several inquiries from clients expressing concern over the article, specifically that Sahara would close before their event and indicating they may ask for the deposits back. Vendors and business partners have since expressed a lack of confidence that Sahara would remain as a going concern. Now, I believe all this. A lot of times in these lawsuits, they'll try to invent damages that aren't really true, invent incidents that didn't really happen, exaggerate. I think this is mostly true because they have a good following, Vital Vegas. There's probably others that retweeted it, and the word got around. So, yeah, of course, if you have a reservation there for after September or a convention planned after September, you're going, hmm, I think I better switch elsewhere. I don't want to take this chance. It's a very logical thing. And the employee is going, crap, it's hard enough to get and keep a job right now. I don't want to be blindsided by this in in September. So. I can imagine a lot of people were very concerned, and I can see why Sahara was so bothered by this if they really had no plans to close, which appears to be the case. And here we are on September 4th, and of course they're not closed. The concern that Sahara will close continues to cause harm after contacting defendants, I don't know why it's his defendants, there's only one defendant, informing them that the article had no truth to it, defendants revised and republished the article. In the revised article, defendant doubled down on his false and defamatory statements by failing to correct and alluding that the underlying information in the original article were not false. Wow. Now that's where he made the biggest mistake. That's that's where he screwed himself. That's where I lose all sympathy for him. Because I... When these things happen where I can picture maybe it could happen to me one day, I put myself in that person's shoes and I say, okay, would I have done this? Okay, maybe. Would I have done this? Okay, maybe. So let's say it was me. Let's say someone came to me and said, Psst, I have a rumor for you. Sahara's going to close in September. And let's say I put out there, hey, I heard a rumor Sahara's going to close in September. And then let's say that uh, I put it out there without contacting Sahara. I probably would have, but there's a chance I wouldn't have. Maybe I would have just put it out. I didn't feel like calling or felt that they were going to deny it, so there's no point to call. Okay? So up till there, it's mostly understandable how this happened. But where I would have never made the same mistake is if Sahara contacted me and said, hey, we're very concerned about this. Don't put this out there. It's harming us. It's harming our business. It's scaring customers away. It's scaring employees. Please put out a correction. At that point, I would have said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this. I really thought it was true. I thought the source was reliable. I guess they were not. I'm very sorry about this. I will put a correction out immediately. And even if I don't 100% believe them, as long as I think there's like some chance they're telling the truth, I would have put out a correction. 
Number one, because it's the right thing to do, because it has real consequences. And number two, because I would not want to get sued. When the company contacts you, when a large company, which can easily afford to sue you, contacts you and says, you have said something untrue about us, and you know you can't prove that what you said is true, and that they might be able to prove that what you said is untrue, that's when you immediately back down and correct it. And that's what I would have done. I would not put out articles that are implying that I was right all along. But they're alleging that's what he did. And that is where I lose the sympathy for him because it looks like from that point he created his own problems. That had had he put out a correction, they would have just dropped it. So on August 2nd, 2020, according to the lawsuit, it says defendant again updated the article implying that because past rumors he reported on were true, that the false statements in the original article were true. Basically, hey, I've been right before when people were denying it, so I, I bet I'm not wrong here. Defendant continued publishing statements that, when taken in context with the original article, can only be read as designed to perpetuate the false statement that Sahara would permanently close. For example, the publication of the head- after the following the publication of the headline, defendant posted a tweet on his Vital Vegas account where he made the following statement. Today, in, quote, nothing to see here, word is Sahara has pulled the plug on discounts and incentive programs for its big players. So there's that. So you see what that's implying. First, he's saying they're going to close. Then he's basically saying, hey, I I don't think I'm wrong here. I still think they're closing. And then he says, oh, well, word on the street is that they're pulling comps from people and people aren't getting much incentive to come anymore, even if they're big players. Uh, Yeah, nothing to see here, folks. Nothing to see. (laughs) You know what he's trying to say. They knew what he's trying to say. So they're like, well, freaking asshole. (laughs) Sahara's watching this going, he's like needling us. What the hell? We told him we're not closing, and he's just continuing with this and continue, continuing with his sarcastic tweets, putting out more false rumors. So they say, the tweet makes a definitive statement of fact about Sahara, namely that it's no longer offering certain incentives to its most valuable customers. At the time the tweet was published, defendant had not, nor made an attempt to, contact LVRH or its representatives to either verify or seek comment on whether the statement was true or not. At the time the tweet was published, Sahara had not ceased offering discounts or incentives to big players. With the damage from the headline still unfolding, the tweet exacerbated the damage caused by the headline. The tweet and other subsequent statements of fact made on Twitter and VitalVegas.com are part of a larger intentional scheme by defendant to disparage plaintiff and cause irreparable harm. So it really did seem like it was kind of like a war. It was like he was mad that they fired back and uh, tried to make him look like a fool. So he kind of went on a quest in early August to make it look like he was right all along. And every time he heard something that would kind of support his belief that they were closing, he put that out there. So if someone must have told him, hey, guess what? I saw what you tweeted. Well, the comps I'm getting aren't as good anymore. They've lowered my comps. Oh, they're lowering your comps. Okay, I'm going to put that out. Hey, guys, nothing to see here. They're just lowering everybody's comps. wonder why that's happening. <laughs> so I can totally see how this happened. He got, like, emotionally invested in proving himself right and Sahara wrong because they clowned him. And Sahara just wasn't having it, and the next week they filed a lawsuit. So they filed various causes of action in this lawsuit, which are very common in this type of thing. Defamation by trade libel, false light, conspiracy, which sounds worse than it is. That's very common in these types of lawsuits. Uh, Business disparagement, injunctive relief. So with all this said, Traderuski, how much do you think they're asking for in this lawsuit? $100 million. (laughs) 
Well, you know, a lot of these lawsuits do have outrageous amounts of money asked for, where you'll see amounts of like one million dollars. You'll see that. You'll even sometimes see one hundred billion dollars. And you'll commonly see things like 20 million, 30 million. Like, look at the lawsuits against Possel and Stone. They were like for 20 million, 10 million. And these are very common. A lot of times there's like an eye popping number that they know that they'll never get, but it's designed to scare the defendant. Now, suing for an eye popping number like that can backfire because it can make the case look less serious and it can actually piss off some judges. But. It has been an increasing tactic I've seen in civil lawsuits that they are filed this way with just massive amounts. But uh, you'll be surprised to know that the amount of money being asked for from Vital Vegas in this case is $15,000. That's not pocket change, but that's not very much money. Now, they are asking for punitive and deterrent damages. And they also want reasonable attorney's fees, and they want interest, and they want permanent injunctive relief, basically telling them they can't do this anymore. So it could be more than 15000 They want 15000 plus punitive damages and uh, court costs and attorney's fees. But I'm surprised. I'm surprised that's all they're shooting for, because I could actually believe they suffered much more than fifteen k in damages. Now, it's possible that... The Scott Robin guy can't afford to pay much more than 15000 They feel like maybe the fear was that if they win a gigantic judgment against him, that it's going to look bad, that they're pounding someone with a massive judgment or even a massive lawsuit, just one individual who wrote something bad about them. So maybe this Drop, is... is that – could it be possible that that's the small claims uh, cap in Vegas? Uh, it could be. Let me, let me see. Uh that's a good idea, but let me see. This is they a, may have just done that. No, it's not small claims. No, oh, it's no. actually not. It's it's in the eighth judicial judicial district court in the Clark County. Yeah, that's a that's a good guess, but no. In fact, uh, in fact, I know it couldn't be because he couldn't get the punitive damages. Then in small claims, you, you're just uh, suing for an amount, and you either get it or you get it, you don't, or you get something in the middle. They they never give punitive damages above that. So. Yeah, I mean that was a good guess. I think that may be the limit in California right now, fifteen k. But yeah, I think it might have just went up. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's only fifteen thousand. I, I think this is more because they don't want to look bad. I think they want to kind of win a moral judgment against him that they can flaunt, like, hey, look, we want a lawsuit, or also force him to come forward with an apology and a retraction. Because that, that could be an eventual result of this if he doesn't want to fight it, that he'll just say, okay, okay, what do I got to do? Okay, look, we won't even ask any money from you. Just put out an article that you were full of crap the whole way. <laughs> and he'll kind of be browbeated to doing it. The truth is here, it looks like they're in the right because they made attempts to tell him to stop, and he just kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And I was told, this is not in the lawsuit, but I was told that he even appeared on TV on some local news station, and repeated the same allegation. So it does look like they said, hey, uh, can you please take that back? And he gave them a big fat middle finger, which I think, again, has to do with the fact that they wrote that tweet. And then it became kind of a war. And this is what, if you're going to go to a war with a big corporation like this, 
with the right to say something about them, you better be damn sure what you're saying is true. You could prove it because otherwise you might be facing a lawsuit. If you have something you know you could prove, then you you can say, okay, if they try to sue me, then I will fight it and I'll win. You may wonder, could he get any kind of relief through anti-slap? I've discussed anti-slap before on this show. It doesn't exist in every state, but it does exist in Nevada. It began, it began in California. It is something I support. Anti-slap is meant to fight lawsuits which are frivolous and meant to discourage free speech. What was found was that big companies have been known to threaten lawsuits over uh, trivial matters to silence someone who's saying something bad about them. And even if the company knows they're going to lose, if they've got full-time attorneys working anyway on a salary, then it costs them very little to do. And they know that the people who they're suing don't have the same resources. They don't have a full-time attorney already working for them. It's going to cost them a ton of money to defend. And the people can get very scared and back down, and it can be a lot of expense to even get it dismissed before it goes to trial. Like, it's just you you don't want a big company with basically unlimited legal resources coming after you. That's the truth. So this started happening where people's free speech was being interfered with by companies that could easily afford to hit people with lawsuits, even frivolous ones. They, They just find some flimsy reason to sue even if it's not directly about what the person says and then eventually use that lawsuit to browbeat them into either being quiet or publishing a retraction so anti-slap was something put in place to make it quick and easy to respond to these and to where if you win the anti-slap motion you get all your attorney fees back from the other side so this way if you are correct and it is dismissed on an anti on in your anti-slap motion then they have to pay all the money you spent getting it dismissed. So that's also a deterrent for those that want to file these frivolous lawsuits. So on its face, this might appear to be something that anti-slap could work because uh, this is attempting to silence his speech about them closing. Remember, he tried to say, hey, there's a rumor they're going to close, and now they're heading with a lawsuit for saying they're going to close. So you could say this is an interference in free speech, but I think that could only work if they smacked him with a lawsuit as soon as he wrote that. But it looks like they gave him an opportunity to respond and to correct himself and to say, sorry, I was wrong, and they were going to drop it. And instead, he kind of saw it as a challenge and just kept uh, trying to prove he was right and was basically giving him a big fat middle finger. And at that point... They filed suit saying, hey, look, we're suffering real damages from this, and he won't stop even though we've made it clear to him that what he wrote isn't true. And it's hard for me to defend anything he's done in that regard. Because you have to say, hey, what if I am wrong? Forget the fear of being sued. Let's look at it morally. Like, what if you're wrong? What if the person who gave you that information is incorrect? Even if it wasn't intentional. What if you just got bad information that was even given to you in good faith? Now you are causing harm to those who work there, to those who are considering going there, who's planned trips around there, conventions to go there, whatever. You are causing a lot of hassle and, in some cases, harm to those people. 
and to the whole company itself. And you shouldn't want to do that. You should say, I do not want to cause harm with rumors I'm putting out if those rumors are not true. I had to deal with this exact situation, not involving a casino, but with an individual. And, of course, I regret now that I made the decision I did. But in 2008, it was told to me, nobody knows this yet. I had some insiders from these companies telling me this, but I had one particular insider who was very reliable telling me, this isn't public yet, but the person very likely behind the cheating accounts on UB was Russ Hamilton. I said, really? Russ Hamilton, the 90s bracelet winner? Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. He's very involved. He's one of the owners of UB, and it is believed he is the one who's been doing it. Nobody had heard this. This was not out yet anywhere. Nobody knew who was cheating on UB yet. This is just when the UB scandal was being made public. The AP scandal was the previous year. That one I was very involved with. The UB scandal, uh, that was new and I wasn't that involved with it, but I was a victim of it and I was given this piece of information. So I made it a front page article on Everyone Poker that Russ Hamilton was likely the UB cheater and was one of the owners of UB. Well, Russ Hamilton flipped out, called Neverwin, the only person whose phone number he had of those who were associated with Neverwin Poker, and screamed at him that he wants to talk to us. So Neverwin gave the number to me. I called Russ, and he yelled at me the whole time about how the DOJ is going to breathe down his ass, that he doesn't want it publicly. He's one of the UB owners. He would never do this cheating. This is absurd. He doesn't know who told me this, but this is crazy. I'm ruining his reputation. I, I'm, uh, you know, that I'm, this is going to have terrible consequences for him. Uh, please take it down. Please take it. So I said, okay, I'm sorry. I, maybe I was given bad information. Yeah, you better believe you were. Okay, okay, I'll take it down. I took it down. It was probably up for... Uh, Half a day and was down. So I was the first one to ever post that Russ Hamilton was the UB cheater. And then I was scared into taking it down because Russ Hamilton, who is known to be a big-time liar, as we I learned later, just naturally lies so well that he had me at least partially convinced that the rumor was incorrect. I wasn't 100% convinced, but I, it was enough doubt to where I said, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but... I have enough doubt to where I'm not going to ruin this man over it. So I took it down. Now, in that case, it turned out it was right. And it turned out that I could have had the big scoop. But oh well. I still, in hindsight, I did the right thing, not knowing what the truth was yet. Of course, if I could have traveled to the future, even the near future, and seen what was going to follow, then I would have left it up. And he would have never sued me because uh, he was guilty. And it would have come out that he was guilty. But I had no way to know that yet. Similarly, when you get contacted by the Sahara and they say, we are not closing, absolutely not, you've got bad info, at that point you back down. Even if they tried to clown you on Twitter, you back down. You don't turn it into a Twitter pissing contest. But he did. And now there's a lawsuit. If you would like to read a copy of this filing... You can. It is on Poker Fraud Alert. If you go to the Casinos and Las Vegas forum and look up the thread, which is called, uh, let me see here. It is called Sahara Takes Vital Vegas to Task for Saying They're Going to Close. 
That's in the casino in Las Vegas forum on Poker Fraud Alert. If you scroll down a bit, the, the thread was created in July. If you scroll down a bit, you'll see the September 1st posts I made, including a PDF, a link to the PDF of the filing. And you can read it all for yourself, which I know we have some attorneys that listen to this show. I know that you're going to be interested in reading it. And if you guys have any comment on this, the attorneys who listen to this show, I'd be interested to hear that as well. So you can text me that or message me on Twitter, DM, whatever way you typically talk to me. To me, this is very interesting. And it was something that was kind of unnerving at first. And I go, oh, okay, never mind. This isn't going to affect me. I would never behave this way. Whenever I worry something's going to affect me, if upon learning about it, I go, oh, I would never behave this way, then I go, okay, not going to affect me. It's kind of like like when I see someone dries of a drug overdose. Like, oh, that's too bad. That's too bad the person couldn't get their drug problem under control. But I don't fear, like, oh, my God, what if that happens to me? Because I don't do drugs. So I think, okay, well, it's sad, but it's not something I ever have to worry about because I will not do this. So similarly, I guarantee if a large company contacts me and seems to be pretty certain that something I said about them wasn't true and that I could not prove it's true, I will back down. <laughs> because the right thing to do and because it is very legally risky not to. Okay, well, here's somebody who is definitely not worried about legal risk because this is a scammer. And I say he's a scammer because he's a scammer, and if ever forced to prove it, I easily could because he's, made, he's told so many lies on his YouTube channel that have been debunked by various people that it would be very easy to show that he's misrepresented himself and his services to where one could safely call him a scammer. I don't think he could ever uh, prove in court that he's providing a legitimate service that he sold in an honest way and promoted in an honest fashion. I'm talking about Christopher Mitchell, Baccarat coaching scammer Christopher Mitchell. We've had segments about him before on this show, and... In case you didn't hear those, I'm going to do just a very quick rundown of who he is and what he's about. We even had a call recently from Jeff Dime, who does some YouTube videos now and did some about Christopher Mitchell. Christopher Mitchell is in his early 40s and lives in Las Vegas. He has kind of an interesting history, which we can only figure out from piecing things together and from stuff he's said. And you never know what he says is true or not true. In fact, more often it's not true. But this is definitely someone with somewhat of a troubled early life. I don't know how much of it is his fault and how much is his family's fault. But uh, uh, he claimed that uh, he lost his mother at an early age and that his father was abusive and he was kicked out of his home at 15. Uh, what we do know for sure is that he ended up doing some softcore gay porn in his earlier years, like when he was... Uh, both when he was pretty young and also when he was like in his early 30s, like 10 years ago. He likes to say it was all when he was 18, but that's not true. There were videos found of him from 2010 when he's clearly older than some of the other videos when he was much younger. I think you, you can look at these videos released in 2010 and see they were filmed around 2010 because he, he already has a receding hairline. He, he looks like early 30s. Like, you know, this was not an 18-year-old thing only. But... Uh, he did this because he was desperate for money. And he also has said, and I believe in his videos, that he was involved in multi-level marketing a lot in the past. In fact, we've, in fact, we found evidence that he was, and he's admitted he was, 
multi-level marketing is pretty much a scam. Multi-level marketing is where you're selling the opportunity to sell a product. The product is not so good that it sells itself. You've, you've got to sell the opportunity to sell it. And it becomes much more about selling the opportunity to sell than selling the product itself, which, of course, right there is very shady. Now, this is not a new thing. It's existed for many decades. And, in fact, in the late 70s, when multi-level marketing became a big problem and a lot of people were getting ripped off by it, they passed some laws in the United States, some federal laws, that uh, made it tougher to do this, but not tough enough. So there's still plenty of multi-level marketing crap out there, some of which is semi-legitimate, things like Avon, and some of which is it's really, really shady where the, quote, product you're selling is garbage. Basically, the way around the law is that as long as you're selling something, then you're legal. If you're, if you're just selling the opportunity to sell, but there is no product, then it's illegal, then it's a pyramid scheme. But if you're selling a product, even if the product is crap and it's very overpriced and nobody would want it otherwise, then it's legal technically. And they shouldn't allow that. There should be uh, much tougher laws on that. We've talked about multi-level marketing before on this show. And I still challenge anyone to show me a multi-level marketing organization that really is completely on the level. They all have some degree of shadiness to them. As I said, some much worse than others. I don't know which ones Christopher Mitchell was involved with, but he was involved with it before. It seems like he's moved on. He also was involved in some sort of uh, real estate thing, which I I don't know much about. Uh, I, I know about real estate. I just don't know about what he was doing. But there's a lot of shady people involved in, in real estate things as well. There, there's a lot of kind of get-rich-quick stuff that certain industries people will stick to who are – get-rich-quick, scammy types, and uh, multi-level marketing is a very big one, and some sort of real estate involvement is another big one. Now, a real estate career itself is fine. There's very many legitimate real estate careers one can get involved with, and that's totally fine. There's nothing shady about that at all. But then there's kind of these fringe versions of uh, real estate careers that, uh, that are basically scams. And it looks like he was involved in some of that stuff, too. But I, I don't know much about that. But he said he's been involved with multi-level marketing before. More recently, it looks like he moved on to gambling scams, which looks like he found accidentally. Looks like he was a degenerate gambler. And then he came up with what he calls systems. Now, systems never work. They never work. You, you can come up with any betting system you want. It'll never work in the long run unless you can mathematically show why it's positive expectation. And by mathematically, I mean if you work out, if you do this a billion times, will you come out ahead by the odds? I say a billion because that smooths out the variance. So if you do what you're doing right now a billion times, what will your results be? Will they be positive or negative? And if you can do a billion simulations showing you'll be positive, then you are doing something that is positive expectation for you. If it does not show positive, then you are not likely to win. And in fact, you're probably going to lose. You're probably going to lose a lot. People come up with gambling systems because they, they convince themselves that they know how to beat the casinos, that, the, that they can come up with a way to bet or to structure the 
you know, you bet this if this happens, bet this if that happens. I don't mean things like card counting. I mean just based upon previous results of the hand. Well, if it lost, okay, now you bet this time. He's not going to lose this many times in a row. It's due to win. There's a lot of stupid theories which just aren't true that ignore the fact that future outcome in these games has nothing to do with past outcome. It's like flipping a coin. If you flip a coin, provided there's nothing wrong with the coin, and it comes out heads eight times in a row, that doesn't mean the next time's more or less likely to be heads again. It's the same chance. And some people don't get that. So the people will come out with systems trying to beat that. Wait, that's what that's what the Iceman told Bellagio Security. They weren't going for it, Trump. <laughs> that's right. Well, at least, the, at least the Iceman was doing something positive expectation. Those coins were rigged. At least, uh, at least he wasn't, uh, at least he wasn't uh, chasing after a bunk system, just a scammy system. Anyway, Christopher Mitchell was doing the Martingale system, which is one of the most infamous betting systems where you just double your bet each time you lose with the theory that all you have to do is win once and you've got your original bet plus everything back that you lost. So if your original bet's $2, you just keep doubling it. And then when you finally win one, even if you've lost eight in a row, when you finally win that ninth one, now that you have all your money back, but you also have $2 more than what you started with. And then this way, if you win, then you've just won. So you just keep adding two, 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 and you, you end up with a lot of money, or not a lot, but you, you end up with profit. So let's say you start with 100, then you can add up 100, 100, 100, 100, and end up with a lot of money very fast. So that is the Martingale strategy, and that is something that Christopher Mitchell has been promoting, and many charlatans have promoted as far as a, a way to beat the casino long term. And... That doesn't work because the, the huge flaw in it is that once in a while you're going to have a backbreaking streak where you lose a ton of them in a row to where you don't have the bankroll to continue. It's basically a reverse insurance thing where you're going to win a small amount a bunch of times and then win a huge amount once in a while that wipes out everything that you had won and more. So that's why that doesn't work. Now, if you're just doing this recreationally or you're doing it to, to generate comps or whatever, that's a different story. As long as you, you have the bankroll and you understand what the losses are and you understand the way the whole thing works. But I'm talking about as a real moneymaker for yourself, the Martingale is not going to work and it's eventually going to eat you. And Christopher Mitchell not only didn't understand that, but he was selling it as a system and he was charging a lot of money for between 1000 and $2,500 to people to come in and have him coach them how to martingale bet. And he threw in a little, uh, a few extra wrinkles to it. Uh, you only spend uh, 20 minutes in each casino. Never explained why and why that matters, but <laughs> you only spend 20 minutes in each casino. You only, uh, you leave after you've won this much in each casino if you if you break out to a win fast. Uh, you never place any kind of side bet. You, you only do any kind of bet that, that can exactly double your money. So he'll come up with things like that, which... None of this helps you. In fact, some of this hurts you. You should see his blackjack strategy. is hilarious. It's saying don't ever double down. Uh, don't ever split. Uh, d- don't ever hit and bust, which is crazy. So th- he mainly has been promoting Baccarat. He used to do more of blackjack, but he kind of started focusing more on Baccarat. And Baccarat, I think he focuses on this more because it's easy to teach people because you don't really have to learn much. You just put your money down 
and then the casino does everything for you because there's no decisions in Baccarat other than what you originally bet. It just plays out, and you're, you're dealt uh, you're dealt two cards, and then you can be dealt another card. And, and basically, the the goal is to get to nine, with face cards being worth zero, tens and faces being worth zero. So you're trying to make your cards together all equal nine. And uh, and if it's more than nine, it wraps around. So like an eight and a four would be two instead of twelve. And whoever's closest to nine wins. And if you both have nine, there's you there you know the, you can choose also who to bet on the quote banker or the quote player, and you can be either one. And whichever one you bet on, whichever one ends up with a higher total, wins. And if they have a tie, then you get your money back. And you can also bet on a tie too. Now, there's a casino edge because there's a certain commission the casino takes. I, I won't explain the whole game. You can look it up if you want. But it's a simple game, and it's one that doesn't require any strategy. It's not like blackjack where you have to learn a bunch of things. You do this. If that happens, you do this. If this happens, with Baccarat, you just put your money down, say, you know, player or banker, and then the casino does all the work. So he has been taking around people around with Baccarat coaching. Now, you can beat Baccarat in some ways. But it can be tough, and in some cases impossible. Phil Ivey infamously did through what was known as edge sorting, with the, ba- the backs of cards, you could see what was coming, and he had a partner there who was able to do it really, really well, and they would bet huge amounts when they knew certain cards were going to be dealt. Uh, also, there's been people who've come up with ways to card count Baccarat in some casinos. But that's not what Christopher Mitchell was doing. He's just going and playing regular Baccarat like anybody else and, and trying to beat it through betting systems, which never can work. It, it's mathematically impossible to work. And in fact, he was base betting and telling them to base bet $100 minimum, which induces tremendous variance. So not only is this going to be a loser in the long run, it's going to be a loser in the short run, too, because people just don't have the bankroll that they bring to these casinos to make the number of Martingale bets they need to make for when you have these bad runs. And I've explained all this before. Anyway, Christopher Mitchell is someone without any kind of real education. He's someone who's been a hustler his whole life, and he realized that he could just sell a dream. And I believe he actually believes that this works, and that he's just been very unlucky. That's why he hasn't won, which he doesn't tell people he hasn't won. He tells people he's a millionaire. But he believes that this is a working strategy, and that he's just had really bad luck. And that he just needs a bankroll to be able to keep on at this strategy and eventually they'll get him really rich like he claims to be. It's kind of like uh, you're sitting at a poker table with someone you're 100% sure is a fish. And they're just getting very lucky on you and beating you. And then they bust you and you you've, you don't have any further bankroll at this point. And you ask somebody, you know, hey, um, can I borrow some money? And I'll give you this piece of it because I'll, I'll crush this fish. I know if I if, if this fish stays with me, I'm, I'm going to eventually break him because I'm way better than him. And in poker, that's true. But Christopher Mitchell believes this about his own Baccarat play. So not only does he do these coaching scams, but he plays himself, which is very unusual. Most of these scammers, they will not play themselves when they do gambling scams because uh, they know what they're selling as a loser. It seems like Christopher Mitchell doesn't know that. He just lies about his results. And then he plays along with them, and he loses with them. So now, yes, they walk away the win- a winner sometimes, just like everybody will in Vegas. You know, people don't lose every single time in Vegas. So there will be customers who temporarily win, 
But there's a lot of people who lose big time, and, and Christopher Mitchell will only do the testimonials from those who have been winning. He, he records all of them on video. Uh, of course, we hear nothing about the ones who don't win, and sometimes he'll even put those up and we'll just never see the end of it. We just never see the results at the end, or he never interviews them at the end. And he just claims at the end they won. Uh, he, he also will delete any comments on his YouTube channel that are critical of him. Now, as you might imagine, people in the gambling community have been kind of outraged by him, and people have been speaking out against him. And we had one of those people on this show who goes by uh, Kevin Davis. We had him on here twice. He's the one who does it the most. Jeff Dime, who called up uh, a few shows ago, he's started doing it recently. He's made some good videos on his YouTube channel. Jeff Dime's kind of new at all this. He didn't have a YouTube channel before, but, but he's learning quickly. And he is now one of the uh, anti-Christopher Mitchell video makers. Uh, there's another guy named uh, Cheetos Baccarat, some guy uh, with, with an accent. I'm not sure where the accent's from, but uh, he does some videos about Christopher Mitchell. There's a number of, of Christopher Mitchell exposers out there. And we have a long thread on Poker Fraud Alert on the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum, now like 80-something pages, about all of Christopher Mitchell's follies. And people are making photoshops of him. It's pretty funny. You may want to go check that out. And a lot of new people have come to the forum that have found their way here because they Google Christopher Mitchell or they find their way here from some other way or from one of those videos that mentioned us. And uh, so a number of people have registered on this forum just to discuss Christopher Mitchell. So, and, and he's aware of this. He's aware of the threat on Poker Fraud Alert. He's aware of all the videos. He reads the thread here. He watches all these videos bashing him, and he, he hates it, and it upsets him very much. And it bothers him, and occasionally he'll make like a tilt video where he is really m- mad at those who are criticizing him, and then usually he'll take it down after a short time, realizing that's a bad look. But you guys probably know all of this if you've been listening to the shows recently. However, the reason I'm bringing this up again is because Christopher Mitchell is now claiming that He's done. And that's why we're having this segment. I said we're done with Christopher Mitchell stuff unless something big happens. Well, I'd say this is pretty big. Now, I realize that he never tells the truth and that this could be a gimmick. This could be a way just to drum up more business and have people think that he's quitting. And then when he comes back, Maybe it'll make people feel like there's more urgency to hire him because who knows when he'll quit again. There may be some angle to this, and I'll explain why I think there's a good chance. Uh, He sometimes has a hard time avoiding talking about those calling his thing a scam, which is funny because the smart scammer would just not acknowledge those who are criticizing them. Unless, like, if, if what you're saying is true and you could prove the haters wrong, then by all means do it, but he can't. And so the people calling it a scam are correct. And he knows, even if he believes in his system, he knows personally that his system hasn't worked for him. And he knows personally that he's lost a lot of money with his system, even if he attributes it to luck. So you would think he would just try to ignore those who say this, but instead he he can't help himself and will mention, some people think this is a scam. So he actually entitled the video, Christopher Mitchell Baccarat and Blackjack Scam is Over. (laughs) this is not the name of a video of someone who hates him this is his own video and it actually says on the title card of the video 
Baccarat and Blackjack expose scam is over. No way. Now I thought maybe this is I thought maybe this is a joke at first, but no. Listen to this. It's not a joke, at least for now. What's going on, YouTube family? Christopher Mitchell here from. He's pointing to his shirt that says "Change Your Life." His channel is called "Change Your Life Vlog." Change Your Life Vlog. You can look it up on YouTube. Change Your Life Vlog, and yes, it's true. The title of this video is true. Christopher Mitchell is done coaching clients. I am done selling my Baccarat and Blackjack winning strategies for good. Why? Did something happen? Did I get arrested? Am I going to jail? Did I get banned from casinos? None of the above. I have decided to do this for me and my family only. Yeah, sure. Actually, I have heard he's been getting banned from casinos, and that may have something to do with this. I've heard that uh, certain casinos have banned him. I think it was the Cosmo and uh, what was it? Uh, the Gold Coast? Something like that. Don't quote me on that. I may be wrong, but I, I think those are the ones that banned him, according to rumor I am hearing. Uh, we don't know for sure, and the casinos don't make this public, so we can only go by what we're told by people, which sometimes is incorrect, as Mr. Vital Vegas found out, but that's what I'm hearing. Uh, the casinos actually have a tough choice when it comes to him. They know what he's doing. They know he's bringing people in. And, and believe me, the, the, the people who hate Christopher Mitchell report him very often to these casinos and what he's pulling. So the casinos are all aware that he's claiming to have a Baccarat system and charging people and bringing these people in to follow this, quote, winning system, only to have it not be a winning system. And, and basically these people are being scammed for, for coaching money and they're being led to believe that they're gambling with an edge when they're not. So you can see both sides of it. Number one, the casino could believe that they don't want this because they don't want to be associated with this crap and they don't want to be kind of an accomplice and unwitting accomplice to a scammer. But on the other hand, they're making money from this. They're making Christopher's money that he's losing to them, and they're making the money of the customers who are losing to them. So Christopher Mitchell is bringing in customers at fairly high stakes to bet on Baccarat at negative expectation games. So, I mean, in a way, this is good for them. Not in a way. It definitely is good for them financially. But some might worry that this will come back on them, that the money won't be worth it, especially if it's been reported that they've been warned about him and they're still letting him play there and bring people in. It's one thing for him to keep playing, believing he has a winning strategy. That happens all the time. But for him to be charging people to coach them and bring them in, and really have it not be a winning strategy, and the casinos knowing he's doing it and allowing it and comping him, which they were and still are, that could look bad. So the rumor is that some casinos have decided they don't want this and have thrown him out. If I ran a casino, I would probably throw him out. I probably wouldn't want this. Just the whole moral implications of it. Again, it's one thing if someone's delusional and thinks they've come up with their own system to beat you. But it's another thing if they're selling it to somebody else. He's selling it to naive people who don't know better. And that's a whole different matter. So I do think this might have to do... Remember, he is a degenerate gambler, and he doesn't want to be banned from everywhere. So it might have to do with the fact that 
he's been banned from a few places for bringing these customers in. And they said, this is why you're gone. And he may have decided, okay, I've only got a few left, so I don't want to risk getting banned again. It's also possible he got threatened by some casinos that, hey, we're not banning you yet, but if we see you, if we see you bring in any more clients, you're gone. And at that point, he's quitting. So it might be that. So uh, it is true. It is exclusive. It is world-breaking news. And um, it's something that I've actually been thinking about for probably the last two months because so many people around the world have been wanting my personal coaching service that I've had no time for myself or for my family. And I would say... The clinching moment that really made me say, hey, this is it, is the last week celebrating my uh, anniversary with my wife when I took an entire week off and my wife and my son and I, we just spent the whole week together. You know, I did very, very, very little gambling. I did zero coaching sessions whatsoever. I just spent time uh, with my family. This is such a cliche reason to quit something. How many times have you seen someone leave some sort of public position, some kind of public-facing position at a company where they have to give some kind of explanation of where they're going and why they're leaving? And it's always to spend time with my family. And then you find out that's not why. You find out there was a, some real problem going on there where they, they had to leave or they were forced out or they couldn't stand being there anymore. It's, it's never to spend time with the family. Every once in a while it is, but it's, usually when someone says to spend time with their family, they're presenting a reason that's hard to argue with when in reality there's a real reason behind what they're doing. And it was very refreshing. Before I launched my YouTube channel, my wife and I were together every single day. And um, if you guys go back to the first video I ever published on my YouTube channel, Change Your Life Vlog, it actually had nothing to do with coaching people gambling in the casino. It had nothing to do with that whatsoever. My channel, Change Your Life Vlog, I created this channel to help people change their lives. Because that's all my wife and I think about is helping people change their lives in whatever area we can. And this whole coaching people, teaching them how to win with Baccarat and Blackjack winning strategies... That happened by default. And let me tell you how it actually happened. So the very first video I posted on my YouTube channel was actually right before my son was born. And that video and the couple of videos after it, I launched it as a vlogging channel. I wanted to share my life with people. I wanted to help them. I wanted to educate them. I wanted to inspire them. Because with my background, if you're brand new to my channel and have no idea who I am, I had a pretty challenging life growing up. Uh, my dad divorced my mom, or I guess I should say my mom divorced my dad when I was young, but that's because my dad cheated on my mom. So my mom became a single mother, and she struggled, as most single mothers do, and she died of cancer, or should I say stress, when I was only nine years old. So then my dad regained custody of me and my brother. My dad was violently abusive. At the age of 15, he kicked me out on the street, and I became homeless as a freshman in high school. And from there, I've bounced around all over the country. I've moved over 100 times in my life. I've lived in 10 different states, and I've been homeless in five of them. Yeah, let's stop here. It is very easy to feel bad for him and say, okay, you know, yeah, he ended up growing up to be a, a hustler and, and a scammer, but 
this guy had such a tough life, he never really had someone around to guide him and to direct him to do the right thing. So maybe we can feel for him. Let me tell you, I've known of a number of people over the years who have turned out to be scammers that had a very similar life story that they would claim was true. And then when you'd find out the real situation, it was nothing like it. And uh, scammers have often said one or both of their parents have died. One or both of their parents have been abusive. They were kicked out of their home as teenagers. These are all straight out of the scammer life story to feel bad for them. Now, that's not to say this is never true. Uh, People get to where they are in life sometimes because of tough early circumstances, and then they get themselves on the wrong path, and then even when given the opportunity to correct it, they just don't because they're – they just uh, don't have the moral code in, in, built in them. Forget their upbringing. They, just, they, they know it's wrong, but they just uh, are greedy and want to continue. To they, they don't change themselves. So I'm not even using this as an excuse, even if it's true. But I'm not even sure if this is true. I think it's possible he was bouncing around the country and got kicked out of where he was living, but it's possible that he was just an awful kid and his dad couldn't stand it and finally threw him out. Who knows? Like, there's... A lot of different things that could have happened that could have led to him being estranged from his family and bouncing around. Uh, it is possible that his mom did die. It is possible that that kind of was the beginning of him drifting into not being a, a stable person. That can have a big effect on kids, especially if they're old enough to be aware uh, not to be aware, but to really be attached to the parent. Like nine would be a very bad age to lose a parent. That could arguably be the worst age to lose a parent. But who knows what's true here? Who knows what's true? But even if it's all true, like you can't use this as an excuse. But he he always tries to say things to make you feel bad for him and also to relate to him and see him as... Uh, a human being that you can connect with and that you can admire and feel something for. And this He's basically spinning the story. I had a really, really tough life, and I've picked myself up, and I've become a successful millionaire. And no matter what your background is, I can help you do the same. That's what he's putting out here. And my whole life, I just wanted to help people change their lives. So... I wanted to teach people how to get in shape through working out, uh, teach people how to get in shape and cure illness, sickness, and disease through healthy eating. And I wanted to teach people just about how to pay less in taxes, you know, how to make more money by starting their own business, uh, set up business entities, LLCs, you know, holding companies, corporations. And then, of course, the vlogging aspect, I wanted just to show people my life, you know, coming from broken homelessness to now my wife and I are completely debt-free. We're financially free. We don't have jobs. We don't have bosses. We travel, and we have an amazing lifestyle. So that's what Change Your Life Law was about. It was simply a vlogging channel to share my life with you guys. And what happened was part of my life, I am a professional gambler. I do gamble for a living. I'm gambling almost every single day of the year, and most of the time I make quite a bit of money doing it. So early on in my YouTube channel, I started posting a couple videos. Hey, here I am at this casino, you know. I played Baccarat today and I made 3000 bucks. Here I am in this casino. I played Blackjack today and I made 2000 bucks. And I was just sharing my results with people. Never did I have any idea 
to start teaching people how I was winning in the casino. That was the farthest thing from my mind. But just by posting my results, hey, I'm in Chicago, hey, I'm in Atlantic City, I'm in Florida, I'm in Vegas, and posting my results, I started getting emails from people literally on a daily basis from all over the world. And here's what the emails would say. Hey, Christopher, I just saw your video that you made 2,000 bucks in a half hour. Listen, if I pay you, will you teach me how to do what you do? And then I would get two or three more emails later that day from completely separate people from separate parts of the world. See, that's the backstory here. He's claiming that he didn't intend to teach people about how to win at Baccarat Blackjack, that they demanded him, that they wanted him to teach them, and they would even pay him, that they are seeing how much he's winning and saying, Christopher, can you please help me? And he finds it, okay, okay, fine, I'll do coaching. I didn't really want to do coaching, but okay, I'll do coaching. And that's how he got into it. So it's important to say this because this way you see him as not a scammer or someone who's trying to do this out of opportunity, but he's doing it because the people demanded it. And they will say, Christopher, if I give you a 1000 bucks, will you teach me to do what you did? Hey, Christopher, do you sell your winning strategies? And these emails started coming in on a daily basis. Now, there may be an element of truth is this, like a small element of truth that he brags on his channel, oh, I won all this money gambling, and then he gets emails going, hey, can you show me how to win money gambling? And he's like, oh, wait a minute, something to sell, something to sell. Like, I, I have a feeling maybe he got the idea to sell it from people asking him, can you show us how to win like you do? He was just bragging on his channel about wins that uh, may not even have been actual wins, but he's bragging about wins. And then people said, hey, can you show us how to win? And he's like, oh, wait a minute. Yes. Yes, I can. For money. And because I want to help people change their lives, I started agreeing to put together some different winning strategies and sell them to people to help them win in the casino. And that's how that kind of happened. And then it, of course, evolved. My channel started growing more and more every single day, which it still is all over the world. And more and more people email me every single day. And over the last couple of months since the casinos have started opening back up after the shutdown, so many people from around the world through Skype and Facebook Messenger, online video coaching, and then, of course, people driving and flying to Vegas to meet me in person for my personal one-on-one -on -one coaching. So many people have requested my coaching over the last few months that I've had zero time for myself or my family, and it's exhausting. Okay, here, question. Simple question. If you have no time for your family, there's such high demand for your coaching, isn't there a middle ground where you could do half as much coaching as you did before, spend the other half of the time with your family, that you'll still get a lot of family time, and you'll still make money, and the public's need to be coached will have been met, at least partially met? Why is it either spend every waking moment coaching or do no coaching? Why is there no... Just do less coaching. Why? I'll tell you why. Because this is a lie. This is a lie. He's not coaching every day. He has had some real clients. That's true. But he's not coaching every day, and he's not doing this to have more time with his family. And I have met some amazing people over the last year by coaching people and teaching them my winning strategies. And some of those people, they might be in my life for the rest of my life as close friends and acquaintances now. So I've had a... Great time meeting so many of you from around the world. And I want to thank you guys for all of your love and support. And then, of course, for all the people I do help, you always, 
I would say for every 100 people I help, you probably have one or two dead broke douchebag losers that are jealous of my success. Uh, here it comes. So they want to spread lies about you. They want to say I'm a scam artist. They... Yep. Us dead broke loser deadbeat haters. That's me. That's me. I'm saying he's a scammer. I guess I'm jealous and I'm dead broke and I'm a deadbeat and I'm a hater. Yes, Christopher, I am jealous that you go into casinos and play negative expectation Baccarat with no way to make it positive expectation, no understanding of positive expectation gambling at all, and you think that nonsense betting systems will make you rich, and you lose, and you charge other people to lose. I am jealous of that, because you know, all I do, Christopher, is I play poker against people and win money as a good poker player. Oh, if only I could play negative expectation Baccarat and support myself that way. The jealousy. You just want to say nonsense. They want to hide behind a computer screen. They won't even show you their faces. And I always tell people, listen, if somebody is making a video but won't even show you who they are, obviously they've got something to hide. They are more than likely probably the scam artists because... Why won't they show you their face? Why? Well, I have an answer. Uh, he's talking about two people here, mainly Kevin Davis, but also Jeff Dime. Uh, both of them do videos, and both of them don't present themselves in the video or uh, give uh, their real names. Well, I understand this, actually. And I'll tell you who definitely can understand this, and that would be A. Hoosier A, a.k.a. Lee Bradbury, who we've had on the show, who Christopher Mitchell slapped a false restraining order against, claiming that Lee was Kevin, who he's not. Lee and Kevin are two totally separate people who, who barely knew each other and only knew each other through these uh, this Christopher Mitchell thread on Poker Fraud Alert. Other than that, they didn't know each other existed before that. But uh, Christopher actually filed a restraining order against Lee, uh, believing that this was him and would not believe or at least said he wouldn't believe that this isn't him, and he, and he was proceeding with it. So this is uh, what happens is uh, frivolous legal action is taken against people who give their real identities, like Lee did. Lee sent an email or a Facebook message to one of uh, Christopher's customers, and Lee did it under his own name, and then Christopher decided, okay, well, that has to be who Kevin is, and, and uh, filed a restraining order against him. So this is why. This is why to hide, because... You have these frivolous court actions taken against you if you say who you are. Now, with that said, it's known who I am, and I am stating what I am because what I'm stating is the truth, and if needed, I would prove it. And if needed, I would file that anti-slap motion that I've talked about to dismiss any lawsuit and force uh, Mr. Mitchell to have to cough up any legal fees I'd have to pay. And I'd very gladly do that, and I could afford to do that, and I would do that, and he would get killed in the discovery process because uh, he's made so many false claims that uh, one could easily call him a scammer and get away with it because that is the truth, because that is what he's doing, and he's selling a system that doesn't work, that's mathematically impossible to work, and makes false claims about his results and your expected results. I would say that's a scam. I would say that once that came out in court, which it would have to in the discovery process, he would be dead in the water. In fact, it wouldn't even get that far. So uh, I do have my name to this, and uh, I've offered that Christopher can come on this show and debate me any time. And uh, I've even offered that... Uh, 
if he could show me the uh, if I could choose casinos around Las Vegas that he could go around with representatives of mine in Las Vegas to get win loss statements for the past twelve months, and that if I could pick uh, just out of randomly a few casinos and have him go to them, provided that he played a, a substantial number of hands, that if he was actually a lifetime winner at those casinos, in, well, not lifetime, in that, in that period of time, then I would officially apologize to him and pay him. But he won't because he's a loser. He's a lifetime loser there. I've never seen his results, but I believe he would have to be because it's a, he's played a lot in his negative expectation and he plays at a high-variant style that's just uh, simply not going to win. So I I don't believe, and if if he was wildly successful, he wouldn't be doing this coaching BS. But it's it's also mathematically impossible to win. So I'm I'm actually one who is putting my name to this. I'm not. I haven't been making uh, YouTube videos about him. I'm not as dedicated. I don't have a a constant uh, stream of content about him. This is only the third segment I've done about him on my show. But uh, I put my name to it, and I've I have credibility. I would say, wouldn't you say? A lot more than he does. I don't. They want you to know who they are. You see what I'm saying? But it's always easy for dead broke haters to hide behind a computer screen and talk trash and spread lies about somebody who's successful like myself. <laughs> so I've got nothing to hide. I never have. That's why I walk, <laughs> walk down the Las Vegas Strip every single day. And guess what? I walk down the Strip by myself. I walk down the Strip with my family, my wife and my baby boy. I have a couple of idiots now and then. They say, Christopher, when I get to Las Vegas, dude, I'm going to beat your face in. You better watch your back when you're on the strip because me and my boys, we're going to come after you. And I'm not afraid. Every single day I'm down on the strip. I don't hire police escorts. I don't have bodyguards. I'm by myself. I have no fear. I'm afraid of nobody. So that's not really true because he, he, first of all, in these restraining order filings, he was claiming that he's scared. And that's why he claimed he was filing this restraining order against Lee because he was scared, which wasn't true, by the way, but, uh, but that's what he was claiming. And, and second, uh, when he found that one of Kevin's people was filming him at Sikwan Casino, uh, he demanded that person, uh, get taken away for filming him in the public casino. That, uh, he demanded that person stop and have this, person removed so he he has plenty to hide he is concerned about these people now i don't think he's walking around terrified that someone's going to beat him up because he he knows that the people who are making these videos didn't get directly stolen from by him he knows these are not scam victims these are just kind of like concerned citizens who are putting out these videos so he knows these people are not going to come to vegas and beat him up for that he knows these people uh what they are what they do is they put out these videos i don't think he thinks any of these quote haters are going to go as far as coming to Vegas to beat him up. But that that doesn't mean anything. I mean, this is it's kind of like a straw man he's arguing against. I don't even know if anyone's really sent him threats. Like, he, he's claimed he's been sent threats, but I, we've never seen any evidence of this. I think he's just claiming this to sound like a tough guy. Like, oh, I'm not afraid of you guys beating me up. Well, I, I don't think anyone's threatened that. Maybe people you've scammed have threatened you, but uh, as far as people who, who put out these videos about you, I've never heard any of them make threats. I've heard Kevin say, hey, if you want to meet me and we'll settle this, uh, go ahead. But even Kevin didn't say, uh, hey, I'm going to find you and do such and such to you. He, he never said that. And Jeff Dime has definitely never said that. And that's that's never what I do. I don't make threats to beat anybody up. I just come out and speak the truth. 
And guess what? Look at this beautiful face. Nobody has touched this face since the day I moved to Vegas. So, yes, it is true. This is an exclusive, world-breaking news. I am done coaching people. I'm sorry for all of you guys who have been wanting for me to coach you. And for those of you who might have been saving up to pay me for my coaching. Saving up. You're too late. I'm oh, sorry. It's too, too late. late. I want my life back. I want my time back. I want my freedom back. I want my family back. Then take it back. Then do like 50% as much coaching as before. This is so stupid. So me and my wife, we are all about family. We spend every day of our lives together. And we're raising our son. And we're going to start traveling again together. And for the last couple of months, I've been booked literally every single freaking day. I've had no time for anything. So last week when my wife and I got to spend the whole week together with our son, celebrating our anniversary, ah, ah. it was very relaxing. and made me ah. realize how short life is and what's most important. Yes, I love helping people. But you know what? You guys got to start helping yourself. You've got to start scamming people yourself. I can't teach you. I can't scam for you. You must scam yourself. You must learn to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and scam others on your own. Nobody ever taught me how to gamble in the casino. That's, I, I, think that's the, I think that's the problem. I think you needed someone to teach you. To blackjack, to baccarat, and now I'm getting into sports betting. Uh-oh. Nobody ever taught me how to play blackjack. Nobody taught me how to play baccarat, and nobody is teaching me how to bet on sports. Uh-oh, I think you guys see where this is going. Uh-oh, sports betting. Wait a minute, we haven't heard about that before. He's never mentioned sports before. I'm not being sarcastic here. He really had not mentioned sports before prior to this. Uh-oh. I'm teaching myself. Uh-oh. I'm studying. He's studying. I'm learning. Trial and error. So I encourage all of you guys to do the same thing. Whether your game is craps or roulette or blackjack or baccarat or you bet on sports, listen, study what you're getting involved in. Start creating your own strategies. Yes, you're going to lose money from time to time, but guess what? Learn from your mistakes, trial and error. I got to where I am today because I lost $200,000 gambling in the casino. I actually believe some of that. I don't know if 200000 is correct. I don't know where you would have gotten that money, but I do believe that Christopher accumulated money at various points. Some from uh, just compulsive gambling and getting lucky for short periods of time. Some from this uh, multi-marketing crap. Uh, some from uh, this current scam he has going, which is $1,000 to 2500 a pop. I think he does accumulate money and then gambles it away. So The gay porn. Yeah, well, the gay porn, yeah, that's, that's true. That's another income source. Not anymore, but yes, that, 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 was, uh, that was once, uh, well, maybe not. It was something where he got pleasure from work it may not have been that lucrative but uh it was where he got to do what he loved so with i think there have been times that he's had not a ton of money but he's had some money and i think he's probably lost it to the casinos i think that part is not wrong do i regret it absolutely not most people will never get to where i am because they lose a couple bucks and they decide to stop but if you're willing to invest in yourself and when I say invest in yourself, I'm talking about taking the time to study, master your craft. No, don't just give up because you lose 500 bucks. 
So I am done coaching people. I am done selling Baccarat and Blackjack winning strategies. I don't have any sports betting strategies coming out that I'm going to sell. I'm brand new to sports betting, and I'm going to study and learn how to bet on sports myself. Uh-oh. See, that's where I think this might be going. Uh, this is what I think may have happened. I think that uh, either the, he's been banned from too many casinos and maybe warned by some others, and this is starting to he's starting to run out of places to go. Because remember, he does, he's a degenerate himself. He doesn't want to be banned from all the casinos. So he may have decided that this is it. I can't continue for much longer because the casinos are starting to clamp down on this, and there's people complaining constantly. And also, a quick Google of his name with the word Baccarat leads you to a lot of negative results for him. You, you get to the Kevin Davis channel, you get to the, Jeff, the Jeff Dime channel, the Cheetos Baccarat channel, Poker Fraud Alert. You, you, you see a lot of results where you don't even have to be really, really savvy. You just start listening to these things or start reading these things, and it starts becoming clear that he isn't what he says he is. And only the most gullible of the bunch are willing to go forward with this. So I, I have to imagine he lost a fair number of clients through these various uh, criticisms of his uh, BS system that are posted online, which is good. That Every person that doesn't waste money on his BS coaching has saved themselves a lot, uh, both to him and the casino that would otherwise be lost. But I think he's realized that between the bad Google results and the fact that he's really squeezed as much as he can out of this, because he's got to have a constant flow of new customers, and he's probably gotten about as many as he's going to get for the most part, and that the casinos may have warned him and maybe even banned him from some. So he's got to reinvent something. What he's definitely not going to do is go to work. I don't think he's ever held a real job other than the aforementioned gay porn. And at least not recently, or semi-recently. His wife, from what I hear, used to work as a nurse, but she doesn't work anymore by Christopher's own admission. So what are they going to do? Go back to work? I don't believe it. They've got to support themselves in some way. They've got to support their kid in some way. So there's some plan in the works here. And what he might be doing here is kind of passing the baton over to the next scam, which will be sports betting. And that actually could be a better scam. Let's look at it. Why, why would sports betting be better? Well, with Baccarat, with the strategy he's selling, I could mathematically prove that it's a scam. I could mathematically prove it does not work. Not only could I mathematically prove it didn't work, but that he could not prove that he has winning results because I believe he has actually lost overall in Vegas by a, a wide margin. So I think he realizes that this is too easily provable by the, quote, haters, that he's full of crap. Sports betting, however, that is something where there's always been a lot of wiggle room to be able to rip people off with systems because there's no way to mathematically prove that someone's sports picks are negative expectation. You can very much suspect that. And there are some signs with certain types of sports picks that if people are always making sports picks of a certain type that are known as the, the public picks, these are ones that are, uh, that most of, that recreational sports bettors are most attracted to, such as big favorites or, uh, over bets, things like that. Things where they're always betting on the better team or the over. That, that those type of bets are public bets, and those you, it's very very hard to be a winning sports better if you mainly do those. It's not that those bets are always wrong. Like uh, 
uh, San Omar on our forum pointed out that this year, if you just blindly bet the Dodgers minus one and a half, which would be a very public bet because the Dodgers are the best team in baseball right now, and if you just bet on them to win by two or more every game, which that's a very public type bet, take the best team and and make it to where you're, the line you the payout for winning is better because you're betting they have to win by two, which is minus one, one and a half. Uh, if you just blindly did that, you'd be doing great this year in baseball because the Dodgers have been winning by more than two a lot of the time. But this is unusual. This is an unusual year where the Dodgers are just really, really dominant in the regular season. Usually, if you just stick to those, you're going to get crushed. So what I'm saying here is if a, a professional sports better who's selling his picks is selling you things like that, you're being sold crap. If you're being sold picks that are ones that the public would not make, such as underdogs, unders, that doesn't mean you're being sold winning picks. At least it means, though, that they're probably at least uh, putting some thought in to be positive expectation, and there's a chance they are. But still, you never know. Still, maybe, maybe someone is making public picks, but they're doing the right public picks that are going to win. Just like this year, someone, let's say someone at the beginning of this year said, the Dodgers are really much better than every other team they're going to play. And I think that the minus one and a half bet, as public as it is, is actually a very good bet for now, until the books catch on. And someone who would have observed that at the beginning of the season would have been correct, and that actually would have been pretty astute to notice and to jump on. So just because someone's offering a lot of public bets doesn't mean that they're full of crap, but usually they are. But you can't prove it. Again, maybe they're the they're seeing something we're not. So what Christopher Mitchell can do with this is that the haters can no longer prove that he's offering something that is negative expectation. So he's admitting right now he's a beginner in sports, but he'll claim that he spent a lot of time intensely studying and he's come up with great systems to win. And you can even play games. This guy named Vegas Dave has been doing this for years, where you you play various games and the way people are supposed to bet, or you keep saying something like more and more, quote, units, until you finally uh, claim you've won. So I'll I'll give you an example. Let's say I I bet on a team tomorrow, and I I put out my pick and say it's one unit. Well, it loses. So I say, okay, well, next day's pick is three units. I lose that too. Okay, Next day's pick is seven units. It's kind of like Martingale. Just just keep raising the units until I get to, okay, this pick's now 80 units. Oh, it wins. Okay, now now I'm this many up. And then if I lose, then I just keep raising the units. Where this is better than Martingale is that you're not actually betting this much. So you can say whatever units is. You can say it's a million units. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're really betting a million units. You just say it is. So by increasing the, quote, units you're betting, since you can do this to an unlimited... Uh, level, you can pretty much guarantee yourself that you'd be a winner according to this. The reason it wouldn't work in reality is you don't have an unlimited bankroll, nor would unlimited action be taken by the casinos. But you see where I'm going with this. There's a lot of different tricks that sports betting touts pull off that are scams. So I think he's realized that not only can you do that, and not only can't you prove he's giving you crap, but he doesn't have to go in the casino. It's much easier. He can start selling sports betting systems that you pay him for that he emails to you. Or you you find him in his Facebook group, a private Facebook group, or a private YouTube channel, or something like that. And he never has to go to a casino, never has to get banned. It's completely legal. 
So that might be what he's aiming at, and this might be the preview. Okay, I'm not going to play the rest of this, like three more minutes, but you, you, you get the gist of it. I'm going to play a little bit of this funny video he made. This shows you he's, he's definitely not done with the get-rich-quick crap. This is what he put out uh, today. Listen to this one. What's going on, YouTube family? Christopher Mitchell here. He's walking outside. Your life vlog. And in this video, I'm going to talk to you about poor people. Oh. I'm going to give you ten reasons <laughs> why you might be poor, but also how you can fix it. Reason number one. You pretend to have a betting system, and you constantly throw away all your money in the casino to negative expectation games. So if you guys are brand new to my channel, I want to welcome you. I encourage you to hit the red subscribe button directly below. Make sure you ring that bell. That way you get notified every time I upload a brand new video. And uh, if you guys like this video, feel free to give it a thumbs up. If you don't like the video, feel free to give it a thumbs down. It does not hurt my feelings, and it actually helps the YouTube algorithm. Not true and not true. He constantly deletes any comments on his videos that are negative. Anything slightly negative, he deletes. Thumbs up and thumbs down, he can't control because uh, he either has to remove it entirely or uh, just accept it. And he says that to make it look like he's taking criticism, but he's not. And second of all, it does not help the YouTube algorithm if you thumbs down him. The YouTube algorithm uses a number of different uh, criteria to decide where it puts you in searches for various people. But the more negatively something gets rated with the thumbs down, the less likely it is to come up in search. YouTube uses this to help its algorithm determine how to give relevant results to people and how to stop clickbait. So this way, uh, things with titles that would normally come up in a search, even if it has a lot of views, if it has like very few thumbs up and tons of thumbs down, then YouTube will not put it as search results because it'll consider that the video is probably low quality. If you guys have any comments or questions, please put them underneath the video. I'll be happy to address them. And having said that, please watch this entire video before you assume something or before you judge me. I'm about to give you some very valuable information that could help you change your life. So having said that, let me talk to you about poor people right now. Poor people. So the first thing I want to say is that uh, there is a difference between being broke and being poor. Okay. We're not going to play this whole thing. It's 27 minutes, but this is one of the most off-putting things about him, aside from just that he's a scammer. But it's bad enough when someone talks down to others for not having as much money as they do, but when someone who actually is fairly poor <laughs> and, and what they're not, what money they do have they scammed, for someone who isn't rich talking down to others, pretending that they are, is the worst. The fake rich people talking down to you for being poor is the absolute worst. So most people in the world, they were actually born broke. Their mom and dad are broke. They've got nine to five jobs. They don't make a lot of money. They have massive amounts of debt, credit cards, student loans, mortgage payments, car payments. And uh, that's most people in the world, 98% to be exact. So most people what? are broke. However, you can change your financial situation if you're broke. Now, as for being poor, that's a completely different story. 
most poor people, they stay poor their entire life because poor is a mindset. It's a wrong way of thinking. And uh, I'm assuming most of you guys probably don't know what I'm about to say. So if you don't, please write this down and uh, memorize it. Poor is an acronym. It stands Actually, it's not an acronym, but let's see what it stands for. It stands for passing over opportunities repeatedly. Uh. See, that's the number one reason why poor people stay poor. They're constantly passing over opportunities. Okay, so you, you see where he's going with this. He's trying to tell you that these great opportunities, you've got to take them if you, you, you want to get rich. And this, this is this is typical. This is what scammers and hustlers and even multi-level marketers, which is what he came from, love to say. That uh, the reason you're not doing that well financially is because you're just not taking the opportunities coming to you. You're just sticking to the safe thing, the 9-to-5 job. You're just sticking to the mundane life when if you just took a few chances, here's some opportunities that are being presented to you. You can take them and become rich, or you could just go on with your mundane, crappy, financially challenged lives. If you spread lies, and if you talk badly about the rich, you will always stay poor. <laughs> you know what's funny? I mentioned this last He's done one other poor video I once played on this show. People who actually have money, they don't talk this way. People who have money don't talk about the poor, and this is why I'm rich, and this is why you're poor. People who have money never do that. They don't. Like on TV shows, they do when they try to create like rich villains who ch- chomp cigars and laugh about poor people. But in reality, that's not how rich people talk. They, they, rich people don't have an obsession with talking about the poor because to them, they're used to being rich. They're used to having money. It's not uh, it's not something that they think about all the time. And in fact, when they do, usually they think, oh, you know, it's it's too bad for this person. They don't have as much as I do. Sometimes they'll feel some pride that they succeeded. But uh, rich people don't look down on the poor like this, like that they're, they're to be dreaded and mocked and thought of as inferior. This is when you you hear language like this, it's from people who wish they were rich, aren't, and are uh, putting out that rhetoric to make them sound like they're rich. They don't understand the way a rich person would really sound. If you don't have something nice to say about somebody, then just keep your mouth shut. This is also, of course, directed to the people who have been calling him a scammer. Let's fast forward a bit. Reason number two why poor people are poor. Poor people think that rich people are evil and corrupt. Well, hence, that's why a lot of poor people say that rich people like myself are scam artists. <laughs> Is this whole video going to be him defending that he's not a scammer? Is the whole thing going to be like everybody saying I'm a scammer is poor? I'm not poor. I'm saying you're a scammer. Because they assume and they've been brainwashed that money is the root of all evil. But you know where that lie came from? It came from Christianity. Because the very, there's a very famous... Okay, I, I've heard enough. Hey, he didn't blame the, Drew, the Jews, Drop. you got to give him that. Well, we've got seven more reasons. They just uh, That was number three. That was part of number three about the money's the root of all evil. But you, you see he's not quitting this whole thing. He's just quitting the blackjack and the bakra. He's going to move on to something else next. Anyway, you can, you can go take a look if you find this interesting. Moving on, here's somebody who's not poor. Mike Timex McDonald always seems to uh, be on the right side of anything that he does uh, financially. This is someone you don't ever want to bet against. I'm not kidding. <laughs> he's only 31 years old, but boy, he's always right, uh, at least about financial things. I've seen him tweet some stupid things. Like, like for example, uh, like, like he really is – it's interesting because Mike 
McDonald is someone who's done a lot of really smart things money-wise, and, and everything he does seems to work out. But yet sometimes his view on the world is it, very naive, like even more naive than you'd expect for someone who's 31. Like 31 is not really young, but it's definitely not like a lot of life experience by that age. But there's some really naive stuff he writes. Like he wrote uh, earlier in the year that he thinks riots are necessary for change, that there's, we, we need riots. That's the, that's the only way that he, he was, he's doing a whole thing like defending rioting. Not, not even like, oh, most of the protests are peaceful and that, yeah, that uh, we, we shouldn't judge them based on the riots. He didn't write things like that. He actually wrote, uh, no, I want to be clear, riots are good. <laughs> like, what? So, and, and he's just, I, I don't think he'd be writing that if, if his home was in danger, if he was personally in danger of the riots. It's just when, when you sit in, in your nice area with all your money and away from all that, of course, of course you can say riots are great. But, uh, so he, he, and he's not even like a, a left-wing uh, fanatic or anything. He just kind of wrote this out of the blue. Usually he doesn't tweet political stuff, which is really surprising to see from him. So he'll, he'll write some bizarre things like that sometimes, but I will say that when it comes to any decisions about anything involving money, it seems like he's right. So in addition to being a very good and winning poker player, which is how people got to know him first, he also had... Uh, uh, a staking operation that seems to have uh, worked out very well. He also came up with an innovative idea that he called the Bank of Timex. Timex was his online screen name, but where, where he would uh, actually buy action, like you could buy people's action through him. Where he would, uh, if, like, let's say, let's say somebody's selling themselves at uh, 1.3 markup, and he says, "Oh no, don't don't bother with that. Buy it for me." Uh, for 1.2 markup. So you can buy their action from me and I'll cover whatever they win. And he was like able to tell uh, just from his experience in poker and from knowing these players what he felt that these players were actually worth. And that the, so whenever someone overcharged markup, a lot of times he'd offer it less and he'd cover it, which, which can have a lot of variance if the person ends up uh, winning. But, but he made money doing that. Uh, it just seemed like whatever he did worked out. He even came up with a, a, a site that does something similar where you can buy shares of people uh, through his site in a similar way where you can basically bid on shares of people. So he's come up with some innovative ideas. and It, it seems like whenever he takes bets or offers some kind of prop bet, he's on the right side of it. Very good one that he put out there. I wish I had done the same. I'm sure everybody does. When the coronavirus pandemic started... He saw very early on that the World Series of Poker is probably not going to happen. And he thought, you know what? Everybody's in denial on this. I bet everyone thinks that Caesars is so greedy they're going to put it on no matter what. So I'm going to offer really long odds that it's going to be canceled. And I'm going to take the side where I have the huge underdog side that it gets canceled, and I bet people will go for it. So sure enough, he was offering 12 to 1 odds that if the World Series doesn't take place, he wins. That is, he gets paid 12 to 1. So if you give him $12,000, then you win 1000 if the World Series takes place, and he wins 12000 if it does not. And it did not. Online didn't count. We're talking about live. It did not. I don't know if he would, if the bet's still on, because if it takes place somehow at the end of the year, which is looking very unlikely now since we're at September, and we're no, nowhere near containing this thing. But if, if uh, I don't know if it's even over now or if it'll be over, but nevertheless, we know the way it's going to end. There's not going to be a live World Series this year in Las Vegas. 
then uh, you know he, he wins twelve to one, and people took him up on it. I don't know how much he won. Now Doug Polk also offered that same bet. I think Doug Polk even got better off, like twenty to one at one point. I'm not sure which of the two came up with it first. If it was Polk or uh, Timex, but uh, both of them were selling action there, and they made a lot of money on this with very little risk. That was a great idea because it, it was twelve to one, so you you don't even have to be risking that much to make a lot of money. If you even think there's a okay chance this is going to happen, you can let's say you're willing to take fifty thousand in action on this. You're, if you win, you get six hundred k. I mean, that's huge. That was a very smart idea. So I don't know how much he won on that, but so he's he's had a lot of good ideas like that. I mean, so much that wherever he is on is offering some kind of prop on something, you don't want to go against him because he's probably going to win. He's got a great feel for this. So he offered a prop bet, which, like many prop bets, looked like it was not possible. But there was kind of a catch to it that people didn't really think about, and of course. Timex, I'm sure, did think of it, and uh, he won the bet. The bet was that he could make 90 out of 100 free throws. We're talking about basketball free throws. Now, this is very tough to do. If you think about the NBA, there's players, uh, you know, professional basketball players who play in the NBA who uh, can't make more than uh, 60%. Look, look at Shaquille O'Neal. I think his lifetime was around 50. Now, I know that was not Shaquille O'Neal's... Uh, draw to the game. I know that was not what uh, made him a great player. It was it was his size and uh, and the way he handled the basketball and his, his defense and uh, all that. But uh, still, he was an NBA player who was dogged by the free throws his entire career. In fact, a strategy was built around that called Hack-A-Shack, where in close spots near the end of the game, they would foul him intentionally, knowing that on average he'll miss one out of the two free throws, and then the other team will get the ball back. So, uh, that strategy started to be employed, and, and uh, they would go after him and foul him on purpose. So if it was that simple to improve improve free throw shooting, you'd think that Shaquille O'Neal, the professional basketball player, could do it. So even not looking at someone like Shaq, who was notoriously bad at free throws, even good players, even very good players who aren't known to be good free throw shooters, don't shoot 90% in their career. You had guys like Steve Nash, who did, but they were very unusual. They were noted for being unusually good at free throw shooting. And here we have Timex, the poker player, who is not known for his basketball prowess. So how could he outshoot the vast, vast majority of NBA players? Now, of course, they gave him some time to practice, and uh, so so he had time to train, but how much can you train? Look, Shaq was never able to train himself into making uh, more than 50-something percent of his free throws. So so how could Timex do it? How could he make 90%? So, not surprisingly, he got takers on the bet. Now, I, I was never considering betting against him here, but had I been, I would have thought, you know, I don't think I want to do this because it's him, number one. And number two, I have noticed in poker when someone says that they want to take prop bets that they can't do something, they usually can. That's a big angle in, in poker prop betting that someone will say that they'll sometimes even uh, not present it as a prop bet, but just kind of start saying that they bet they could do it, and then they hope that you offer it to them. That's a common prop betting trick. So they'll bring it up in conversation somehow. 
In fact, if you watch Vince Van Patten's movie Seven Days to Vegas, which uh, is actually pretty good. I, I watched it uh, late last year, posted a review on Poker Fraud Alert of it. But th- it was all about that, all about prop bet hustling and, and tricking people into thinking the prop bet is their idea when it's really yours. And in fact, the whole movie was about a prop bet that seemed impossible of uh, walking to Las Vegas in seven days from the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles, like 270 miles. So uh, when someone's offering a bet that just seems impossible like that, you have to stop and think, why are they offering this? Do they hate money or might they have a way to do it or have some kind of angle to where they, they can do it and you're going to lose? Remember the Dambelzerian bicycle to Vegas bet? In a certain amount of time, 48 hours or whatever he gave himself, and then it turned out the trick was that he had a large vehicle drive in front of him to uh, prevent the wind from blowing in his face, and that was a great help. So uh, between that and training, he was able to do it, but then because of the controversy about the large vehicle, which had not been discussed either way, like, it wasn't said he could or could not have that, but people were like, oh, come on. We didn't know you were going to have that. you got to throw that in. Like, if they ended up, it ended up being called a draw because of that. And oddly, Samantha Abernathy did it with him, too. <laughs> she, she completed it as well. But really, whenever you're offered action or you think you're – or you've been kind of – it's been brought up and you offer the action, but you might be set up by it or where they're bringing it up hoping they'll, that you'll offer a prop bet – it's better not to accept it because people may have a way to do it. There, it seems like most of these always end with a person winning who has to accomplish some kind of difficult feat. Remember the guy who had to sit in a dark room for 30 days with uh, no electronics, uh, basically no interaction, and he had to sit in a dark room for 30 days and he was given enough food and water? like a dark bathroom, and he did it, or I think he did most of the way, and then he, they bought out. or they Bought out meaning that the other side agreed he was going to win and, and like paid him partially, and then he got to quit at that point. I thought that was a risky bet in that it could really screw up his mental health, because it's very mentally unhealthy to do that for 30 days, like super unhealthy. But nevertheless, that's again something I wouldn't bet against, because this guy may know he has the ability to do it. That's the other thing is you, you never know. Some people just have the ability to do weird things that most humans can't. They just have something different about them that can allow them to do something that most people can't. Uh, I, I've always said that uh, something, if, if I could get people into this conversation, provided they don't listen to the show, a prop bet I could probably win would be a, a running prop bet. Uh, more more for uh, speed than distance, but... Uh, people would look at me and would assume that I probably can't run that fast. And that's not true. I can actually still run very fast. And and people would look at me and, and assume I probably can't. Between my height and my weight and, and my age, they think, okay, he, he, there's no way he can run that fast. And uh, I could probably get very good odds against someone much younger than me, who's thinner, and beat them in a short race, just because people wouldn't expect I could. So 
that would be the type of thing I could pull off on people with, with prop bets. And provided I knew that they were not great runners, I, I, I probably could beat them in a short race, even at this point, at this age. So there's all kinds of things like that that people pull. And uh, in general, when someone offers this or it seems like the, the subject comes up, can you do this? You're better off not betting or betting on the no side or on the yes side if you can. But people said, hey, you know, this Timex thing, I just how can he do it? If NBA players can't do it, how can he do it? Now, keep in mind, he's not the first poker pro to be good at free throws. Perlot Friedman, not for any kind of bet, but just because he wanted to and he was a fan of basketball, Perlot Friedman in the 2000s made a whole lot of free throws in a row and was demonstrating this on video, how good he is at free throws. He just had a, a basketball hoop at home and practiced a lot and got really good at them. I don't know how good Perlot was at basketball normally, but he got very, very good at free throws. So that's uh, that's something else that some people can just be good at those. Maybe Timex noticed that he was already de- like I, I don't know if this just came out of the blue. He, this may be something that Timex knew he's always been fairly good at, not good enough to make ninety out of a hundred, but but that he was already fairly good at it and thought he had a chance at it, and that people would believe he didn't. So this bet was made, and various people that you know, names that you would know in poker, or at least some of them you'd know, bet against him. Uh, among the people who bet against him, I don't know all the names, but uh, Nick Shulman bet against him, and that later became some controversy, which I'll explain shortly. Christian Harder, this is a guy you you should always go against in prop bets. He, he's the anti-Timex. Whatever side he's on, you want to be on the other side. He used to be part of our community. He went by a Charter 30 when he was younger, and it always seems like Charter is on the wrong side of these prop bets. <laughs> Nice guy. I, I like Charter, but I'm just saying that you, you don't want to be on his side of the, in the prop bet. So just, just the fact that he was betting against Mike McDonald, you should have been with Mike McDonald on this one. Jake Abdallah, also known as Jay Lama, someone who's won a lot of money in cash poker and has released a number of coaching videos. Will Jaffe, these people all bet against Timex. $250,000 of action was booked here. Combined. And he had, I think, till the end of the year to complete this. So he completed the bet last week. And he won. But not without controversy. Now, he did... One of the requirements is he has to post video. He can't just obviously just say he did it. He has to... He doesn't have to be with anybody. But he has to have video of himself taking all 100 free throws. He posted a 24-minute long video of him making all uh, 90 out of 100 free throws. He said he took in... Actually, I guess it's... uh, He said, I I took in 235K in bets to win 280K. So he got uh, a little bit more than even money. And uh, then he gave some people... Action. He sold some action to a friend of his, so he actually was risking 210k overall to win 250. That's where the number 250 comes from. So actually, 235 was bet total, and he laid off 225 to a friend. Well, here was the angle. 
Because you'd think, what could be the angle here? A free throw is a free throw. They had terms of you know, what type of court it has to be, how far it has to be, the height of the hoop. That was all in the bet, so you can't, he can't play games there. And it has to be him. It has to be on video. So what angle could he possibly pull? Do you know Traderuski? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, let me go back to the coin flipping example from before. Let's say I could uh, say to you, do you want to bet that two out of three coin flips are going to be heads? And you'll go, okay, what odds are you giving me, though? And I'll say, oh, I don't know. Um, I'll give you uh, 60-40. You go, oh, okay, sounds like a good deal. So, so you win the 60, I win the 40, right? Yep. Okay. So flip it three times. They go, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say flipping three times. I just said two out of three. So I'm just going to keep flipping the coin. And then uh, once two out of three come up as heads, I win. Well, I'd be guaranteed to win. At some point, two out of three is going to be heads. In fact, it'll happen very soon. So the problem is nobody, it was not specified. In fact, it was specified the other way, that he doesn't have to make 90 out of exactly 100 free throws. He just has to make 90 out of 100 free throws at some point. (laughs) Now, you may say, what's the big difference? It's, It's still 90 out of 100. Well... You still have to be good at free throws, but not nearly as good because he had the right, according to the bet terms, to reset it at any point and try again. He'd keep trying and trying and trying and trying until he gets an outlier where he makes 90 out of 100. So he has unlimited retries, and it's a rolling 100. So let's say he shoots 10 free throws and makes five, misses five. He's like, okay, this is going to be too hard. Now I've got to make 85 of the next 90. Forget it. I'm resetting. Starts over. Now, he has to state he's resetting, but once you see it's not going well, you can reset. So you you miss two. Okay, I'm resetting already. You start off, you missed the first one. I'm resetting already. <laughs> I made the first one. Okay, I'm not resetting. Make the second one. I'm not resetting. Miss the third one. Not resetting. Miss the fourth. Okay, resetting. Like Every time you look like you're falling off pace early on, you just reset. This makes it much easier to go on a run where you're going to make 90 out of 100. Now, could I go to the park right now? and make 90 out of 100 using those terms? No, two reasons. Number one, the park is closed because of uh, stupid restrictions of COVID. And number two, I couldn't because I'm not that good at free throws where I could make 90 out of 100 even if I kept restarting it. However, if you're pretty good at them anyway, and you practice, you can get yourself to where you can get those 90 because you can reset any time. And you can just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it until you eventually get there. You don't need to have an average of 90 out of 100. You don't have to make 90 out of a, uh, out of a specific 100. You, you, ac- you actually get to stop it and reset and start over whenever it's not working. This is kind of like the same way as when you play a, video, a tough video game where you can immediately reset and start the level over very easily. And eventually you'll pass that level. Even if it's a super hard level that you're going to pass 1% of the time, if every time you start off badly, you can just reset it and go back to the beginning, uh, you're going to pass it eventually. And you'll pass it more quickly than you would if you had to play it all the way through. 
So the resets were a huge edge, and nobody realized it. And I'm surprised. See, I didn't know about the slow it was over. I knew about the bet, but I, I didn't know about the reset thing. I, w- I would have called this out a long time before it was done. That I don't know how everybody missed this, that the reset is a, a big part of it. I, I would have said, no, you get, you, know, you get X number of tries, but it has to be 90 out of 100. And what the, the, the reason this is important also is because uh, it's time-consuming to do 100 free throws, so if he gets off to a bad start, he can't say, "Okay, I quit now. Let me try do try number two. It, it's it's more of just no. You have to complete these, and then you have to do it. And and uh, I would also give him a finite number of tries. It, I, I I would probably agree to let him try more than once, but I wouldn't agree to just unlimited retries a, until a certain date. So uh, that was not the controversy, though, because everybody agreed to this. If you agree, you agree. At the end, it was conceded that this was uh, the thing that gave him the edge and what made it to where uh, he had a decent chance of winning. The problem, but that's still, but that's still impressive. Oh, it I is. Mean, even if you could start over and over again, I mean, you know, I could probably make nine out of ten on a few tries, but I mean, ninety out of a hundred—that's you know, no, it is, and that's why I, I said. That's, that's why I said, if someone said, "Okay, well, can you go do it?" My answer is, "No, I can't." <laughs> so, and and if someone asked, "Could you go do it if you had a long time to practice?" My answer would again be, "No, I'm just not that good at free throws." Uh, the only thing I'm really good at with basketball is rebounding. I've always been good at rebounding for some reason, but uh, uh, other than that, I, I I kind of suck at everything else, so I, I couldn't do it. But he probably noticed at some point that he was decent at these and thought, okay, I could train and give myself the edge and then give myself the additional edge of the resetting. So uh, the controversy came over something that was not intentional, but it's just the way it all went down. I guess Timex had a hard time finding a place to do this because there were so many things closed around where he lived. So he ended up driving two and a half hours to find a, a gym which was open that he could do this. And uh, so so uh, he did this, and then what happened was, because he kept resetting it, he ran out of time. So who, I guess you reserve spots in the gym, and he, ran, he just simply ran out of time. So one of the, when he finally had a good run going, and it looked like he was going to make it, or at least it was on the pace to making it, uh, they barge in and go, uh, sorry, you, you gotta get out of here. Your time's up. He's like, oh, come on, man. I, I, I'm doing this important thing here. Nope. Sorry. Your time's up. Get out. And they, they kicked him out because his time was up. He had a reserve time in that gym and he could not continue. So he had to wait and then came back. And, uh, I, I think he had like a break of 30 minutes or something until he could come back in there. Uh, he waited, came back in, and then uh, completed Wait, it. Trap, trap, trap. It must have been longer than that. What are they doing in the gym? Having a thirty-minute game? No, who knows? No, no, it, the no, gym for an hour. No, no, it was thirty. No, it mean, was it was thirty minutes. Maybe, maybe he got another spot. It? Yeah, maybe he got another spot. It was thirty minutes. Okay, so but but he did ha- he did have a thirty-minute break. Well, Nick Shulman was very unhappy about this. Nick Shulman thought this thirty-minute break, while not intentional, was huge because. It allowed his arms to recover, and that uh, his arms weren't as tired anymore. He thought that shooting. 100- I totally agree with that. I, I do too. That that's. Uh, he says that even if you didn't mean to, th- this gave you a big edge here that you got to take a thirty-minute break in between. 
Which also makes the gym half-hour reservation even more suspicious. Yeah, well, I, I think I believe that the half an hour, but I, I think that uh, – and I, I don't know if – what I don't know is if anybody was there seeing this. I guess it is possible he made the thing up so he can give himself a break. Anyway uh, – so- well, I'm sure that was on video, I would guess. But again, who's renting a gym for a half hour? Well, as I you said – the it, gym to play basketball – Right? Or, I mean, well, it could have been someone that half hour. It could have been someone that badminton match or something. Well, it could have been someone just wanted to take some 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 shots or play a little uh, short game with a friend. No, no, no. They have to rush him. No, okay, no. I play that was what I grew up playing. No way. No, I'm not saying. But I'm not saying it's a full game. I'm saying that people just want to play with their friends or something for half an hour. I mean, play with their kids for half an hour. I don't know. I, but right. I'm just saying that he would be able to still shoot half court, probably. Anyway, never mind. I won't go to the conspiracy. <laughs> okay, so so Nick Shulman, I'm going to play you the video he he put out on Twitter, where he was very unhappy about this, and he had bet uh, fifteen thousand dollars on this, and was unhappy. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm here to concede the Mike McDonald free throw bet. I just can't take it anymore. Um, I'm feeling this heat like like I'm being scummy or something. Like, So, uh, so yeah, we, the first bet I made for 15000 take it, Mike. I mean, I guess you can just go take a night off in between the... Uh, in between the hundred, you know, I guess that's just a normal thing. I mean, I've... Uh, I've been down to the gym plenty of times. We've shot 20 free throws, 50, 100. You know, you just shoot him. I mean, if you make a free throw bet, you just you, you just go shoot the number, and he's getting his own boards too. So now we get to just, I don't know, you get a little dizzy walking back. I just never even considered there's a night off. And I woke up and saw what he wrote, and I was just tilted. You're right. I am a sore loser. You're right. I was just fucking with him to begin with on the bet. Because his form looked so horrendous and I just couldn't take it. I just felt like fucking with him. And, uh, you know, um, yeah, lesson learned. We made another bet, though, for 1000 at 20 to 1. I would like that one to stand, Mike. Uh, so, you know, take your time on that. And I don't know what this is. He has to drive three hours to get to the gym every day. I mean, okay, you know, I'm sorry about that. You're a real hero. It's a, The pandemic's going on. But there's no hoop closer to the house than three hours away. Maybe there is. Yeah, let me stop there for a second and explain what he's talking about here. Um, Mike McDonald did take some heat. What happened is Nick questioned it at first, saying that uh, he doesn't like this break in between. That uh, the, the he said those little arms get tired after about the sixty-fifth shot, which he had a point. But anyway, uh, Mike McDonald he had kind of an immature response because some people were agreeing with uh, Nick. So he wrote, this is on August 25th, Mike McDonald wrote, to everyone virtue signaling, quote, I'm on your side but think you should reset, meaning we should start, you know, start over the bet. Uh, would you be saying the same if it was December 31st? If this was some massive outlier and my next best was 71? You aren't the one driving 2.5 hours to a crowded gym in a pandemic. You aren't on my side. So, Mac Lance, for example, said back, if you were going to play the victim card, it would have been better to go with you aren't the one driving 2.5 hours in a crowded gym and pandemic while, uh, while, short Tesla, while shorting Tesla. Uh, you aren't on my side, you Robin Hood fuck. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, what does driving during a pandemic have to do with anything other than there's no traffic? Well, yeah, he's trying to say that because of the pandemic, he has to drive this long. But it's so stupid. It's like uh, people are bringing up point. Come on, you're telling us there's no gym that you could you could shoot in 
within 2.5 hours of your house. You really had to drive 2.5 hours, and you're throwing this in people's faces. Like it, it was like a, uh, it was a very immature response, and so that's what I mean. Right, and if you lived out in the middle of nowhere where there's not a gym in two, why would you even make that bet? Why doesn't he like get, have like bow and arrow shooting in the wilderness or something? Yeah, and then where can he live where there's not a gym? Yeah, and then some people um, gave him a hard time because they said that uh, he should have been aware when he started the hundred series of shots that his time was going to be up. It wasn't like a shock that someone came in and said, "Out of the gym now!" It was like he he had it for a certain amount of time. So someone, Chance Cornuth wrote, total neutral party here. Shouldn't you have known that your time was going to be up? In which case, should, shouldn't have began the attempt in the first place? Which is a good point. Uh, because it's, uh, maybe he did start thinking, oh, my time's going to be up. And if I'm doing well, now I can claim I'm forced out. So now I get an additional break. It's an additional edge. So who knows? Like he, These prop bets always have little angles to them. And you do wonder why he started this if he knew he didn't have time to make 100 shots unless he thought maybe he was kind of a free roll. So the, people were bringing up these points, and so he got very, very angry. And and uh, and it was mad that some people were saying, hey, you know, Mike, uh, I'm kind of on your side here, but... And then he got really mad at those people. So he, he was kind of lashing out, which is kind of unlike him. He's usually a pretty even-tempered guy who doesn't fight with a lot of people online. But he got uh, kind of emotional about this. I'll play you the rest of uh, Shulman's response. Shulman's response, your, uh, the, the voice response that I was playing you, was actually uh, done after this whole thing about the driving 2.5 hours. It isn't, okay. But, um, yeah, I just can't take it anymore. I, uh, he's fucking with me now. You know, just take it, Mike. I, I mean, I guess you win. We got the 60 in, and then the gym, then, then the time on the court was up. Okay, and um, we came back the next day, and I guess we, I guess we finished the hundred out. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, you know. I'm not sure if it's the uh, next day or if it's thirty minutes later. I've read two different things. Whatever. But that's it. I, I concede. Uh, you win, I lose, and um, and that's it. So, um, because of this controversy, what happened was uh, Timex decided that uh, he didn't want this defining him. He, he didn't want this being the way it ended. Even even if he gets paid, he, didn't, he he has a reputation to uphold here. He doesn't want to be seen as being scummy, as being an asshole, as being an angle shooter. So he decided to drive that two point five hours the next day and not complain about it this time, and do the bet as intended, and. He put it on video, and he sank 90 out of 100 without interruption, and that was that. So at this point, Shulman calmed down and thought, okay, you know, fine, he actually can do it, even if we invalidate the other one. He did it the next day. Obviously, this is something he can do, and I I jumped the gun by yeah, you know, the truth is Shulman had a good point, but it, it turned out that, uh, no, it was, he wasn't being scummed here. It was, it was that Timex really could do it. Hey guys, I'm here to apologize to Timex publicly. I now now I can't take it the other way. I've just had people hit me up coming in. Oh man, you know, I got your back, Nick. Fucking Timex scummed you, this, that, and you know, and it's like Timex didn't scum you, man. Um, I'm just a moron. Right, Nick, can you do this without being in your car? First of all, it's not safe 
he's he's driving on the highway or something in his car doing this video. Is he that busy? What is Nick doing these days? Is he that busy where he can't? It's a two minute video. He can't do this at home or pull over or something. Why why was it necessary to do this in his car as he's driving? He's not even looking. Well, at I know road. he I know he had a kid because I, I met his wife and kid at my cousin's wedding. Really? My cousin's kid wedding. What? Like a year and a half ago or something. You see, your, your cousin knows Nick Shulman? My, yeah, I guess my cousin's kid, Marcus, yeah. Ah, that's funny. Anyway. Okay. Well, that, I think, I think he'd been married into it or something. Okay, let, let, I'm going to play the rest of this. So I, 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 some of these car videos I don't understand. Like, I, there, There's a time and place to make a car video. This isn't one of them. This is what it is. Your boy is a moron. And... Uh, over this last week or so of him posting up videos looking like Ray Allen, <laughs> like, I was getting needled about it. I just couldn't take it. And uh, I started vilifying Timex, and my, my Timex became public enemy number one to me. I'm really only half kidding. I mean, I'm crazy. <laughs> Then I woke up and and read the thing about the restart, and I just went blind, you know. I don't even remember that day. By the way, I want to say something about Nick Shulman. Um, A lot of people love his commentary on on these uh, poker, like the World Series of Poker broadcasts. Since he started doing that, uh, his reputation in in poker uh, really elevated. Not Not that he had a bad one before, but people really got to like him from these broadcasts. I've known of him since uh, his very beginnings in poker when he was 18, like more than 15 years ago, or about 15 years ago, 15, 16 years ago, something like that. Uh, Nick Shulman, when, when he says he's crazy, he's not He's not really just saying that. He, he, I wouldn't say he's crazy, but he has acknowledged before, and if you listen carefully to things he said, that he does have some psychological issues. Not major ones, but ones that uh, have been problematic for him at times. And uh, I even had him, like, he was once very rude to me on Poker Stars many years ago. And uh, when, when I learned later on that, that he had, uh, he was suffering from major bouts of depression and things like that, that I, I, th- I thought, okay, you know, I'm not going to hold this against him, especially all these years later. He was pretty young when he was very rude to me like that. So, um you know, I, I don't hold that against him anymore. And, and I actually played with him two years ago a little bit at the 10K Limit Hold'em event, the, the one where uh, Matt Glantz got to the final table, thanks to me, because I doubled him up. It's like the final hand of the day. But uh, Nick Shulman was at that table, and, and it, we, we got along fine there. And we, we were joking around about it. I, I talked about how the, it always ends, the day always ends on my big blind, and that when they announce the number of hands they're going to play, it's going to be my big blind for sure. So they they should just know that before they draw the card. And I, I just kept saying that over and over. I said, whenever I get brought to a table, I moved into the big blind. And whenever the day's over, I either end on my big or small blind. And so that became like a joke at the table, which is very pro-heavy, a very tough table. And uh, sure enough, I think I like it ended on my small blind. And everybody laughed about it, including Nick. So anyway, uh, we're we're gonna I'm gonna play the rest of this here. But yeah, he like he is kind of acknowledging here that his own neuroses here somewhat caused this whole controversy. But the, the truth is he's more right than he's acknowledging here. He was he was right to question this. Maybe he did this in an uh, in obnoxious way, but 
like the basic premise of it wasn't wrong. So this is an unusual beef on poker social media where the, the, someone comes out and apologizes and blames themselves even more than they should be blaming themselves. And then I'm going to tell you after this about the reaction back we got from Timex. Just, I just lost my mind and started attacking Timex. Like, like you know, it was a wrap. I mean, it's August. It's a wrap. We, we get it. Um, what? And I'm a sore loser, you know? And I'm tired of losing these bets. I'm just... I'm a bad prop better. I mean, it is what it is. You know, now I'm betting Timex. He's not going to do something he says he's going to do. It's just crazy. But, uh, but yeah, I had to clear the air on that. I know he was a little frustrated. I said he took a night off. It was 30 minutes. He got kicked off the court. I mean... You know, Timex has the sweetest stroke I've ever seen at the line. I mean, he did it. They're joking about that. Apparently, his form looked really, really bad when he was shooting them. Like, it was like he looked ridiculous taking the shots, but it was working. He had this really weird style. It's not like watching an NBA player shoot. It's like this really weird style. So Nick's joking about that, about the the sweetest uh, form. He did do it. You know, I don't know if that first video was a hustle or not, but I don't think it was. So take it, time, Max. I'm sorry, buddy, and um, and that's all I had to say about it. I had to say that. So it's all good. And then afterwards, Timex tweeted out that he was apologizing too. That he admitted that he did not handle it well. That he was quote immature. And that uh, he apologizes back to Nick Shulman and others that he lashed out at when they questioned him. So look at this. Look, look at this. Uh, such peace and harmony in the poker world after this contentious week with with known poker pros, respected known poker pros, trading barbs back and forth and accusing each other of things and each of their friends backing each other and a lot of ugliness back and forth. At the end, they both apologize to each other and both take fault and both blame themselves. It's such a beautiful world. Isn't it nice when everybody can get along? Here we have Nick Shulman saying that it was his own craziness that caused him to attack Timex. And Timex saying that he was just immature and that the people questioning him had a good point. And he just couldn't handle being questioned and he's learned a lot from it. And Nick admits that he lost fair and square and he doesn't think it was an angle. If only... All poker feuds could end like this. Imagine if Doug Polk and Daniel Negreanu could get along this way. Imagine if one day that they could just both agree to disagree and move forward and that they'd play their heads up match, but as friends. Okay. Well, I have nothing more to say about this. People wanted me to cover it last week. I just, I don't know, I didn't feel like covering it last week. 
decided to table it for a week, but I knew I would cover it eventually. And here we are. Okay, Trainerowski vanished. If you heard that Skype hang up in the middle, that was him vanishing. It is 1.30 a.m., and Trader Rusi has decided that he can no longer keep those eyes open. He drank too much tea, and he was about to crash. But at least he said goodbye this time. Sometimes Trader Rusi just disappears. Sometimes he and Vintage One both disappear simultaneously. Something I never got an answer for. I never asked them in their defense. I never asked them what happened, but they both vanished almost simultaneously last week. And I was left alone and had to finish on my own the six-hour show, which, to be honest, six hours is short these days. You know, just... I don't know how long this week will be. Uh, it took longer with Christopher Mitchell than I intended to. It seems like every time I start talking about Christopher Mitchell, I say, oh, this won't be long, and then it ends up being long. But actually, we we have some topics left. We have a lot of topics left, but none of them are going to be really long. But you never know, because I can sometimes just talk a long time about something that seems to be a short topic, as I'm sure many of you have noticed. I've gotten a lot of tweets this year, especially, of people going, wow, how do you do this every week? And during the coronavirus, it's actually easier to do during the week, the, the coronavirus, because I have fewer places to go. But I, I have been doing longer shows on average this year. We've had a lot of eight-hour shows. Last week was six, but most of them have been eight recently. And some said, why are you doing this on Labor Day? I'm surprised you're not taking off Labor Day. And I said, no, it's, it's, it's all the same to me. <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me, though Benjamin's not going to be in Zoom school on Monday. So I guess we get a break for one day from that. Anyway, speaking of breaks, I'm going to take a break for the simple reason that I have to go to the bathroom. And so I'm going to do my usual. I'm going to put on the Eric Benzamokin ad. And then after I come back, we will continue with the rest of the show. And we have, looks like, seven more topics. Oh, my goodness. And it's 1.33 a.m. We have been going for three and a half hours already. We've got a lot left to do. So this will probably be longer than a six-hour show, I'm guessing. And I will be back. You're listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I will return very shortly. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. 
This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then you can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, we're back, and I'm going to go on to our next topic here. That is about the current World Series of Poker main event, the one that's online on GG Poker. And remember, you can only play this event if you are sitting outside of the United States. You can be an American, you just cannot be in the United States as you play this. So you have to be in a place where GG Poker serves, which is not the U.S. Some people traveled to play it, many did not. Right now, there are 38 people left, and it has a $3.9 million prize up top. So, very deep right now. Very good first prize. And the leader at the moment is an American named Brian Piccioli. Brian Piccioli was the sixth place finisher at the World Series of Poker main event in Las Vegas in 2017. So he's obviously a very good player, Brian Piccioli. But the only reason I'm talking about this is his screen name. His screen name is Somebody Suck Me. (laughs) That's the screen name. Now, it's not spelled out fully, but it's close enough. It's S-M-B-D-Y, all lowercase, then suck all uppercase, S-U-C-K, and then me, all lowercase. So there's uh, some vowels missing from somebody, but it's very clear, S-M-B-D-Y, all lowercase, suck, all capitals, me, lowercase. It's obvious what that says, somebody suck me. Even if you just pronounce it phonetically the way it's written, it sounds like somebody suck me. So it's somebody suck me is his screen name, which is, uh, I mean, I'm not offended by it. We talk about much worse on this show. And definitely on my forum. But still, as far as screen names go, as far as the World Series of Poker brand, can you imagine if he wins? I mean, it's not even out of the question that he wins. There's 38 left. He's the chip leader. And he finished sixth at the main that's in Las Vegas, the live main, three years ago. So he's obviously a very good player, chip leader. I mean, I wouldn't say he's the favorite to win because there's 38 left. But would I be surprised if he won? No. So what if somebody suck me wins? And this is the fault of GG Poker for not vetting screen names better. There should be some process of vetting screen names, at least having a bot scan for certain objectionable ones, and then alerting customer support to then make a common sense decision. So 
if the the screen name is like uh, Patriots suck, then that's okay. If if it's somebody suck me, that should not be okay. Uh, these sites are meant, even though you'd say gambling is not a family activity, uh, they are meant not to be offensive. And you would think, especially with women playing on there, maybe they don't want to play against someone named somebody suck me. It, it does have obscene connotations to it. It's very direct obscene connotations. I mean, as I said, this doesn't bother me. I'm not saying, oh my God, this screen name is somebody suck me. How dare they allow that? That's not my, what I'm saying. I don't care if they want to allow things like that. I would allow a name like that on my forum. So I'd be a hypocrite if I said they shouldn't allow it. But I'm just saying if you are a big corporation and if you want your brand attached you know, it's going to be attached to someone who wins. And while you can't control who wins, you can control what screen names you allow. So if his actual name was somebody suck me Piccioli, then they're stuck with it. But his name is Brian Piccioli and he calls himself somebody suck me and they didn't have to let him call himself that on the site. Again, this is GG Poker, not WSOP.com, but it is a WSOP bracelet event and not just a bracelet event. It's the main event. It's the WSOP main event 2020 in place of the one that would have been taking place in Las Vegas. So this is a problem for GG Poker and for the World Series of Poker if he wins. Now, it's funny how some poker media, in fact, most of the poker media is refusing to cover this. I don't know if they're doing – they don't want to piss off GG Poker. They don't want to piss off the World Series. They have sponsorship agreements with some of these uh, companies, so I think maybe some of them are afraid to put this out there and make them look bad. So the only site that I found that covered him as somebody suck me, like mentioning it at all, was Poker News. And I'll give Poker News credit. Like they're pretty good with things like this. Poker News has gotten much better over the years with covering controversial topics, with putting out the facts, with talking about controversial things happening, with uh, even taking controversial positions. And the writers tend to be pretty thorough with things. I've I've seen some poker news articles by the current crop of writers, which I've been pretty impressed with. And uh, when I see that certain people there have written the article, I usually expect that it's going to be pretty good. Like Mo Noara, who wrote the article about uh, somebody suck me here. He, he did a good job and he wrote it right there in the in the headline. Uh, Brian, somebody suck me Piccioli, it said. <laughs> that, in fact, that's what got my attention to it. Had they not done that, I wouldn't have known. Uh, Chad Holloway is another good reporter there who puts out the facts and isn't afraid to touch the controversial items. But like card player, they wouldn't touch it, which is funny. The card player, they have an article and it does not mention at all his screen name. Last I saw, <laughs> which is stupid. Card player was happy to run ads for lock poker for nine full months after I had a conversation with Jeff Shulman and I very specifically told him with a lot of detail why lock poker is a scam and the way he can research it to see that it's a scam. And he said he understands, he's going to do it, and then they continued to run the ads for nine months even though they knew it was a scam because they were greedy. That's what Card Player did uh, several years ago. So you'd think that a company that doesn't mind running lock ads when everybody in the world is screaming it's a scam, you would think that a company that's not afraid to do that would not be afraid to write the word somebody suck me, but apparently they were. It's not in the card player article that I read. I'll click on it again, see if they've updated it. The the headline for card player is Brian Piccioli leads final 38 in 2020 World Series of Poker main event. And then you go through the whole article and it says nothing about somebody suck me. Yeah, I'm scanning through it again, still nothing. The funny thing is they list 
most other screen names. They're either listing someone's screen name or their screen name and their name. There's a few they did not like. Uh, so they just list him as Brian Piccioli. But then the next two, they list their screen name and their full name. Then the fourth person, they just put their screen name. I guess they wasn't. They don't know who that is yet. Uh, then the fifth person, they just have under a real name. Uh, then another person they have under the real name. So it, it kind of looks to me like all these people either played under their real name or they listed their screen name, except for Brian Piccioli. They just, they just list them as Brian Piccioli, which is so stupid. Like, why, why not just put it what it is? Why not put somebody suck me? It's not, it's not them being obscene. It's, it's not like they're quoting him that he's saying somebody suck me, which also would be okay because that's what he said. This is his screen name. That that's the big story here. Not that somebody's in first in the main event. Someone's going to always be in first in the main event. But the fact that he's called somebody suck me, <laughs> they won't they won't report it. It's nowhere in the article, and it's a fairly long article. So props to Poker News for calling him somebody suck me. And I I googled somebody suck me, and I really didn't see any other publications except for Poker News referring to him that way. It just didn't come up. You try it yourself. Try somebody suck. Try typing the screen name S M B D Y suck me W S O P and see what comes up. You, you don't get much. I see poker news. I see. Well, actually, believe it or not, WSOP.com covered it that way. And then some clickbait sites took it. And that's about it. Let me see the WSOP. That wasn't there before. Let me look at the WSOP article, which may just be a copy of uh, the poker news article. Sometimes they buy articles from. Uh, uh, no, now it's gone. <laughs> it was there, but it's gone now. See, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. So, that, that should, uh, that shouldn't be something you shy away from. If somebody sucked me as your champion, then let him be. But, no, I see it. I, it's here, he is, at least it's listed in the chip counts. At least that's listed on WSUP.com. I'll give them that. But conveniently, uh, if you go to WSOP Online 2020 and then go to Updates, it's just blank. Like on one section of the site, you, you can see some old updates, but the, the current updates where he's a chip leader, it's just no updates available, which I think is not an accident. I mean, I, I actually hope for their sake they did it on purpose, because if they if they actually have no updates for their, for their main event, <laughs> their main event has no updates, that's a problem. It just because they're trying to avoid saying somebody sucked me. I don't know. Either it's some incompetent here or what. And it says it's powered by Poker News. It's probably just a, uh, a technical snafu, which is also pretty embarrassing. But whatever. This should just be covered. But th- this is, again, the problem with partnering with a third party. Because this WSOP didn't have control over this. I'd love to bash the World Series for this, but I can't because this is actually GG Poker's fault. It's the World Series fault a little bit for partnering with GG Poker, which seems like kind of a garbage company. But this is kind of, this is really GG Poker's deal that they let this happen. See, WSB should have had some certain standards before partnering with them about how the software works and their policies about things and the whole thing about banning players and the whole thing about, uh, like about screen names, about what, what the expectations are going to be about screen names. At least it's not something racist. I mean, what, what if it was some racist screen name? What would they have done then? At least this is just obscene, but is GG Poker clamping it out on racist screen names? I don't know. And I've seen racist screen names before on other sites. It's not like that never happens. I've never seen it on GG, but I don't play on there. But 
What are they going to do if somebody suck me wins? Will, will the WSOP own it? Will they wear it with a badge of pride? Or will they try to cover it up and just refer to him as Brian Piccioli and only Brian Piccioli? Now, how have people reacted to it? Well, most people think it's funny. There hasn't been a lot of outrage about it. A few people have said, oh, you know, come on, this is, you know, what kind of screen name is that? And some people have given him a hard time, causing him to tweet on September 2nd, LOL, oh man, so many people getting butthurt about my screen name. Relax, people. It's an online poker screen name referencing my favorite scene from the best show of 2020. Chill the fuck out, people. So it's from some TV show, but I don't know what it is. Looks like he just created the account because he said this is a, some show in 2020. So it looks like since he's, uh, since he lives in the U.S., he probably just made the GG Poker account once he got out of the country to go play this. They're not going to continue. Until September 5th, which is, I guess, now today, because it's after midnight. So they took a five-day break. They quit playing on August 31st. It was a scheduled pause. I'm not sure why so long, but there was a scheduled five-day break. And they continue Saturday, September 5th, which we just passed midnight. So I guess that's today now. And we will see if somebody suck me is our new champion. I guess we'll know by next week. I think we will. Unless there's another long break. I haven't really looked at the schedule. But... I just thought I'd pass it along. This is the type of show that definitely will cover that. In fact, we enthusiastically cover a name like Somebody Suck Me. I will never shy away from that. If I ever do, then I'm going to take this whole site down because it will have lost its way. Okay, well, here's somebody else who may have lost his way somewhat in recent times. A lot of people believe that, and that's Daniel Negreanu, who was once so respected as one of the normal, nice guys in poker. He's one of the guys who just seemed like he had it all together. He was a good player. He was good with the fans. He was even-tempered. He was just pretty much uh, what you'd hope poker pros would be. With so many different scandals with poker pros who do shady things, rip people off, uh, do bad things in their personal life blow all their money being a degenerate, develop drug and alcohol problems. Here you had Daniel Negreanu who didn't do any of that. He was a poker pro who lived responsibly, was good for the game, was very nice to the fans. I watched that personally. So there wasn't much you could criticize. And it seemed like whenever he was in controversy, it wasn't his fault. And it was the person on the other end uh, not treating him well. But then we had the last few years or so, maybe last four years, it pretty much started with the Supernova Elite thing, where he was representing poker stars and poker stars acted unethically with that. And I actually thought he deserved, he got more hate than he deserved with that. I thought he actually tried to help. And then when he couldn't, he kind of made too many excuses for them, but he did try to help in earnest. And uh, it wasn't his fault. He couldn't deliver and it wasn't reasonable to expect he'd resign based on that. And that's the truth. But I didn't like the way it all ended, where he went into full shill mode, so that part wasn't good. But that really started to change people's opinion of him, especially with Doug Polk just sniping at him constantly and making tons of videos making fun of him. And then Daniel also started to take a lot of weird positions that were kind of like anti-grinder, anti-poker pro, which is weird coming from him. And that really started to change people's minds about him, especially other poker pros. And more and more, Daniel started to become disliked. Then... There were people who started to dislike his strong takes on uh, political matters 
and he really, really hated Trump, and he was posting a lot of really strong political opinions where he wasn't even tolerant of the other side's point of view. It's, it's one thing to have certain strong opinions. It's another thing to say, uh, to basically reject everybody and make blanket statements about everybody who has a certain point of view. So that was angering people. So a number of things kind of came together to have his great reputation start to erode, where he still had his fans, but people started to like him less and less in some circles. Some of this wasn't his fault. Some of this was Doug Polk trolling him, but some of it was deserved. It's kind of a mixture. I I always felt he took more shit than he deserved, but he did deserve some of it. So now we've had more recent times where he's just been acting damn unstable and people are noticing. And I've talked about that before. I've played you those videos where he's melting down over relatively small things or because he takes a bad beat or whatever and uh, just weird things are happening on these videos he does where he streams himself live. We had the time he had the meltdown because someone said something rude about his wife, Amanda, just some total nobody, some just random troll he couldn't ignore. And it just seems like controversy after controversy keeps happening involving him. Then he's had a controversy recently involving Norman Chad and Jamie Kerstetter. It just seems like a, a new known person in poker is coming out every week and, and fighting with Daniel in some way. There's just so many different feuds he has, and you have to say, could this really, like, none of this be his fault? <laughs> you can't. Like, there, there's this many feuds, and I'm, I'm not talking about trolls, there's this many feuds with different people. He's got to be contributing to some of it, and, and I've been watching, and he has been. It's not been 100% his fault. I've seen things where people pick fights with him, but I've also seen where he kind of brings it on himself. So, this series of tweets I'm going to read you, they're not super outrageous, they're not terrible, but they're just weird. And I think it kind of reveals something, maybe, I can't be sure, but it may reveal something about his relationship, which uh, could be somewhat telling. So that, that's another kind of odd thing. He just kind of tweets out these weird things sometimes, too. It's not even just controversial stuff. He'll just kind of tweet things that are bizarre. And that happened here. So this is what he tweeted out uh was it today? Looks like it was, yeah, it was today, yesterday, what do you want to call it? September 4th. This is just out of the blue. Like, he doesn't usually talk about this. It's just out of the blue. Idea for single people looking. Okay, so he's like a relationship guru now. Like, what a weird thing to just tweet. <laughs> You're dating on the ground. Why are you tweeting dating advice? He's not even dating. He's married. He's been married and been with, had been with Amanda for a while. What is this sing, advice to single people? But let's let's hear his advice for single people, okay? Idea for single people looking. One, write out in great detail your perfect mate. Two, describe in great detail a perfect day with them. Three, write out what you think that person would want in a mate. Four, become that person. What? What? I, I, why? Think, where did this come from? Isn't that a weird thing? Like, I, I don't get it. It's not that this is, like, I don't agree with the advice even, because basically what he's saying is become the person that others are going to want you to be. That's not the correct advice. The correct advice should be find someone who likes you the way you are and then uh, try to improve yourself 
so you can stay with them. Try to work on things. Look at negatives about yourself and try to improve them. That that would be good advice. That would be good solid advice. Easier said than done, but but it's that would be good relationship advice. But it sounds like he's telling you to transform into what others would want you to be. Like what? Pick a woman that you'd really like to date and think, okay, if she dated me, what would she want me to be? I'm going to become that. Well, you can't just become that. You you are who you are. You can only change small things about yourself. You can't change who you are as a person or your base personality. You can try. It's not going to work. So it's kind of weird advice anyway. Not not good advice. But but the weirder thing is why put this out? Why This isn't his area of expertise. Nobody asked him about this. He's not even dating. It's not even like he's dating and realized that this is the secret to success. He's had a girlfriend slash wife for years now. Idea for single people looking. So he put that out. And then Melissa Burr, who, to be fair, is a critic of his sometimes, put out a meme of Shrek with the caption, Yep, this one's going in my cringe compilation. (laughs) And she's right. I mean, it kind of is. Like, this is kind of cringe. Like, what... Why is he putting this out? It's just such a strange thing. It's just a strange thing to use on your Twitter. It's not even like a random observation of the day. This is just a weird thing. Like, let me give you advice. Write down who your perfect mate's gonna w- would be. Picture them. Perf- picture a perfect day with them. Now try to become the person they'd want you to be. Advice for single people. Like what? So when Melissa posted that, Daniel responded. He said, maybe I could have worded it better for you to get what I'm saying here. If you want someone kind, honest, and loyal, it's safe to assume that they would be looking for someone who shares those characteristics. So if you want a person like that, then be it. Okay, well, that's that's a better way of putting it. But the, he put it the way he did on purpose. He put this in a very uh, – I mean, someone on, on the forum pointed out that it sounded like something he got from Choice Center, that cult-like group that he's part of in Las Vegas. And it kind of does sound like that. It kind of sounds like some self self-help – psychobabble and when he explained it in plain English it sounded a lot better though I still don't agree like you yet you should look for someone who has the values that you have and that are important to you and then make sure that the values you're looking for you match yourself so like if you're a scammer you shouldn't look to be with someone honest because eventually that's going to be clashed between you and them uh, and, and they're they're not going to like that you're a scammer so if you want someone honest, you may say, hmm, maybe I started, I better start acting more honest myself. You can do that, but, uh, he was kind of saying that you just need to change what they would want you to be. So anyway, uh, here comes the more interesting part. Someone was kind of mocking Daniel about this further and, and Melissa started to soften. So Melissa said, Daniel admitted he worded it poorly. When I take a shot at D-Nakes, he knows it. I think Daniel is confusing. Treat others how you want to be treated. And if you want a skinny girl, get skinny yourself. So uh, she's saying that treat others how you'd like to be treated is, is good advice. But uh, uh, to try to become what you think others want you to be is not good advice. Or just because you want some of certain characteristics, uh, you don't have to become like them. And you shouldn't try to become like them to get them. So then Daniel said back to her, this is the most interesting thing to me, not quite. Health is just one trait of many. That's referring to the, if you want a skinny girl, get skinny yourself, which he didn't say. She said this. And then he was saying, no, that's not what I'm saying. Health is just one of several things of what what you should try to be. 
He said, I found it a worthwhile exercise to dream up a woman, a day with her, and finally what she might look for in a man, then asked myself if I'm that guy. When I wrote it, the answer was no. What? What? Wait, hold on. Hold, hold on. Hold on. I found it a worthwhile exercise to dream up a woman? Why? He has a woman. Why, why is he doing this? Why is he sitting here dreaming up a, a, a fantasy woman to date and, and thinking about what he'd have to be like to get her? Why? I thought he's married. I thought he's with the girl of his dreams already. Like, seriously, he says this over and over, and I believed it. And I think at the time when he said it, I believed it. Like, I think it was true then. I'm wondering now if it's true anymore. This kind of sounds like the actions of a man who's believing that his current relationship is on the outs, that it's not going to work out, that it's going to fail, it's going to end up in divorce, and that he has to look for someone new. Maybe he's having big relationship problems with Amanda and is thinking he's on the verge of ending it or she's on the verge of ending it and that soon it's going to be over and then he's going to have to look for somebody else and that he's been thinking, okay, whoever I go to next, not only do I have to make sure to be with the right person, but I also have to make sure that I am right for them. And so he starts picturing not only who he'd want, but, and when I say who, I don't mean specifically which person, but what type of woman he'd want, and then uh, what type of man he feels he'd have to be to keep her. You only think these things if you're actively thinking of dating. Otherwise, why even consider this? If If you're with who you think you're going to be for the rest of your life, why would this matter at all to you? <laughs> you you can think about what can I change to make my partner happier. That's fine. That's good to do. But but not well, let me think about if I were to date an ideal woman, and what would a day like be with her? He actually wrote that. He actually wrote in the first tweet, right out in great detail, your perfect mate, and describe in great de- in great detail a perfect day with them. So you're not only picturing who it's going to be, even not specifically, like you're, you're not only making up a woman in your head that's perfect for you, but you're also envisioning what a perfect day with them would be, which I would have to think would also involve physical things. Wouldn't he be imagining kissing this other woman or messing around with her, even having sex with her? Isn't that part of it? I would think so. If uh, someone asked me when I was single, you know, can you think of uh, – your perfect mate, even if it's someone that you don't even know, you're just uh, just an ideal in your head, and then think of a perfect day you would have with them. Yeah, it would include some physical stuff. It wouldn't just be about that, but it would be a combination of, of physical stuff and just having a really nice day and having fun with them. So I'm sure he does too. So why is he thinking of this? This, this is a weird thing to think about. This is a weird thing to be considering and to be spending time pondering if you're married. <laughs> Unless you're thinking the marriage is over, or close to over. So that was the most revealing part. And for some reason, no one on Twitter is really paying much attention to that. Now, I think later on Twitter, someone said something like, hey, you're married, and he, not, in, not even in response to this, like in response to something else. And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm just giving this to the single people. But that, that one tweet is so weird. It wasn't even like... Oh well, some of my friends are single and they they keep making bad decisions, and I'm I'm trying to give them this advice, or I gave them this advice earlier. I think it's good to share with the rest of you. Because I've shared advice about things before that are are things that I don't deal with myself. 
but where I've given the advice to numerous people. And I think, you know what? I think I'll put this out on my forum or on Twitter to give advice to everybody, whatever the subject is. I, I've even given dating advice to people long after I haven't been single because I, I see friends of mine making a mistake that I know is a mistake. And then, so, so I'm not saying to give any kind of dating advice is bad if, if you're not single. I'm saying just the, this like out of the blue way he dropped it and in the very romantic self-help way he was kind of dropping it out to everybody was weird. And Melissa noticed that too. And then the whole thing about how he was picturing, he was dreaming up a woman in his own words and what a day with her would be like. Why, 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 why? Seriously. And this is different than like a sexual fantasy. I'm not talking about where he has certain sexual fantasies and he's just picturing some random woman, especially if it's something like really dirty and he doesn't want to think about it with his current mate. Like that that happens all the time. I'm talking about is this sounds like a a romantic thing where he's actually picturing like the way a relationship would go with a perfect woman and how he'd make sure to be what she wants. And that's just not something you think about when you're happy in your current relationship. So that. It's kind of revealing. I, I hate to say it. And maybe that's been the source. I even said this before. Remember I was talking about the what is the reason Daniel's so angry? Some people who don't like him are going, oh, that's just always been him. And I'm going, I don't know. Like, I, I'd seen him in person. I'd interacted with him before. We were never friends or anything, but I, I had not seen the side of him until recently. I've seen some weird things over the years, but I've never seen this like angry, aggressive side of him until recently. And I said, this could be a few things. It could just be, uh, maybe he's been hiding it all this time. He's letting it out. Maybe we're just seeing more of him because of Twitch and we're seeing the bad side of him come out eventually. But maybe there are things that have changed. Maybe that, uh, maybe he is on some kind of, uh, testosterone supplement or, or, or steroids or whatever. And, and that's, uh, causing this rage. Maybe he's having problems in his marriage and he's in a bad mood. Like, maybe it's something else that's, external what's going on in his life but there there seems to be something going on but that last one is pretty telling so i guess we'll see where that goes but think about it a lot of you are married or in long relationships and since we have you know a lot of listeners here some of you are probably in good marriages some of you are in okay marriages some of you are marriages that you think might be ending soon but how often do you like romantically picture dates with other women? Not, not even women you know. I mean, like, just how often do you sit there and dream up an ideal hypothetical woman and what a day would be like with her? Other than like when you've just about checked out of your marriage. I bet like none of you do, right? And if you think about the times in your life when you have done that while in a relationship, it's probably been at the very, very end when either you're about to leave or you feel like she's about to leave you, right? It is not when everything is good or okay. Very weird. <laughs> now, maybe this was some choice center exercise, and I'm reading too much into this. Maybe it was at choice center, and they said, okay, now, even if you are married or in a relationship, put that aside for the moment, because this is a, this is a growth exercise. And for you to grow as a person, you have to put that out of your mind, because this is an exercise that allows you to see what others see in you. So... Please put out of your mind for the moment that you're in a relationship or a marriage and let's pretend you're single and you dream up someone who's the perfect mate of yours, then picture the perfect day with them and then 
perfect. And then picture what they would want from you and the person they'd want you to be. And then ask yourself, am I that person? And if your answer is no, then you need to work on yourself. Whether you're single or in a relationship or married, you need to work on yourself. Because if you are not the person that your dream guy or girl would want to be with, then there's things about yourself that you know can be improved. Things that you know you could work on. And it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or not. You can always work on these things. And then people are sitting there going, oh, wow, so deep. I'm glad I paid the $2,600 for this. Like, I, I could picture it. So maybe that's all that happened. And then he ran home and reported it on Twitter as if it was his own ideas. Maybe that's what happened. But maybe not. We will have to see. Remember when we were speculating about Prolot Friedman and his marriage? Look where that is now. I'm not saying that this marriage with Amanda is on the outs. We're headed that way, but I'm just saying this is a little bit unusual. I will give Daniel credit, though. He's given me a lot of material for this show recently. I've talked more about him recently than I have. Probably all the talk about him combined hasn't been as much as I have recently. We have an update on the story about the player at the Cosmopolitan who passed a $1.5 million bad check. This is a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive brought to us by listener Matt the Rat, and he posted an update on the Poker Fraud Alert forum, which I wanted to share with you guys. So if you recall last week, Matt the Rat reported that a guy passed a $1.5 million check at the Cosmo and then tried to leave town before they could catch it, and that they arrested him at McCarran Airport. And it was left up in the air. It, it was uh, a marker. He tried to pay it off with a check. He knew the check was no good at the time. It does seem like, from what Matt was told by the person giving him this story, that this person is very rich, but they knew the check wasn't good. Whether they could cover the $1.5 million, I don't know. Maybe they've lost everything and they were rich, but they it was someone who wasn't just like a, a nobody, which makes sense. They wouldn't just give a $1.5 million marker to just some nobody who can't prove that they have the money to cover it. So here is the information that was given to him. Now remember, this was given to him by a third party. He's friends with someone who owns a bail bonds company in California. So this person presumably lives in California. This friend of Matt's also lives in California, even though Matt is from Canada. And this person will not tell Matt who it is because it would violate the confidentiality. He just is telling him a generic story which is true, this guy claims, but just isn't naming names, that someone wrote a bad check to the Cosmo for $1.5 million and uh, got arrested and then hired his company to bail him out. So here, here's the update from Matt the Rat. He said that this guy gambled $40 million at Bellagio, Caesars, and Cosmopolitan altogether. Now, I don't know what that means because that sounds like a lot – but if that's the cumulative number of bets he placed, that it actually isn't that much. For example, if you placed 200 bets of 200K each, that would be 40 million. That's, that's still a lot, of course, 200K each, but, but, but the point is that, uh, that's 
not as much as it sounds. You hear someone gamble forty million, you picture them like putting out forty million in betting. All that really means is that that action was cycled through the casino. To put this in another way that makes it look even less, when I would do these marathon sessions to get seven stars, at minimum I would have to put in $500,000 worth of action through video poker. And someone who hear that would say, wait, you're risking $500,000 to be seven stars? And I said, no, 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 no. The theoretical return on these machines is uh, 99.54%. So... I'm getting most of it back. Yeah, there's variance to it, but I, there's no way I'm losing anywhere near the 500000 I'm wagering. I'm not even going to lose 10% of it, even in the worst case. So I'm cycling through money over and over and over again. That adds up to 500000 but I'm not risking 500000 So that's different. The giving amount of action versus placing one bet or a few bets that equal that amount are two different things. So if the guy cycled through $40 million at three casinos, obviously he's a very high roller, but not as high as that can sound. So I, I don't know what he, it means where he gambled $40 million. Now, it could mean that he had uh, the three of them that he lost $40 million or that he bought $40 million worth of chips. That would be more significant. Then he said that he it was someone that the person knew. He said, I can't say who it is, but when I found out who it was, I was pretty surprised. So maybe it's someone famous or semi-famous. He said, uh, we drank five bottles of Royal Salute 21 years yesterday between three guys and three girls. I don't know why he's hanging out with that person. <laughs> so he's hanging out with him now? The bail bondsman is actually hanging out with a, with a client? It's kind of weird. He said, we drank five bottles of Royal Salute 21 years yesterday between three guys and three girls. Man, I wish I could take pictures yesterday. This is from Matt's friend, not Matt himself. Man, I wish I could take pictures yesterday, but it was not possible to. The girls there were super, super pretty. And when he asked who the women were that were there, the guy responded back, the girls at the private bar who he went to. That's what he told Matt. Matt said, well, who were these pretty girls? And the guy's like, well, these were girls who were at the private bar that we were at. I wonder if they were hookers. Uh, sometimes that is the case. Sometimes hookers are brought in to just be there and hang out with people that want to, uh, you know, it can be arranged for them. Like, hey, get some pretty girls here. They'll actually hire hookers to be there and then have sex with the guys that they want. A lot of times the guys don't even know they're hookers. Like this this is something that goes on in Vegas sometimes. Not Not for the average person. But there, there have been like parties. This is a private bar, so there have been parties where people go there. There's lots of hot chicks there, and then amazingly, if you flirt with the chicks, they act very interested in you, and and will go back and have sex with you. And you're like, wow, it, it, just me being at this party made me attractive to them. Wow, I can't believe this. I can't believe this really hot girl is 25 years younger than me likes me, and she wanted nothing from me. She didn't ask for anything. She didn't want my phone number. It's not about gold dicking. I gave her nothing. Wow, she must have really liked me. Or maybe she was a hooker hired to be there. <laughs> and she's being paid by the person running the venue because people just remember their experience. And, you know, if some girl just has sex with you and kind of just goes away, then you enjoy it, you don't question it. This, in fact, was part of a murder story 
I told on this show a few years ago about uh, a guy who killed his business partner and faked that the business partner left on this trip around the world. Didn't do it very well either. But the murderer, when he was uh, chunking off all the money from the business, one of the things he was doing was he was going to Vegas and uh, he would arrange through a VIP host to hire hookers to hang out with him at the club in bottle service. And then any of the dudes that came along, these girls would ask, act really interested and sometimes go home and have sex with these dudes. And they would believe that just by being associated with this guy that they're getting laid by these really hot chicks. So they, they would make them like feel like this guy was cooler, that this guy's powerful, that this guy's such an awesome dude and girls are so impressed by him that you just show up to where he's at and, and there's always girls hanging around with him that, that will bang you just because you're associated with him. That was He was trying to project that. And he, he told this to the guy who arranged this for him. He says, this is, this is what I want. And the guy arranged this. This actually was done for him with the, with the embezzled money, which he ended up killing his partner over. And now he's in prison. So this goes on. Doesn't usually attach to murder, but uh, this goes on in Vegas. So I wonder... I wonder if uh, Matt the Rat's buddy was actually hanging out with hookers there and didn't realize it. Because you, you picture hookers looking a certain way, but they don't always look that way. There are some girls who are hookers who look nothing like hookers. They just look like really pretty young girls. They don't look trashy at all. They don't look like they're on drugs. They just, they really have just like the, the hot young chick look and not not the hooker look. A lot of stuff that goes on in Vegas isn't what it appears to be on the surface. So that's the little update I have to that. Not much more to say there. Let's move on to somebody else who also is not really what they appear to be on the surface, in my opinion. Dan Bilzerian. Dan Bilzerian, who I met in 2007 in Lake Tahoe, at Harris Lake Tahoe, Harvey's Lake Tahoe, actually. Uh, and it was in the poker room. He was known as the suitcase guy. Nobody knew who he was then. He was not poker famous. He was not Instagram famous. There was no Instagram, in fact, in 2007. In fact, it was early 2007, and I was there, I was playing poker by myself, and I was told the suitcase guy who's walking around with a suitcase of $100,000 inside of it and wants to play big, I try, he, he eventually came around, I challenged him to play me 100-200 limit hold'em heads up, and he said he wants to play 100-200 no limit hold'em heads up, which I didn't even have the role for there, nor did I know anything about him, so... I wasn't going to take that chance. I wasn't even a good uh, no-limit hold'em heads-up player, which I still am not. So I turned that down, and then eventually he angrily left the 5-10 game we were playing because he thought everyone was playing too much of it like a nit, which was true, but I wanted to not play like a nit. I was just, like, dealt trash over and over. So also nobody was giving me any any action. So if if you're the only one not playing like a nit at a table full of nits, you're going to get killed because they're all going to play premium hands against you. And you're going to get crushed at a full table. Anyway, Dan left in frustration and the game broke. Nobody knew who he was then. And then later I started seeing him. And then he became poker famous and then famous beyond poker. So people talk about him. People follow him now. He has millions of followers on Instagram. And he's created pretty much a brand around his extravagant lifestyle. Kind of like an extravagant, degenerate, do-whatever-the-fuck-you-want lifestyle. And he takes a lot of pictures around, like, tons of hot girls surrounding him, or at expensive parties, 
or uh, on boats. He loves to take pictures on boats or other uh, exotic locales. There's always really pretty girls around him. It seems to be just him and the girls. You don't see many dudes around or any dudes around. And he also loves guns. He shoots off guns a lot. Dan pretty much lives the ultimate playboy lifestyle. And it's worked. Like, a lot of dudes want to be him. A lot of guys really look up to him. He claims he won his money in poker. But he conveniently has a dad who made a lot of money, and some of this money is suspect. And suddenly Dan has a lot of money to buy into these high-stakes poker games where he wins a bunch of money, supposedly. So it doesn't take a genius to think that maybe... This all isn't what it appears to be. I got a call from the Washington Post, I think it was two years ago, and they wanted me to help them look into Dan Bilzerian and his finances. And uh, not they didn't want me to look into it, but they wanted my insight on him and whether this is some kind of uh, shady operation he's got going on. I, thought, I can't answer that. I don't, I don't know nothing about him other than what I've seen in public like you have and that one experience I had with him in 07, which is how they got my name. They Googled him and they, they found me in one of the articles about him, which I think was also in the Washington Post. So they... Uh, and I, I, think I, I think it ended up being released. That, that I, I think the article eventually came. I'm forgetting if I came out or not. Whatever. There's been a number of articles. I, I was quoted once in the Washington Post... But then I got a call again. I, I forget. You know what? I'm confused now. The second call may or may not have been the Washington Post, may have been a different publication. I don't even know. I'm losing track. But uh, they they wanted me to comment again, basically. They, they, they weren't content with just the first story. The first story I, I answered pretty quickly, and then they asked him, hey, this Todd Wittellis guy, they talked about the suitcase story. He's like, yeah, that sounds true. <laughs> so he, he said that my account of what happened was true, but I didn't end up really talking much with the second guy. Just we ended up never connecting. And I, I kept insisting to him there's nothing I can help with. Like I can't I can't give you any information about what Dan's doing with his money or any stuff like that. Just I don't have any knowledge of that. I don't even have any direct knowledge of the poker games he played in. Now I will say that and you, you saw some of this in Molly's game and you heard some of this when we had Houston Curtis on here. Those private games can be really, really good if you have the bankroll for them because they shut out most of the poker pros, and you, you're you basically playing against a lot of rich fish for a ton of money. So you can really clean up, and that's what Toby McGuire did. And in fact, he was this player X in the Molly's Game movie, and they depicted that happening, and it, it did happen. So if you're a good player, as Toby got himself to be, and you play against a fish, or a bunch of fish there, and very few pros around, uh, that whole theory I've always told you guys about that the absence of good players is more important than the presence of bad. That was definitely going on there. There was an absence of good players in those home games, those high-stakes home games, which are restricted. And that's where you can make the real big money in poker if you have the bankroll to sustain you, because you need the bankroll to withstand the variance. So it is possible that Dan won a lot of money. He even appeared on Howard Stern and bragged about winning like $50 million playing poker. I don't believe he's won $50 million, but... Yeah, maybe he's won a lot of money playing poker. Maybe he started out with a bankroll that, you know, who knows where that came from related to his dad. But it is very possible that he was a big winner in poker without being a really great player. I don't think he's a fish, but I, like if you sat down Blazerian down with the, the elite no limit hold'em players, he'd get crushed. 
And we even saw him play some on a stream one time, and he wasn't that good. So it's still believable he won money if he's playing in these private games where you don't have to be a spectacular player to really clean up. So anyway, that's not what we're talking about here. I'm just giving you a little background on him. By the way, in case you're jealous of him with all those hot girls, like is Dan really like having sex with nine girls at once? But he's not taking sex pictures. Like these aren't porn pictures or videos. These are just posed, clearly posed pictures with a lot of hot chicks that he hangs out with. But what is the story there? Are these really the girls that he hang out with? He hangs out with every day? No, these are hired models for the pictures. So the parties you see him having with these girls on the boats and other locales where it looks like they're having a great time, it's all staged. They show up specifically to take pictures and then leave. And that, in fact, their job is to show up, look like they're having a good time with him and leave. That's it. Now, that doesn't mean he also doesn't have sex with hot girls because he has a ton of money and he's famous. So I don't doubt that he banks hot girls, but those pictures are staged. All that stuff is staged. It's, it's just, it's as real as the movies or TV. It's really no more real than that. So don't be jealous of what you see, but he does have a carefree lifestyle. He does what he wants. He has many millions of dollars. That stuff's all true. And maybe he won a lot playing poker. Maybe, maybe not. Well, he started a company, a legalized pot company called Ignite. It's Ignite in all capital letters, exactly as it sounds. I-G-N-I-T-E, Ignite. And I hadn't heard much about it. I knew about it, but I never paid much attention, especially because I don't smoke pot. So to me, it's not like, oh, I'm going to smoke a Dan Bilzerian's pot. Like I, I don't smoke pot, so I never really paid much attention other than kind of loosely knowing that it was done. And then I, I forgot about it. Like, I heard about it and forgot about it. But apparently there's a lot going on with it. Now, I want to give you a bit of history with controversies involving Dan Bilzerian, and every single time, he was right. Every time something came up where Dan Bilzerian had the potential to look bad, it turned out he was right. And I found that pretty amazing. For example, when Joy Miller, remember her? When she banned him and all the victory poker pros, of which Dan was one at the time, from ESPN coverage, because Dan made a racially insensitive joke online, it looked like Joy, who was half black, was simply standing up for her own racial identity. This is a half black woman who was offended that he told an offensive racial joke. I don't know if it was about black people or not. Whatever it was, it was it was some kind of racially insensitive joke, and Joy was pissed and said he's banned from ESPN coverage. Now, I don't agree with that. That, that was a very early version of cancel culture before its time. Joy Miller should actually take credit for cancel culture. She actually, was, she was, she did this. She actually would cancel people, for, people from ESPN if she didn't like them. Well, that's what came out. So at first, people are saying, "Oh, wow, you know, people weren't as sensitive back then to all that as they are now." This is like ten years ago, but still, there was some sensitivity then. And some people said, "Hey, you know, wow, Dan's kind of a racist. Uh, maybe we kind of understand this." Well, Dan responded. Dan played a voicemail that Joy left him, and she sounded like a psycho. She wasn't just calmly telling him, hey, because you made an inappropriate uh, racial joke, we've decided not to feature you on ESPN, just calling to inform you and all the Victory Poker pros that we've made this decision. 
She screamed at him like a crazy person. She was, I, I'm gonna ban you from ESPN. I can do that. You know, I can ban whoever I want. It's like, just, you listen to that. You go, what a freaking crazy person. Now I knew this already because she banned me, not for any kind of a racial joke. She banned me just because she disliked me because I criticized her once years before that about how she screwed Terrence Chan in a tournament at, uh, that she was, uh, she, that she was running at the Playboy Mansion, which she did. She did screw Terrence Chan back then. Nobody knew who Terrence Chan was in those days, but she screwed Terrence Chan. I was not friends with Terrence Chan. I just was commenting on the situation. I was not a big activist for it. I made one post commenting on it on Never Win Poker, and she remembered years later and held a grudge and banned me from ESPN and jerked me around as far as commentating there when she heard I, I was given a commentating position for one event. Uh, she jerked me around and, and expected me to just expect I had it and then show up and be turned away. Real bitch. She, apparently, there were tons of others in poker that she did this to. Tons of people came forward after Dan played that voicemail and talked about different abusive behavior that uh, they had experienced at the hands of Joy Miller and that all had been afraid to say anything about it, either because she had the power not to cover them on ESPN or they worked in poker media and that she could get them denied a job. That everybody was afraid to speak out, but that Dan opened the floodgates and all of a sudden everybody had their own Joy Miller is abusive stories. Males and females. Just everybody had different stories about how she used her job as a baseball bat to beat people with when she didn't like them. Really terrible woman, Joy Miller. Anyway, she was pretty much run out of poker after that. Like, you can't actually be run out of poker, but she was virtually run out of poker and she was having a kid anyway at the time, so she just quit the industry and left. And that's why. She likes to say, oh, it's because I had a kid. No, it was uh, it was because of this and the kid. That was that. As soon as that happened, she tried to defend herself. She got killed on 2 plus 2, and she ran off because people saw she was crazy. So they, yeah, they saw that, that Dan Bilzerian told kind of a stupid racial joke, but uh, the way she responded, the way she was screaming at him and telling him how she can ban anyone from ESPN and, and then all the stories came out. It turned out she was the villain. So who was the winner in this? Who was the one who was right? Dan. Dan Bilzerian was right. Next story. Remember when Dan Bilzerian threw a stripper off of a roof and she got injured? That sounded pretty bad, right? This rich asshole just takes a stripper and throws her off a roof for fun and really injures her? Sounds like a psycho, right? Well, then the story came out. The true story was that this was a stunt, and the stripper had clearly consented for this stunt to be done, where he would throw her off a roof and she would land in a pool. She had agreed to this, and they had done this with other strippers who landed okay. However, when Dan threw her, she didn't let him throw her fully. She kind of like held on to him somewhat, whatever it was. She, she positioned her body in a way or grabbed onto something that stopped the momentum so she didn't have the momentum to reach the pool, and she hit the concrete. She didn't die. She just got injured. But that's what happened, and she blamed Dan when it was her own actions. Had she just let him throw her the way he was supposed to without interfering, then she would have landed in the pool. So the whole thing was her fault. So he had his high-powered attorney uh, in Los Angeles write a really funny letter to her that was made public on purpose. That was a really, really scathing and good and witty letter. And that was the end of that. The whole thing went nowhere, and it was very clear that Dan was in the right. So who was the winner again? Dan, and rightfully so. Then a story came out 
that Dan Bilzerian was suing a movie studio for not giving him enough screen time after he invested money in it. So people said, what a spoiled brat. Dan invests money in a movie and then demands that they give him screen time, and because he's not happy enough with the screen time they give him in the movie, that uh, he sues them like an asshole. Wow. I think, how can he get out of this one without looking awful? Well, he got out of it by posting the contract. He posted the contract he had with them. It turned out this was a struggling movie studio that was badly needing to raise money. And he said, I will donate, I will, not donate, I will invest in your movie. I will invest in your movie. In fact, I will invest no less than one million dollars. If you give me this much screen time. And they said, okay. So they basically traded a million dollar investment for the screen time. This wasn't a million dollar gift. This was like, he gets the screen time and he owned part of the movie if he were to do this. It was an investment, but he said he'll give the investment only if he can be in the movie for this minimum amount of time. They said, okay, sure. Well, knowing how Hollywood can be slimy, Dan smartly put in very specific terms of if they don't perform to what they promised, that here's the following penalty. So if he gets this much screen time or more, then everything's fine. If he gets this much to this much, they have to refund this percentage of it. If he gets this much to this much, they have to refund this percentage. And it goes all the way down like a sliding scale of depending on how much screen time he gets, how much they have to refund to him if they don't keep to that minimum they originally promised. So that was all laid out in the contract and they signed it. So then some asshole director they had who decided he wasn't going to be beholden to this, that he doesn't care what they promised Dan. He's going to make a good movie, and he doesn't like Dan's acting, so he's cutting his part a lot. So he just he edited out a lot of Dan's part. Dan was in it for a relatively short time, way less than that was agreed. Director wouldn't budge. And then Dan said, okay, well, here's what you owe me back. And they said, F you. We're not giving you the money back. We don't care what we signed. We're not giving it back. So he was clearly in the right. I mean, there's there was no question. They signed a very specific contract which laid out exactly what would happen if he had that much screen time as what they gave him. So he was owed a certain amount back. It was 100% clear in the contract, which they signed to and understood. 100% in the right, and they eventually backed down and paid him. Who was the winner? And rightfully so, Dan Bilzerian. So every time every time these things look bad, and notice who ends up being right, Dan Bilzerian. Look, look at this one. He was arrested for weapons violations a number of years ago. People thought maybe Dan had done something violent. Remember, this guy loves guns. Maybe he threatened people with a gun. Maybe he uh, was walking around town with tons of high-powered weaponry threatening people. Who knows? What, what was he doing? Weapons violations. and he, the looked like serious businesses. It was, uh, I think the FBI arrested him. It was something that looked pretty bad. Well, maybe not. Turned out he just went out into the Nevada desert, went to a very desolate area where nobody was, went with a buddy, and they were just shooting off big guns out there. Nobody was in danger. Just technically, he wasn't supposed to discharge firearms on federal land. Most land in Nevada is federally owned. You may not know that, but it's true. You think of Las Vegas... But Las Vegas is only a very small percentage geographically of the state of Nevada. Think of most of Nevada, which is just empty desert. Who owns that desert? Have you ever thought that as you drive up the 15 or on other roads within Nevada? Who owns this? Who owns this land? Well, it turns out most of it is federally owned. So Dan just kind of went to some desolate place where he knew he wasn't going to hurt anybody shooting off guns. He was trying to do the right thing. 
and turned out he was on federal land. He didn't realize it. It's illegal to discharge firearms, so they had to arrest him because he had technically committed a crime, and eventually it was dropped. So legally, yeah, he was in the wrong, but morally, who was in the right and who ended up prevailing anyway, even legally? Dan Bilzerian. So with these stories, doesn't it seem like every time there's a bad story about him, when you learn the truth, he's okay? Like, uh, every single time, that seems to be the case, and therefore, whenever something bad is reported about Dan Bilzerian, I take it with a grain of, grain of salt. Uh, like, every one of these scandals turns out to be a non-scandal, where even when he looks very bad at first, when the whole thing's said and done, it turns out he was the guy who was correct. So, maybe this streak is over. A series of YouTube videos was just done over the last week about Dan Bilzerian's company, Ignite. This was done by some guy who's not in poker, to my knowledge, just some guy who follows a bunch of uh, people on Instagram and likes to report on scams and frauds, which, of course, I can respect since I do that myself. And he did an extensive uh, three-part series about Dan Bilzerian's Ignite company. Uh, now, of course, this has some clickbait element to it. The first one is called Prison, question mark, and a picture of Dan Bilzerian. Uh, just to let you know, Dan Bilzerian is not facing prison. There, as far as I know, there's no criminal investigation against him. And this is just a theory like, well, if he's doing this, this could actually be a violation of the law, and he could go to prison. Well, that's a pretty big reach. So you, you don't put prison question mark unless he's being investigated or he's been arrested or something like, unless you have good reason to believe that prison is forthcoming for him, at least uh, a good chance of it. Uh, you, don't, you don't just theorize, well, what if this is illegal and what if he's done it and what if they arrest him? That's a lot of what ifs. So it's just clickbait. So don't be confused by that. But I'm going to play you some clips of this and you can make your own decision as to whether or not Dan Bilzerian is acting shady with this company Ignite, and then I'll read some testimonials of Ignite's product from members of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum, many of whom smoke marijuana. Look at this. The company literally has $3 million left in the bank. This company is on the brink of bankruptcy, but the mansion is locked up and Dan is nowhere to be found. My name is Tom Nash, and I quit my job as a senior financial analyst to chase down and expose fake gurus for you. With my background as an MBA in finance and marketing and over a decade of experience of dissecting and analyzing companies, no fake guru can bullshit me. It's funny, a guy named Tom Nash has a thick accent. I'm not sure where the accent's from, but wouldn't you expect Tom Nash to sound like just like a totally like typical American dude? He, my name is Tom Nash. <laughs> it's funny. He just he just wouldn't expect it from that name. Nevertheless, uh, he, he puts out some pretty detailed stuff. So listen to this. So Dan Bilzerian, a self-proclaimed king of Instagram, I don't know who gives out these titles, and the son of a convicted white-collar felon, um, has been all over the news lately. Essentially. It was exposed that he was renting his mansion, and you know me. When I start digging, I find things that people don't want me to find, and this is exactly what happened with Dan Bilzerian. I believe that there's a strong possibility that Dan Bilzerian is about to get sued, his company is about to go bankrupt, and he may go to jail based on the things I'm going to show you in this video. If you watched the Coffezilla video and you read the articles, you remember that the main point was that the Dan Bazarian mansion is actually rented and he isn't the one picking up the check. The company who was paying for that bill is a company owned by Dan Bazarian. It's called Ignite. Ignite is actually a public company in Canada, 
which means that it has to do a lot of reporting, and that means we have a lot of information. Now, the company is also a penny stock in the U.S., which means that it's regulated in the United States and Canada, which gives us a lot of tools to work with. As the funny thing is the stock symbol for Ignite is B-I-L-Z, you know, for Bilzerian. <laughs> it's not like I-G-N-I or I-G-N-T, which you'd expect for Ignite. It's B-I-L-Z. <laughs> Anyway, the mansion he's talking about, there's a mansion that uh, Dan has been seen in. He's been partying in it. There was even uh, a party that they showed a video of where Cardi B was performing there. It looked like a really expensive party, again, with tons of really hot models, really hot young models that are partying there. That I only saw clips of this in the YouTube video, but to me, the whole thing had a look like the the that these – Hot chicks there were hired to be there and look like they're having a good time. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's continue playing here. As far as getting information about the company. And immediately I did what I do best. What I did for a living for many, many years. I broke down their financials. But the stuff that I found there made me literally fall off my chair because it broke under my weight. But also because I've never seen anything like this in a decade of working with companies. This is like next level stuff. Dan Bilzerian has been literally using this public company as his own personal piggy bank, which is insane. In fact, I'm about to show you exactly how much money he took from the company and where did that money go. And then we're going to talk about lawsuits, bankruptcy, and potentially prison. And yeah, so these are pretty serious allegations that once you have a public company, you can't just take money out of it because it's not it's publicly owned. It's it's traded on stock exchanges, and you can't just uh, take money out for your own use, and you have to justify the company's expenditures and everything like that. So uh, this guy, Tom Nash, is claiming that Dan did just that, that he actually took money out of the company to party and screw around, and that none of these expenses had to do with Ignite, and he's surprised how obvious and blatant that Bilzerian was with doing this. And as always, just to be clear, this is strictly my opinion, which may not be accurate or entirely wrong. Do your own research and base your own conclusions on what you see online. So here are the financials for Ignite International Brands LTD. Here's the ticker BILZ. Here's the logo we all know. And let's take a look at something very interesting here. Let's go down to page 25. Indulge me here for a second. Let's speed it up. So in page 25... Or I mean section 25. By the way, what's the porn music in the background? What's the 70s porn music? <laughs> it doesn't go with its topic here. This could be, there couldn't be much of a less sexy topic than going through companies' financials. There is something very interesting that I want you guys to see. Because it's a public company, they have to report on any related party transactions. That's better Which music. means whenever the company does a deal with Dan or any of Dan's companies, they have to report it because if they don't, that's prison. This kind of sounds like an 80s like computer movie at this point. Kind of sounds like it could be the background music of war games. I'm, I'm getting distracted by this. I'm sorry. So here it is. Related party transactions. Key management personnel. And then let's just scroll down over here because this is the interesting part. Let's look at section B. Amounts due from related parties. So the first thing we see here is that the company actually paid travel expenses to Dan Balzerian, as you can see here, to the CEO in an amount of $75,000 for just March 31st, 2020, for the first quarter of 2020. 
you clearly see it's almost $300,000 per year just in travel expenses. Second thing is related party transactions. Section C. Check this out. These are all the related party transactions. So first of all, we have here $381,000 in reimbursement of salaries for Blitz, which is a Dan Bilzerian company. For some reason, Ignite is picking up the check for Blitz employees. Then we have $92,000, which the company is paying directly to Dan for that logo of Ignite. Then there's a lease payment to a company owned by Dan Bilzerian for whatever that may be. Then we have another $211,000 for termination of a lease of one of Dan's companies. Then we have $1.3 million in business expenses directly to Dan Bilzerian. Then we have $325,000 in marketing fees to Dan Bilzerian, whatever that means. And then we have more travel expenses of $360,000. And then we have an amount of $4.1 million and promissory note to a related company. And here we have the company paying interest of $230,000 to one of Dan's companies for a loan. So you hear this, it does sound pretty bad that there's so many different listings of money paid to Dan for various things, either companies he owns or for like really high travel expenses that don't make sense or for uh, services of his that wouldn't make sense to be getting this type of money for like like the logo for the company and just other weird things like that there's like every little thing they're paying him a ton of money for and it all adds up to a lot of money going out of the company to him and not just like he has a high salary it's just like weird justifications for paying out this money that's insane so what we have here is a public company picking up the check for millions of dollars for its CEO Dan Bilzerian either personally or through one of his companies, which is essentially like using your company as your own personal piggy bank, which is an unthinkable act, especially in a public company. Because what we have here is a CEO who's raising a lot of money from the public based on the promise to develop a business, but it takes a large chunk of that money and uses it to pay for his own lavish lifestyle as part of the company's expenses, which is insane. How insane that is, you may ask? Very, because essentially, just if you take a look at the general and administrative expenses of this company, it's more than triple what they actually have in gross profit of actually selling product. So as you can see here, this is the P&L. So essentially, that's how much the company profited and how much it spent. That's just cash flow. As you can see here, it has sales revenue for March 31st, 2020 of 1.7 million. That's the sales revenue. That's before expenses. That's just how much it got in revenue. So, so yeah, if you're following along here, 1.7 million apparently has been taken in in the first quarter of 2020 in just sales. And then he goes on to explain the rest. 1.7 million. You may say, hey, COVID-19, you know, that's why the company isn't selling that well. Well, it's $100,000 more than last year before COVID. So it has nothing to do with COVID. It's not COVID. The company just can't sell product. And if you scroll a little bit down, these are the general and administrative expenses. Essentially, here you have the payroll, basically everything that has to do with the administrative expenses of the company. So the company expended 4.8 million. 4.8 million. For a company that just sold product at 1.7 million of revenue to expand 4.8 million in general and administrative expenses 
is mind boggling. Essentially, what we have here is an inflated expense account of the entire company. And my suspicion is it's because Dan Bilzerian has been using this company as his own personal piggy bank to finance his insane lavish Instagram lifestyle. Let's take a look at the management discussion and analysis for March 31st, 2020. Right here, you can see the total assets. Right here, you can see the total liabilities. Right here, you can see that the company has assets equaling 31.6 million as of March 31st, 2020. And you can see it has a total liabilities of 33 million for the same period, meaning that the company has more liabilities than assets, meaning that by definition, the company is insolvent. If somebody was to call upon the company and say, hey, pay up all your debts, the company would not be able to do it. It doesn't have enough assets and cash to pay for its entire liabilities. And now let's take a look at the summary of the financial results. And if you take a look here, you'll see something very interesting. In accounting, when you have brackets over number, it means that it's a loss. So as you can see here, from the first moment the company started reporting in June 30th, 2018, all the way to the latest financial reports, the company has never had any type of net positive income. Yeah, in fact, it looks really bad in the previous year. It, it started reporting in June two, June 30th, 2018, uh, lost $1.469 million. Then it lost $6.879 million the following quarter, $8.297 million in the last quarter of 2018, then it lost $11.288 million in the first quarter of 2019, then $10.977 million the next quarter, then $13.12 million in the one ending September 30th, 2019, a year ago, and then December 31st, 2019, the final quarter of, of 2019, they really lost a ton. They lost $100 billion. Not quite that much, but not that far either. $34 million, it says they lost from September 30th through December 31st, 2019. Wow. Three-month period, $34 million. I guess they did well comparatively in the first three months of 2020, only losing $8.939 million. So that's a lot of money lost. I mean, look at that. Look, at If you add it all up, I'll quickly do it in my head here because there's no total listed. But it may, maybe this guy says what it is if I keep playing the video. But to me, it looks like uh, eighty million or so, which means it always lost money. The company's ability to continue in the normal course of operation is dependent on its ability to raise financing or through the sale of its investments. Essentially, what they're saying here is that the company cannot exist any longer without raising money from the public or investors. That means that the company is out of cash. They are insolvent. They are on the brink of bankruptcy. Look at this. The company literally has $3 million left in the bank, which means that this company is on the brink of bankruptcy. Any single creditor can start a whole shitstorm by asking the company to repay its debts. The whole existence of this company at this point is based on the good faith of its creditors and its future ability to pay up its debt. The problem is that at some point, that faith is going to run out. It's just going to happen out of the blue one day. Let me tell you a story about a guy named Dan. Dan used to live in a big, big mansion. And in that mansion, there's a lot of work to be done on the mansion. You have to get people to clean the pool, you know, to do the windows, to install some unique furnishing, 
uh, some bowling alleys, and the people kept coming and then kept paying them in company checks with, you know, let's call the company Ignite. And, you know, these are expensive projects. So, you know, the carpenter gets 10 checks of $50,000 each. The pool guy gets 15 checks of $10,000 each and so forth and so forth. And eventually what happens is the company has a lot of checks running around in town for all of these professionals making everybody rich. The carpenter is driving a Ferrari. You know, the pool guy is getting a Porsche. Everybody's having a blast. They're all having these Ignite checks laying in the bank. They're all fine and then. And then something interesting happens. The carpenter and the pool guy are sitting in the bar talking about Dan Bilzerian and how much money they're making from this guy. And then they hear a news story about how Dan's company is not in such a good shape. And they realize that they have a situation here. So all of these guys get in their Porsche and Ferraris and drive to the mansion to ask them to give them cash for what he owes them instead of these checks. But when they get to the mansion, they find out that there's 5,000 people banging on the doors with their pitchforks to get their money. But the mansion is locked up and Dan is nowhere to be found. And that was just a hypothetical story, of course. That didn't really happen. So what happens next is quite interesting. Ignite, who's been insolvent, actually declares bankruptcy. Share price plummets down. The company cannot pay. Okay, I won't continue. It's just speculation. This uh, this is where it starts to get sensational. The, the, the first two-thirds of this video, which is about 15 minutes, was interesting. Anyway, you get the point. There's two other videos about this, including one saying that it's really Dan's father who's been running the company, not Dan. But you can read all these. I, I posted them in the Flying Stupidity section of Poker Fraud Alert. It's, the thread is called Dan Bilzerian Accused of Wrongdoing Involving His Legalized Pot Company, Ignite. Now, someone uh, someone uh, on Poker Fraud Alert, Bootsy Collins, who's been a member of the community since the beginning, wrote, Coming from someone who had actual verified product of Ignite, it was certainly not worth the price. Very disappointed in the product. And yes, a hot 20-something really sold me on the product. <laughs> I don't know how he knew this hot 20-something, but he claimed he was sold on the product by some hot girl. Uh, he's saying what I read from other people as well about Ignite's product, that it was too expensive. That it was just kind of okay and way too expensive. Just one of these things that you expect is going to be good because it's more expensive than comparable product uh, competing with it. And then it's not. It's just okay. And he's like, what am I paying all this extra money for? Which, if they never planned for the company to succeed in the first place, makes sense. So I don't know what was going on with this. I don't know if it was ever a serious venture, if the whole thing was just uh, a plan to do something shady. Uh, there's another video where he talks about more extensively about the renting of the logo, that all this money was paid to rent the logo, which isn't anything that special. It's just kind of an ordinary-looking uh, logo for the company, but that that was valued at way too high and that Ignite was paying a ton of money for that to one of Dan's companies for de uh, for designing the logo. So yeah, I have to admit the whole thing doesn't look very good. Now, there are ways to worm out of this. The, the problem with business expenses is that there's a lot of ways to justify them even when a common sense analysis would say, oh, no, this looks shady. It, it's Knowing something shady from just seeing it and proving it is shady are two different things. And the best defense Dan could use to all of this 
and I say this, of course, as a non-attorney, but just uh, from a quick thought of the whole matter, the best defense he could have is that the big value to the company is him, that it's not just the product they're selling, they're also selling Dan Bilzerian and his, his association with it. So in order for this product to stand out, he has to be at these expensive parties and live in this expensive mansion and uh, travel all over the world, That the, to put, put up all these Instagram posts and hire all these models with company money because people otherwise are not going to pay this premium. They're paying the premium because they're buying kind of a piece of his lifestyle. And if this was not run by him, if this is just run by some average Joe you've never heard of, nobody would pay these prices. And they can say that that's the business model. The business model is to charge a premium because it's associated with Dan Bilzerian. And Dan Bilzerian's brand is being very extravagant and, and living this crazy playboy lifestyle, which he has to continue, which is a poor business plan. But can you call it fraud at that point? Can he get in any kind of legal trouble for it, either civilly or criminally? And I'm not sure. I'm not anywhere near an expert on this type of law. But that could be a defense he uses. Whereas if he was just an average Joe doing this, it would be much worse. I would I would say that uh, let's say I was the run, one running the company and I was doing all this, I would have a harder time claiming that oh I'm selling myself. Well, why though? Why would I be selling myself? I'm not someone everyone wants to follow or or be like. I, I I'd just be some older guy who, who's taking money out and partying with it. So here, before Ignite existed, Dan had already built a brand about being this uh, rich party playboy who's always surrounded by hot chicks and fun situations. So he may say, I've got to continue this, otherwise uh, my brand goes down and therefore Ignite goes in the toilet. So that was our brand the whole way. That was our plan the whole way. And uh, just because we lost money, that just means our business idea wasn't good. It doesn't mean we did anything fraudulent. So that's something to think about, that this may not be as obvious as this uh, Tom Nash is trying to say it is. Uh, there is this party that there's a video of. I don't think it's much worth playing here. I think it's just music. It says Grammy Award winner Cardi B performs at uh, Dan Bilzerian party. You can find it on YouTube. It's actually on Ignite's page. They're not hiding it in any way. It's actually on Ignite's YouTube page. Uh, it says yeah, Grammy Award winner Cardi B performs at Dan Bilzerian's party. That's exactly what it says. And it's a one-minute video of a montage of the party. And as I said, a lot of really hot chicks look like models there who I don't think were there randomly. Obviously, Cardi B was not cheap to hire to perform there. Uh, arguably, the most staged part of the video are these two really hot young girls French kissing each other. I have a feeling that didn't just happen by itself. I have a feeling that this is a directed shot. Like, okay, you two now... Give each other a big, uh, deep kiss for the camera. Okay, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the perverts are gonna love this one. Like I'm, I, so many of this look, so much of this looks staged for this montage. It was a real party, and Cardi B really performed there. But I think they also are throwing in staged scenes of uh, models that were hired for it. It looks like a very, very expensive party. Very, very expensive, and. I'm sure it was paid for by Ignite Dollars. It's even on the Ignite YouTube channel. So who knows what this is about. With Dan Bilzerian, you never know. 
the shady father who's been convicted of financial crimes, uh, Dan's strange source of money that he brought into these poker games. He likes to claim he worked his money up from nothing, that he didn't start with daddy's money, but I don't believe that. I might believe he won and won a lot, but he also might not have. But he didn't work his money up from nothing. I'm just about sure his dad had something to do with it. And the question is, companies like Ignite, like what was the purpose? What was the purpose? That's a good question. Was this ever meant to be a seriously profitable company? Or was it not? Or was it uh, kind of meant to be, but also kind of meant to do other things? And what? Uh, how serious did they believe their business plan really was? Did they really think that spending all this money was going to work and overcharging for the product was going to work? Like, I, maybe it was just a dumb idea. I mean, the numbers don't lie. It's been a failure. Unless Tom Nash was presenting us phony numbers, which I doubt. So obviously it's been losing tons of money. And my quick estimation from looking at that sheet, it looks like a little more than two years, or less than two years because it ended March 31st, that they've dropped like $80 million. But if a lot of that was to Dan or his companies, that's going to look pretty bad for a publicly traded company. So we'll see. Maybe Tom Nash is onto something and uh, a hammer's going to come down or maybe... Dan already thought of this. Maybe Dan already had this whole thing worked out of what they're going to say if there's ever any attempt of uh, lawsuits or criminal charges against him. And maybe it is going to be along the lines of what I said. That, hey, I'd, I'm not embezzling from the company. The whole company was founded around a product that is based upon my extravagant lifestyle, which existed before the company. So otherwise, you guys explain, how am I supposed to market this around me if I can't live this lifestyle that's supposed to be driving the product? And that might be a hard one to prove. Maybe the uh, attorneys, for those that know about this, uh, could chime in on that as well, as well, if that would be a defense to this. I don't know. I definitely would not want to invest in this. Uh, in another one of the videos, Tom Nash says that it was uh, actually delisted from... Uh, a list of suggested companies to buy into when whoever was uh, in charge of putting that list together saw the way it was being run. But you can go watch these videos for yourself on Tom Nash's channel if you're interested. You can text me at 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. It's a way to reach this show or me at any time of the day, 24 hours a day, Seven days a week. From the 773, what the fuck? Zero notice. What happened to Saturday? No wonder Drexel gets pissed. I give up. Come on, you're not listening to me. I told you that the last few weeks have been on Friday. I had to move it to Saturday one week recently. But other than that, we've been on Friday recently. I've mentioned in the last two shows that I'm trying very hard to keep it to Friday. Friday is the better day. And that's what I'm going to shoot for. Is It's going to be Friday. I think you're just confused. Okay, moving on. Brian Wojtek is an ACR scammer. He is the most prolific of ACR scammers. What he does is the money trade scam, where he says that he has ACR to trade, that's America's card room, that he can send it to you. You just need to send him PayPal, Cash App, whatever, and then he will send you the ACR. 
He doesn't do this under his own name. He never has. He does this under all these different phony names. Sometimes he impersonates semi-known poker pros, ones that you could look up and see have had some success, but not are super famous that people would know is not them. Sometimes he just steals pictures of successful poker pros and creates an entirely new name. And something he loves to do is block me before he does anything. He creates a new Twitter account. He pre-blocks me, so I can't see what he's doing. (laughs) And then he runs a scam. So he always makes sure to pre-block me because he knows I like to report on him. If you might remember, I had some contact with him way before he was a known scammer, way, way before, back in 2009, I happened to run into him online at something that had absolutely nothing to do with poker or gambling. He called himself Floppy Bob back then and attempted to run what he calls the Floppy Bob Show. You can still find it if you look on YouTube for the Floppy Bob Show, even though his name's not Bob. You can find the way he looked. You could watch him on video from 2009. Of course, today he's 11 years older. Uh, he, at one point, he asked me to stake him, and I said, sorry, I don't stake people, and that was the end of that conversation. I'm pretty sure if he won anything on that stake, I was not going to see it. That was a pretty smart decision on my part. I also have a feeling he's not a very good player, or he wouldn't be resorting to scamming. But he lives in Las Vegas, and he has been a very, very prolific scammer, ripping people off of uh, amounts that are usually two or low three figures, so never like a large amount, but once in a while, I shouldn't say never, Usually not a large amount, but sometimes in the several hundred up to a thousand. But most of these have been smaller amounts of money that just add up. He just uh, keeps making these small trades. And I think that's some of the reason people trust him, because it's not that much money. And he's been at this for a long time. He's the most prolific money trade scammer in poker today by a wide margin. It's a lot of smaller scams. I know the FBI was interested in him at one point, and I even had a discussion with the FBI about him at one point, but uh, as far as I've seen, nothing's gone anywhere yet. I have long encouraged people to go to the police about him, and you can only go to the police in Las Vegas to report this, though maybe your local police department will do it, but they probably won't. They'll probably say this is the internet. We go. They'll, they'll direct you somewhere else. The pro- He's actually benefiting. I don't know if it's knowingly or unknowingly. He's benefiting from jurisdictional issues and from a lack of uh, knowledge about how to handle financial scams online by most police departments, and most of them will just direct you to some idiotic page online where you make an online report to the FBI, and it basically goes nowhere. So the best you can do is, and I know it's hard to travel to Las Vegas these days, but if you're not already in Las Vegas and he rips you off, then next time you're in Las Vegas, preferably not too long after the scam happens, go into the Las Vegas Police Department and report him. He is a resident of Las Vegas. I have his last known address and report him. And if there's enough reports about him, they will investigate him and arrest him. But I can't do it. I can't report it because if I call up and report Brian Wojtek, they will ask me, okay, and how much did he steal from you? And then I will have to break the news to them that the grand total is... Zero point zero. And they will hang up on me. I cannot report crime that was committed against third parties. In certain cases I could, but not in something like this. I can't report uh, an online poker money trade scam that happened to somebody else. The victim has to report it. 
So you're going to have to go in person to Las Vegas and do this. But I strongly encourage that if you want to see him arrested for this. Anyway, the reason that I am bringing up Wojtek in this particular segment is that he's come up with a new tactic, which is actually clever. And I want to warn you guys about it. So Wojtek is very aware that whenever a money trade is suggested on one of his accounts, there are a number of people, myself included, who catch it and then publicize it. And then he has to abandon that name and move on to another name. So he'd prefer that people don't call this out, but more and more people are getting used to his M.O. and call him out. So he's come up with a new tactic, which is kind of clever. What he does now is he pretends that he is calling out Brian Wojtek. So he actually responded to a poker fraud alert post under a new account, under one of his accounts. He actually responded talking about a scam, Brian Wojtek. And if you're confused, I understand because this is him calling himself out. He's actually telling poker fraud alert about Brian Wojtek. Is that crazy? (laughs) So why would he do this? Why would he call himself out? Why would he bring even more heat upon himself? Why would he ever consider doing that? Well, he figures that if he's calling himself out, he's already known to be a scammer. So there's no saving his own reputation. So if he were to be someone else who hates Brian Wojtek, then you could trust that person, right? So he responded to when I uh, put the radio show up on August 17th, a uh, Matthew Mendez, who is really him, Mendez Pokes 87, Mendez with a Z, Pokes, P-O-K-E-S, 87. He responded, this is Brian Wojtek's new handle. Not meaning him. He, he posted a screenshot of this one called uh, Rob Mighty one time. He said, this is Brian Wojtek's new handle, same old BS, wrestling post and scamming for ACR. Please spread the word for awareness. Well, at the time when I received this on August 17th, I thought, oh, yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. For, why would I think this is him? I've had other people who call him out and then I spread the word. So he was actually calling out a screen name he had abandoned, this uh, Rob Mighty One Time handle, so he could establish himself as a Voitech hater and then scam people. Kind of clever, right? But yeah, that's what it looks like he was doing. <laughs> and then, of course, now he's saying he's going to trade ACR. This is Matthew Mendez, who, by the way, has... Todd Wattell is blocked. He doesn't have Poker Fraud Alert blocked because he, he's responding to Poker Fraud Alert, but he has me blocked. So somehow he's he's letting Poker Fraud Alert know about Voitech's new handle but blocks me. Makes a lot of sense, right? That's because it's him. So he's and he's trying to trade ACR. And now he now he's blocked Poker Fraud Alert too, I'm seeing. <laughs> so be careful. Because he's trying to trade ACR as a Voitech hater. And he's been having private conversations with people as well and saying, oh, watch out for this guy. That's Wojtek. Watch out for that guy. It's Wojtek. And then, oh, by the way, if you really want to trade ACR with someone honest, uh, here I am. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're the one calling out Wojtek. You must be honest. Nope. It's Wojtek. (laughs) Wojtek calling out Wojtek. And you're going to get scammed. Now, there's a very simple way to avoid this other than not doing these trades at all. Make them send first. No matter who they claim to be, unless you have verification that the person doing it is who they say they are and that they're trustworthy. Don't just take a, a screenshot of somebody who uh, played poker or something and, and whose name you've heard of. I mean, you have to make sure it's really them and that they are trustworthy. 
because there's other people out there doing this, not just Brian, though he's the one who's doing it the most by far. So make them always send first. And if they won't, then forget it. That's the way to prevent this, because I will let you in on a secret. I don't think Wojtek has money on ACR. I think he just uses ACR as a premise to scam you, but he doesn't even have money. It's not that he doesn't send you the money he has. I think he doesn't have the money on there at all. So that's his newest tactic. So watch out for guys that are warning you about Wojtek. There was also a weird conversation that some account, it may have been this one, was having with Tony Big Charles, of all people, where he was trying to convince him to meet up in Vegas and was even asking him, hey, man, how much money do you have in your bankroll currently? And I have a business opportunity for you. So I think he was actually trying to to meet uh, – he was trying to get – Tony Big Charles to meet him somewhere in Vegas, like in some parking lot or something, and claimed he had a business opportunity for him. And then when Tony wasn't interested, then he started threatening him. I think that was Wojtek because it was the same MO of talking about Wojtek first and then moving into this stuff. What a weird guy. I really hope this guy goes to jail one day. It's a tragedy that he's gotten away with this for so long and Scam so many people. I mean, if you take Wojtek out of this, there's almost no ACR scams. Like, almost all the ACR scams point back to him. Yeah, there's been some others that other other people did, but I mean, he's doing so many of them. Every time one of these is going on, it, it turns out it's exactly his MO. It's So many of them are him. And then he likes to mock you at the end. I think he's enjoying this, because after he's victimized you, then he will mock you and sometimes threaten to kick your ass and then block you. And and then also, he either mocks you, threatens you, or justifies it like, hey, man, I just got ripped off the other day. That's just the way the poker world works. And like like somehow it's justifiable to steal from you if he got stolen from, which isn't even true. No one's even ripping him off. So that's what Brian Wojtek is up to these days in Las Vegas. Okay, let's go to some coronavirus news. There's only one piece of news about the coronavirus But it's a big piece of news. One thing that has been very tough for those researching the coronavirus has been figuring out why it does what it does. How is the human body getting affected in such bizarre ways? Why does it behave differently than all the other viruses we've seen? It's very unusual. There's many, many unusual qualities about it. In fact, I I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but this is the reason I most believe that this was man-made, not intentionally distributed. I think it was accidentally let out, but I think it was man-made in China because it is so unusual and so weird. So the effect of the on the human body, there's two weird things about the coronavirus. The first weird thing is how it has this perfect combination of being very contagious not hitting you with heavy symptoms until a few days after getting it, and that you're most contagious right before showing symptoms. I mean, that's that's really perfect to spread around the whole com- uh, the whole population. Because usually, once oh, and it's very deadly. It's like it's all those combinations together: deadly, spreads well, and spreads most when you haven't felt symptoms yet. That's perfect for a virus. It's a perfect combination as far as being harmful. 
not perfect for the virus. The, what's perfect for a virus actually is that it infects you and that nobody dies because then everybody can keep spreading it around. But as far as something that's going to be harmful and can spread, it, it's perfect for them. And that's why it's so much worse than anything else we've dealt with. Everything else is either very deadly but doesn't spread easily because people don't have the ability to walk around to spread it once they're that sick, or they spread a lot but they don't do very much harm. The common cold is a good example of that. So the coronavirus, in addition to being unusual in how it spreads, another strange thing about it is that it has a lot of effects on the body that aren't understood. Think of all the weird things it does. People have this weird effect on their toes sometimes. There's the loss of taste and smell. There is the attacking of different major organs of the lungs, of the heart. Uh, there seems to be a, a blood element to it as well. There's so many different severe symptoms. There's just so many weird things about it. And people are like, why exactly... Are people's bodies responding this way? How is it attacking the body this way? Why is this so different than every other virus? And for all this time that it's been studied, which is now about three quarters of a year, nobody's come up with any real answers. There's been theories, but then they didn't completely pan out. They were never proven. Well, a supercomputer may have actually gotten the answer for us. And this could be a huge breakthrough, not only in understanding it, but also in developing an effective treatment or possibly using existing drugs to treat it because there are existing drugs to treat this problem. And if it's, if this is correct, then these existing drugs could be adapted to treat the coronavirus. And this could be a tremendous breakthrough because if you think about it, we don't have to cure or eradicate the coronavirus. We don't have to make it disappear. We just need to make it to where it's not killing people or doing damage to their bodies. And once we can get that under control, then there's a treatment for it. And if you get it, no huge deal. The problem right now is if you get the coronavirus, it could be a death sentence and there's nothing you can do. If you are destined to die from it, there isn't much you can do to intervene. There's been some things we've learned what not to do. We've learned that ventilators aren't useful. We've learned that for whatever reason, putting people on their stomachs seems to help them breathe better. So little things like that have been found to make treatment better. But we don't have any kind of real effective treatment. Uh, there's been some things that may or may not help, but there really has not been a breakthrough treatment in all this time. You're only a little better off with it today than you were six months ago as far as treatments are concerned. And it's more of been learning things not to do rather than learning things to do. So the bottom line is if you get the coronavirus and it starts to get bad, you can pretty much bend over and either kiss your ass goodbye or pray that it doesn't get worse than it already is. There's not much further that can be done. And that's a very helpless feeling to just watch yourself get sicker and sicker and no, there's nothing you can do to stop it. So this, and I said this on a previous show, I said that a treatment is actually more important than a vaccine because a vaccine just stops you from getting it. But if it's not fully effective, which it very well may not be, 
then the consequence of getting it is still very bad, and that still makes it extremely scary and extremely damaging. The treatment, which could reduce it to no big deal, provided you jump on it fast enough, that would be the biggest possible breakthrough. Well, we don't have that yet, but we may be on the way, and this study by the supercomputer could be cited when we look back in history as the turning point. I, I don't want to sound too optimistic here because I'm assuming a lot of things and I'm hoping a lot of things, but this is a good sign. A group of researchers at Oak Ridge National Lab in Tennessee used what's known as the Summit Supercomputer, which is the fastest or second fastest computer in the world. And they needed this supercomputer to analyze a mass amount of data. They had data on 40,000 genes from 17,000 genetic samples related to COVID-19. And it was a very, very deep analysis. And it analyzed 2.5 billion genetic combinations. And from this, the supercomputer actually came up with a new theory, which has been dubbed the Brady-Kanin hypothesis. And this was something that has never been thought before, but a lot of things seem to connect. So there's uh, something called uh, a Brady-Kanin, which is a peptide. And uh, it can cause blood vessels to leak. And when blood vessels leak, it can be a disaster because this allows fluid to accumulate in organs and tissue. And when this occurs, then people can die or come very close to dying. It was noticed that in COVID-19 patients that the this system was unbalanced and that people who had COVID-19 had increased gene expression for Bradykinin receptors and also enzymes known as uh, calicranes that activate the kinin pathway. So this does explain a lot of aspects of COVID-19 that previously weren't known, such as why is there such a large accumulation of fluid in patients' lungs? A lot of people who are dying are dying in a very bad way, and that is fluid built up in their lungs and they can't breathe. It feels like they're drowning, and that's what kills them. That's a really, really bad way to go. You think drowning's bad. Like, if you think about crappy ways to die, drowning is definitely near the top of your list, probably. But imagine a slow drowning. I'm not talking about being, having your arms tied together and being dropped in the ocean, which would be terrible. But imagine like a slow drown. That's, that's what this is. It's terrible. So, it wasn't understood why the coronavirus is causing this fluid to quickly build up in people's lungs and they die. And now it is believed through this theory that this is actually related to the Bradykinins and that uh, they're causing blood vessels to leak and that uh, they're leaking into the lungs. So according to this research, and this this part was already known, that the SARS-CoV-2 infection, which is, uh, which is uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, that it starts when it enters the body through ACE2 receptors in the nose which is why it's thought that uh, 
it's breathing in the virus that's getting it from everybody, not so much touching surfaces. That it's uh, something you breathe in, that it enters through your ACE2 receptors in the nose. And then, and there's a lot of those in your nose. Then it moves through the body, and any other cells that have ACE2 receptors will, uh, that, that it will go into. The intestines have them, kidneys have them, the heart has them. And people have noticed, it's been noticed that people with COVID-19 often do have cardiac and gastrointestinal symptoms. But what does this have to do with the lungs? How, how does it get to the lungs then? Well, what it does is it takes over the, the body's symptoms and then it upregulates the ACE2 receptors in cells and tissues where they're not that common. So all of a sudden your lungs start to get a lot more ACE2 receptors and now the virus can get in there. And then once in there, then what's known as a bradykinin storm happens. And the the way the body that the way it regulates the bradykinin runs amok and the body stops breaking it down. And then uh, what happens is uh, the blood vessels leak fluid and it gets into the lungs and people die. It was compared in this article to a burglar that slips into your house and then not only stealing your stuff, they open all the windows and doors to let in other burglars who want to steal more. They're saying that's basically what the coronavirus is doing is it gets in through the ACE2 receptors and then adds a bunch of ACE2 receptors onto other organs that don't normally have them. So the coronavirus can get in there as well. So the, the researchers wrote, the pathology of COVID-19 is likely the result of bradykinin storms rather than the cytokine storms that were previously thought to be responsible for people's bodies' overreaction that were killing them. They said that the two may be intricately linked, but it's actually the bradykinin storm that might be killing people. Another researcher had made observations way back in March, a researcher back in in, in, uh, the Netherlands, and he had uh, theorized that the bradykinin system was causing leaky blood vessels in the lungs. But at the time, this wasn't given much credit. The supercomputer, upon finding this from analyzing all of this genetic data, which it took a week to do, despite being the second fastest computer in the world, it still took a week to analyze all this data because there was so much to analyze. But it came up with this. This is what it spit out. Joseph Penninger, the director of Life Sciences Institute at the University of British Columbia in Canada, said that uh, it does make a lot of sense. And he's, by the way, the one who first uh, identified that the ACE2 is essential for the uh, coronavirus to get in to your body in the first place. He said that... uh, it supports the hypothesis, but additional research is needed for confirmation. Gene expression signatures don't tell us the whole story. I think it's very important to actually measure the proteins. So you know, he's saying, we're not sure, but this is all connecting pretty well. And uh, there's also another aspect of the study that says that uh, the that COVID-19 increases production of uh, something called HLA, hyaluronic acid, in the lungs. And that, uh, in fact, HLA is in soaps and lotions because it absorbs more than a thousand times of its weight in fluid. And so if this uh, fluid is leaking into the lungs and increases this HLA, 
then it uh, it's able to absorb a lot more fluid. And someone described it as trying to breathe through jello. It's like filling your lungs with jello and trying to breathe through it and why people have such incredible difficult breathe time breathing. This also would explain why ventilators have not worked. Physicians have been baffled as to why ventilators have failed when they seem to help people with labored breathing in most other cases. And uh, the researcher said it, it reaches a point that regardless of how much oxygen you pump in, it doesn't matter because the alveoli in the lungs are filled with this hydrogel. The lungs become like a water balloon. The Bradykinin hypothesis also explains why about 20% of COVID-19 patients have heart damage because uh, this, uh, this system controls the aspects of cardiac contractions and blood pressure. And it also explains the dizziness, seizures, delirium, and stroke, which happen in about 50% of hospitalized patients. French research said that leaky blood vessels in the brains of COVID-19 patients were observed and that at high doses that bradykinin can break down the blood-brain barrier. The blood-brain barrier, by the way, is uh, it's a feature of the human body that prevents toxins that get into your blood, such as from things you eat, from messing up your brain, since your brain is the most uh, important part of your body. There are a few things that can breach that barrier, and sometimes those are used for drugs to help psychiatric issues. For example, Xanax breaks the blood-brain barrier where you take Xanax and it uh, it affects the way your brain works, which normally uh, it's, it's hard to do that. So that's, Xanax is the only one, but there, most things you eat uh, don't affect your brain, and that's because of the blood-brain barrier. That's saying that, it, that, the, that the bradykinin can actually break that down. So what do we take from all this other than understanding it better, if this is true? This hasn't been verified, but it all seems to make sense. It's one of these things where you don't know for sure this is the problem, but every part of it starts to make sense. It's kind of like putting a crime scene together. and You don't have, you don't have any direct evidence against the criminal, but all of it fits. All of it fits. You, uh, you know the guy had a reason to kill this person. You know he was there at the you, – you, you see that he was near the murder scene. You see that he normally doesn't go over there. Uh, you have all this different circumstantial evidence, but you don't have any proof. No one actually witnessed him doing it, and you don't have any physical evidence other than uh, he was in that general area where he normally doesn't go, and he had a reason to do it, and he wasn't home at that time. And you add it all together, you go, he's got to have been the one who did it, right? Well, that's kind of what's happening here. They're saying that uh, there's so many different pieces that fit together because of this. I had read a previous study that was very convincing that goes along with this one. I, I got to find it again, but it was a study that never got much attention that talked about how COVID is really more of a disease of the blood, not a disease of the lungs. And it even explained, I forgot what the explanation was. It explained why for that reason that kids are not getting affected that badly. I forgot what it was though. Now this article I'm reading, by the way, does not explain at all why kids aren't affected badly and why young people do far better than middle-aged people and older people. The very old people thing makes sense. I mean, the flu is that way too. But what doesn't make sense, another weird thing with the coronavirus, is that it's not a typical V-shaped effect on the population where the very young and the very old are the ones who are affected worst and the ones who are uh, 
uh, young young adults do the best, and then people who are all the way through late middle age adults still do pretty well, and only when they start getting older does it get really bad again. That uh, that's the way the flu works. That's the way a lot of diseases work. But COVID's not like that. COVID is a straight line up, pretty much, where the younger you are, the better. The tiny bit away from that because, uh, like, kids who are, like, 5 to 17 are better off than 0 to 4, but not by that much. But then after that, the older you get, the higher your chance goes. It's a direct line. So uh, when I say direct line, it's kind of a – it's not a straight line, but – it, there's no point after you reach adulthood, even young adulthood, that it stops getting worse with age. With every year you age, it gets worse, and then it starts to rapidly get worse. The way it affects middle-aged people much worse than young people is very unusual. There are not many diseases you can catch that are like that. There's diseases that affect kids much worse, that affect old people much worse, both you don't have much where there's a significant difference between young adults and middle-aged adults. This one, you have a big difference. That's another bizarre thing about uh, COVID-19, which that previous article also, uh, that other blood article, that one had explained as well. But they didn't know about this Bradykinin storm. That w- was found by the supercomputer, which validates what this doctor in the Netherlands said a long time ago. But... That was just dismissed at the time of one of many theories. There was no reason to believe his over other theories. Now there is. And the supercomputer came up with this one from analyzing this data, this, the 2.5 billion genetic sequences over that time period. So this wasn't even some human who, who was trying to prove uh, some theory and, and was looking at it from a skewed fashion. Uh, th- this was kind of a surprise that this is what it spit out. And then they went back and found that there was some research that actually goes along with this. And then, like, every part of this they can explain. The only thing, as I said, I haven't seen explained in this article is the the age factor. Now, here's some good news. Because you may say, okay, what can we do with this? Even if we, let's say this is 100% correct, then, then what do we do? Then what? Well, the good news is that this is not the first time there's been any kind of attempt to treat this type of problem. So there are already FDA-approved drugs that may be effective in treating COVID-19 and ones that have not really been tried yet. There's one called Danazol, which has already been used to treat endometriosis, fibrocystic breast disease, and hereditary angioedema. And then Stanzolol, which is an anabolic steroid derived from testosterone. And by the way, I have heard of steroids being used to treat coronavirus with some success. And also, uh, ecolantide, I don't know how to pronounce all these things, and that was also known as uh, Calbator, and that's for hereditary angioedema and the prevention of blood loss in cardiothoracic surgery. So all of these have been used to decrease to decrease bradykinin production. And the question is, if you use these with people who had COVID, would that decrease bradykinin production and stop all this from happening? There's another drug called Icatabant. Icatabant, I think. Yeah, Icatabant. Weird names. And that's marketed as something called Firazir. F-I-R-A-Z-Y-R, 
And that doesn't decrease the amount of bradykinin production, but it decreases the bradykinin signaling. So it could actually prevent the bradykinin from uh, taking as much action, basically, once it's in the body. So one thing could decrease the production, the other one could uh, decrease the signaling, and then could really hold this down. And this is exactly what I was talking about. Not about the bradykinin, this is new to me, but I was talking about if they could come up with a treatment that as soon as you see signs of COVID, you run out and get the treatment, and then it holds it down and it never gets worse than like a flu, like a mild flu or a moderate flu, then the problem's pretty much done, other than idiots who don't get themselves treated. But for the average person who's going to act responsible about this, as I would, as most of you would, then the fear becomes... It's over. It's pretty much over because if you want to protect yourself from it, you can. You just make sure you have access to this. Make sure the, the government has to make sure they have enough to give this to people as soon as they get it. You treat it fast. You jump on it fast. And if you do and this holds it down and it reliably does so, then you don't fear COVID because you know how to keep control of it. And this would solve the problem of COVID doing damage to people, even those who are asymptomatic. There's been some concern. Now, I guess the, the truly asymptomatic will have a problem still because you won't know what's in you. But – there's been some concern that it's not just about dealing with the disease, but that afterwards that it makes per- does permanent damage to your lungs, to your heart, whatever. Presumably, if you felt symptoms and you rushed and got these treatments and the, the this bradykinin storm didn't happen, then all the damage it does would not happen. So not only wouldn't you die or get horribly sick or be hospitalized, but it probably wouldn't do permanent damage either and your body would fight the disease and it would be gone and you'd be okay. And even if it stays in your body like it does for some people for months and and ramps up again at some point, then you run back out and get the treatment again. It's not ideal. It would be better if we just eradicate it completely. But this is one of these things. You you may have to go with uh, the, the best solution that can make everything livable and normal again. And if you could have something like this that could reliably hold it down, provided you get to it fast, then... This could solve a lot of our problems and people could go about life and not worry about it so much. The biggest problem with COVID right now is that there still isn't any reliable way to stop it once you get it. So it's highly contagious. And once you get it, you just have to hope and pray it's not going to be bad. And that's that's it. That's the story right now. And that has not changed. If we have a treatment breakthrough, then we have a way out. Then you don't have to worry. You just have to make sure that you can get this stuff. You don't want to go to some remote area where this is, where this treatment doesn't exist, but you're not going to worry about going to Las Vegas anymore. You're not going to worry about getting on a plane anymore. Uh, you're not going to worry about taking a cruise anymore, provided they have enough of this on the cruise ship to give to you. Uh, you're not going to worry about going to a baseball game anymore, for sure. Things like that. Concerts, all the stuff that people couldn't do. Restaurants, whatever it is, just go back and live normal life and just always be where you can get to this type of treatment for COVID-19 and start making sure this is carried everywhere in the world to whatever is found to be effective to treat it. Now, they haven't tried any of this yet. They haven't tried these uh, all these drugs I read to you. As far as I know, this has not been tried to treat the coronavirus. This is all just theoretical. Maybe they're going to try it. And it's going to be a failure. But it's promising because they have a strong belief this is what's really happening. And they have drugs already to decrease bradykinin production and bradykinin signaling. So if it really is that, if that's what the coronavirus is doing, if that's the key, 
and they have a way to hold it down, we might almost be done. We might almost be done. And I don't say that lightly. This is the best news I have read so far about the coronavirus. I, I, when I read this, I said, wow, this could, this could be huge. I don't know why this is get, not getting more play. Well, I do know why this is not getting more play. Politics. Unfortunately, um, at the moment in the U.S., both sides have a narrative they want to push. The Republicans want to push that it's going down, that we're handling it well, that it'll be over soon, we're going to have a vaccine soon, everything's going to be great, and it was exaggerated in the first place. It was never as bad as the Democrats said it was. The left wants to push that it's been a disaster, it's been a failure, everything Trump has done is wrong, everything Republicans have done is wrong, there's been horrendous death and devastation, which is only going to get worse, that this is all Trump's fault, it's doom and gloom, and we're not going to have any improvement until Biden wins and gets in office in January. That's the message they're trying to put. That the only chance to beat this is to put uh, responsible Democrats in charge. So why doesn't either side want to really push this? Well, because this is not promising in the short term, meaning it's not going to be ready to... There's got to be a lot of research on this. I don't even know if you had COVID today, if you could even get a doctor to prescribe you these things. Though I, I think that's what I want to do at this point. If I was getting a bad case of COVID, I'd say, you know what? Give me this. <laughs> Give me one of these uh, drugs that brings down the Bradykinin production and the Bradykinin signaling. I will take that, please. So I don't know if you get prescribed at this point for such a thing. I know that there's right to try legislation out there, but I still don't know if you get this at this point. And second, uh, th- you're not going to have a mass... Uh, it, this is not going to become reality, even if this is right and any of these drugs, these existing drugs are actually the answer. There has to be time to research it and make sure that, that this is safe for people to take with COVID. There's a lot they have to do, even with existing drugs. They can start trying it for people who are desperate and see how it goes. But uh, the Republicans would not want to hitch their wagon to this and have it end up being nothing and look like fools. They already have some of that going on with hydroxychloroquine. And then the Democrats do not want to report this because this might show a light at the end of the tunnel. And if people see this and go, oh, wow, it's just, you're saying existing drugs may actually cure this thing? and wow, we So pretty soon we might be mostly past this and we'll have a, a treatment? Well, okay, so maybe Trump didn't do that bad of a job. They don't want that. They they want you to believe that it's been a disaster and we've done everything wrong and it's, it's hopeless until Biden's in office. So neither side particularly would want to put this out there. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy to hide it. I'm saying that no one is dying to report something like this. Or I guess it's possible the media is just incompetent. Because this is a huge story. I'm not saying it's 100% certain. It's, it's possible in a few months that I'll say, yeah, this is all totally wrong, and I don't know what they came up with here, and the computer made an error, or it was fed bad data. But uh, it's, to me, this looks like a good chance that this could be a key. Because this is the first time that there is a reported clear understanding about what's happening and why all these weird symptoms occur. Something the article doesn't cover, and I would love to know, all this talk about the ACE receptors, I would love to know where the ACE inhibitors, which is a popular blood pressure medication, where those fit into it, because there's this long debate. Are blood pressure medications helping or hurting 
the survival rate with COVID-19. If you have COVID and you're taking ACE inhibitors, is your chance better, worse, or the same as those who are not taking ACE inhibitors? I would love to know the answer there. I'd also love to know if a baseline high blood pressure is putting you at further risk or if it's just because you're taking medication, most likely. That's, that hasn't been answered either. Like, What about high blood pressure is dangerous for you? Is it nothing? Is it that you're taking, you're probably taking a medication for it, which is making things worse? Or is it that, uh, is it something else? Is it that you're, is it only people whose blood pressure is high currently, but not be, and they're not treating it? Like, so is it, where are you worse off with COVID? If you've got high blood pressure you're not treating, or you've got high blood pressure you are treating, or neither? Like, I'd love to know the answer to these because I have high blood pressure. But, uh, this doesn't answer that. But maybe we won't need those answers. Anyway, I am optimistic about this. I am optimistic about this. And I just wish that the U.S. media was less political and more honest about what is going on. If you would like to read about this, then Google Brady Kinnin, that's B-R-A-D-Y-K-I-N-I-N, and... Coronavirus, Brady Kinnin coronavirus, and you'll find articles about this. Not a whole lot, but you'll find some articles about this. I have to thank, of all people, Big Dick from the forum, who's called into the show before. But he's he's usually a troll on the forum, but he posted this. And I said, okay, this is not surprising. I mean, this is surprising to come from Big Dick, but thank you. This is a very useful article. And then I sent it to my girlfriend, and I said, you really want to read this? And she said, oh, wow, this is an interesting article. So we shall see, and I will be following this one closely. I'm far more optimistic about this than any other theory that has existed for the coronavirus or any other potential medication. Even the vaccines that were promoted weren't exciting me very much because I wasn't seeing a lot of evidence that they're going to be particularly effective or that they will reduce my concern about it. If, like, let's say we bring down the chance of getting it by 50% or by 70%, I'm not going to want to run back out into regular life again. If, let's say I have a 30% chance of still getting it. I don't want that chance. That's too high. So I'll treat everything the same. It's not going to change my life very much if there's a vaccine that's 70% effective. I'll take it, but that's not going to be something that makes me feel good. It's not something that's going to make me feel confident about going out into regular life again. But if I knew there were a treatment that were very reliable to hold it down, then I would return to normal life. So maybe this is the moment. We shall see. Okay, let's move on to our final topic of the night. A crime has occurred where there has been a disappearance of a female card counter, and the prime suspect is, not surprisingly, her male card counting partner. Now, these do not appear to be romantic partners, and in fact, they are not very young. <laughs> you would think this would be something that would be a good topic for a movie, and maybe if they could change the ages around, it could be. Picture a, a sexy card counting couple that goes from casino to casino and then something happens between them and they grow apart and they have a dispute and then one kills the other and the other goes on the run that might make a good movie but not where the two leads in the story are 60 years old and 69 years old respectively but that is this story now 
the person who is accused, or should I say suspected, is named Kevin Barton. I have never heard of him before. He does play a little bit of poker. He most notably finished in second at some tournament, I think like an eight-game mix tournament or something, at the Venetian in 2019. I don't believe I know him. I've seen, I saw a picture of him. I, I don't recognize him. He just kind of looks like an older white guy. And I don't recognize the female. I don't even, I, I forget her name. Look this up somewhere. But, uh, I had it before. Let me find this again. Here we are. Um, I see her picture. I, I don't understand the picture of her because maybe it's a good picture or an old picture. She doesn't look 69 years old. She looks about 50. She looks shockingly young for 69. But again, it could be an old picture. This guy looks 60. But in fact, he, this Barton guy, now that he looks 60, he kind of, he kind of looks like he's, he kind of has like a, I don't know, like a homeless look to him. He kind of looks like somebody without a stable life at the moment. He kind of has that whole look to him. She looks like, yeah, like a decent looking 50 like year old. So I, I don't know how she's 69, but as I said, it could be an old picture or something misleading about it, but whatever, not important. Kevin Barton was arrested and charged, apparently accused of killing Vita Smith, who is 69 years old, Barton is 60, and they apparently only had a business relationship where they counted cards together. They went uh, to various casinos, uh, many of them in Canada, these are Canadians actually, and uh, they would go to casinos around the U.S. and Canada. One of them would count cards from uh, a distance, or one of the count cards at the table, and then signal the other one to show up and start playing. This is a typical tactic that blackjack card counting teams have used, even though this is only a two-person team. If you just show up at the table and you place a base bet and you keep betting the same thing and all of a sudden when a bunch of low cards run out, you raise your bet, that is the correct thing to do according to card counting strategy and that is positive expectation. That also is a dead giveaway as to what you're doing. And the problem is if you don't do it, then you're not playing positive expectations. So how do you beat that? How do you stop them from seeing what you're doing but still playing positive expectation if it depends upon a betting structure that is pretty obvious and easy to catch? Well, how about if somebody else bets for you? So you send a low-limit player to the table to just flat bet the minimum every time, and then as soon as the count gets high, the person does something to signal that the count's gotten high, and then the second player who pretends to be playing a slot machine or something else, approaches and pretends to be a high roller and then just starts hammering big bets right from the start. So this way, you never get to see a person raising their bet. You just see two separate people that act like they're not associated, one being a low better, one being a high better, and the high better only shows up when the count is high, and then, the, of course, the high better can tell if the count goes down. So as soon as the car count goes down, then the high better decides he's had enough and leaves. And he can have a story either way. Either, okay, I've won enough, or, uh, oh, crap, I'm losing. My, I'm, I'm tired I, I'm tired of this table. It's unlucky, and then leave. And as long as you don't keep pulling this in the same casino, you can do it. Now, there's a lot of variance to this because you can't stay for very long. You can't keep pulling this. You can't keep pulling where the guy, the high better leaves and then uh, comes back again when they get signaled again by the low better. Uh, maybe you can do it twice, if the guy has a good enough excuse to leave to go to the bathroom or something, but uh, uh, 
casinos are aware of this. They've been aware of this for decades. So this isn't a novel idea, but, but it, it's better than being a lone card counter. It, it throws an additional angle to it to where it's harder to detect because how do they know the difference between someone who's just showing up to bet big and someone being signaled? And sometimes they only can figure this out after the fact. And a lot of times if it's a quick hit, a quick hit they don't even know to suspect it. They just think it's some guy who comes down, throws down a bunch of money, gets lucky and leaves. So that's what they've been doing. And as I said, it's not said that they were involved. It would sound like they would be involved. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, with it. they're sort of close in age. I know she's nine years older than he is, but they're sort of close in age. They, they do the, they travel the country together, the, do the card counting. You would think they'd go back to the room and have sex, but it doesn't appear they do. Maybe one of them is gay. Maybe they're just not into that. But anyway, uh, this Barton guy was found driving around with a lot of uh, illegal guns and uh, they confiscated them. They found two rifles and three handguns that were in his car and uh, they confiscated those. She was last heard from on July 21st and not coincidentally, probably, uh, they had a big argument. And uh, someone had witnessed that they had a big argument, and then uh, she disappeared. That was the last she was seen was after their big argument. They claimed that between 1 and 1.30 p.m., inside of the car that Barton was driving, there was a big argument going on. And then uh, she did not return from Calgary, and that she never was heard from again. And of course, now it's been a month and a half, and it's pretty safe to assume she's dead. And Barton was found uh, driving this uh, SUV, a Cadillac Escalade, which she was spotted in as the last known place she was. Had those five guns there. He had an OA-15 rifle, a Swiss Arms Black Special rifle, a Kimber Arms Gold Match 2 handgun, a Hammerly X ESSE handgun and a Beretta 92 FS Brigadier handgun, which, by the way, I have. And uh, Greg Dunn, who's the defense lawyer, said uh, he's not, I guess he's a defense lawyer for this uh, article, not for any of these uh, people involved. He said these are expensive, well-made and high-end and that they're often used in shooting competitions. The Beretta 92FS is often used by law enforcement, by the way. It's not clear what the argument was about, and they went to Las Vegas sometimes to do their work. They also were hitting casinos in Alberta and in British Columbia. They have been banned in casinos all across Canada and in Las Vegas. However, of course, it is not illegal to do this. It is not illegal to count cards. They can kick you out in every place except for Atlantic City for doing so, but it is not illegal to do what they're doing. What you're not allowed to do is use any kind of device or casino employee to help you. So you can't have the dealer signaling you or the dealer helping you or the dealer 
dealing special cards to you or or uh, you can't use any devices. You can't bring mirrors or electronic devices there to help you win. That's all illegal. You can go to prison for that. But if you observe things yourself or if you have a partner observing it who's a regular player and doesn't work for the casino and signals you, then that's actually not illegal. All they can do is kick you out. Apparently, Barton does not have a criminal record in Alberta or British Columbia. He's also used the alias Chris Lee to sometimes uh, gamble, presumably because he's been banned under his real name. And the police will not give any further details other than a press conference last month. Something a little bit weird is going on with Barton's family life as well. Uh, Barton's daughter, or at least someone saying, saying that he was, she was Barton's daughter, showed up on an online gambling forum. Not either of mine, but uh, I'm wondering which one it was. Maybe Wizard of Vegas, maybe one of the Blackjack forums, but uh, she showed up and asked if anyone had knew of her, had had heard of her father and if uh, they knew where he was because she was searching for him. She said he's a really well-known blackjack card counter. It's not clear why she was searching for him, and this was four years ago, but uh, he wasn't in contact with his daughter for a while. He's going to appear next week in court on manslaughter and weapons offenses. And the prosecution and his attorney are not commenting on this. I think it's likely he did it. I mean, who else would have? They they had an argument and then she disappears and he's got guns in there? I mean, <laughs> that's, that is pretty obvious to me. Not absolute proof, but it looks pretty bad for him. It's not clear what the argument was about. I don't know if it's about what they were doing or if they had an unrelated argument. They weren't dating that would bring down the number of things they could argue about. Usually when a man and woman argue, it tends to have been something about uh, a sexual or romantic relationship. When they're just friends, they're much less likely to have a really bad argument. But hey, card counting can be serious business. I often see on my Vegas Casino Talk forum if anybody knew him. I, I noticed this story minutes before radio. So I didn't have much time to research it. I am interested in it. Females can be useful for card counting. I don't know who was being the spotter of the, or the counter and who was being the, the better. They were playing with the same bankroll. But uh, who was actually doing what or maybe both. They were switching off depending on where they were. Females are much less suspected of being card counters. And a uh, female her age would be someone really of good cover because there just aren't many females who are 69 years old who are card counting. In fact, there aren't that many females who do it in the first place. The worst thing you can be as far as uh, a stereotype of a card counter is a nerdy looking white or Asian guy between uh, 30 and 50. That's the worst thing you can be, because that's what most card counters look like. Kind of a guy you'd look at and say, oh, I bet that guy's good at math. I bet that guy's an engineer. If you look at someone and say that about them, and they're white or Asian, then that's exactly what they look for in card counters. 
What they don't look for are elderly people. And I don't know if this guy being 60 would be good cover. But they, they elderly people, women, uh, black people, Hispanic people, they're, they're much less suspected. I know it sounds racist, but that's, that's the way they're just used to what they find there. And they find that the card counters tend to be, uh, young, young to middle aged white guys. And they tend to be alone. And if they're not alone, they're with other young to middle aged white guys. So couples are another one that aren't suspected as much. If you are card counting and you have your girlfriend or wife with you, there's a much less chance they're going to catch you because they, don't expect that. Usually girls are not with card counters when they're doing the card counting. I found a tremendous difference in the amount of heat I got from pit staff and the number of times I would get banned when I would be sitting with a girl that I was with versus when I was by myself or with other guys. For some reason, when there was a female there, they just left me alone and they they did not think that I was counting. Depending upon who you are and what you look like, they will give you more or less heat. So it could be very valuable to have a competent card counter who is a 69-year-old female. She's not going to be easily suspected. I guess it doesn't matter which one does which, because they're both involved in some way. But I guess they do catch them eventually, because they've been banned from a lot of places. I think this is Mumbles. Mumbles, what's going on? Hey, man. How you doing, sir? What, what's the call about tonight? I nope. just tried to call you in, but I had a problem with my phone, so I'd call you back. Okay, so what's going on? I, hey, listen, uh, no co-host tonight, or did they just sign off earlier? We, we had Trader Ruski for a little bit. I started listening about an hour ago. Yeah, no, we had Trader Ruski for a little bit. So, so what's, what's the call about here? Okay. Well, I was calling about, you mentioned that you have a Beretta? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm just curious. What condition to get that particular model good? I just now just preface. I you know I'm like this hyper liberal, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I actually think that people should be able to, you know, responsible, you know, citizens should be able to have handguns. Believe it or not, uh, believe it or not, that. Bernie Sanders actually felt that way for a long time, but he's been kind of browbeat. To, into saying he supports gun control because that's just the position he has to take. But he actually has been a he was a long time like supporter of gun rights, big time liberal. Uh, a lot of people don't know right. that, but and that's because in, in Vermont they were very big on that. So, uh, right. But uh, no, I, I just kind of just decided it on a whim. I just I, I didn't put a lot of research into. It. I just kind of got it. Right. But, I mean, I, I I knew they were popular, you know, handguns for a while. The reason I ask is because it seems like the kind of use that you would get out of a handgun or like personal protection, it sounds like it would be more sense if you would have like a pocket 380. You know well, what I'm talking about? It could be, but you, you, can, you can do just fine with a 92FS if you know what you're doing. Yeah, just the reason I say this is because you know, if you want something that you can carry concealed, um, you know, those little pocket 380s are perfect. It's yeah, totally I, I know it's. I know, know you, I know it's a lot harder to, to conceal. It. But uh, it's, it's, it sounds like you're changing lanes a lot here. I mean, tick 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 tick. Are you changing lanes? Yeah, I'm changing. I'm, yeah, I'm on. I'm on the highway. Are, are you one of these yeah. trucks that passes the other truck and blocks the whole highway and frustrates me? No, no, I. Uh, 
but that sometimes happens because we are on a tight schedule. We just got to go as fast as we can, even if it's one mile an hour faster than the next guy. Yeah, you know? I, I see that. I see that. I hate when I'm driving on a two a two lane road. And then one truck is going 50, and one truck's going 51, and then right before I can pass the truck going 50, the one behind it that's going 51 decides to pass, and I've got to wait for the painstakingly slow process of the 51 truck going, getting past the 50 truck. And, and yeah, I'm that's waiting, called, that's waiting, called, waiting, waiting. That's called the snail race. Yeah, that's pretty and much what it is, yeah. Unfortunately, what, what's been happening is we are, we operate on a clock, right? Yeah electronic logging of our time and if we've got to get to a destination by a particular time for say an appointment or we're going to run out of legal drivable hours we've got to go you know what sometimes as fast as we can one mile an hour faster than the other guy and yeah it can cause a little bit of an inconvenience for the non-professional drivers but it's just part of the part of the problem with you know, facing a strict clock like that. I I frequently run my clock down to the end to try to get the most use out of it. Or I, I end the day with like one minute to go legally driving on the road. Okay. Well, but, anyway, but, I, I, but anyway, I just, I just thought you should, you should look into that. You should also, you know, you can get your, in California, you approach the, uh, your county sheriff's office it's where you would apply to get a concealed carry weapon. You don't go to the state government. So if you are you know, in a county where the sheriff is, you know, friendly to people being having concealed carry, you can get one that's good for the whole state as long as the county sheriff's department says, yeah, you're a good citizen. He should be allowed to carry one. Hmm. Interesting. So... And I, I asked, I said, because, you know, when you say that you go down to the casinos and whatnot, some of those places are pretty shady, shady parking lots. You want to have some kind of protection, right? Yeah. Thank you, Mumbles, for calling in. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Bye. This Mumbles listens to the show from his truck. Well, that's it. We have nothing more this week. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. We are trying to stick to Friday. That is the plan for next week. Yes, we're going to be on September 11th. It feels weird to say that date, but that is the planned date of the next show. And I assume we're going to keep those plans. It looks like this was around a six-hour show. I thought it was going to be longer, but just the, the end topics, they just didn't take as long as I thought they would. Some topics go quick, some don't. I kind of don't know until I talk about them. I just talk, and when I'm done talking, the show's over. That's the pace of this show. Thank you to Trader Ruski for being here once again for as long as he could. Unfortunately, we missed Brandon this week. I did tell him about the show in advance, but yes, he was uh, sleeping during the hours of this show again, or otherwise not available. We will see if Christopher Mitchell has actually quit his uh, scam coaching, but I seriously have my doubts. He might be replacing it with something else, but I don't think he's going back to doing an honest living, if he ever made an honest living. 
Well, I guess he kind of did with a gay porn. But other than that, I don't know if he ever did. We'll see if Somebody Suck Me ends up being the winner of the 2020 World Series main event. We'll see if Daniel Negreanu's weird tweet about imagining the perfect woman to date has anything to do with the state of his present relationship. We'll see if Dan Bilzerian really does get legal trouble for his actions with Ignite. We'll see if Brian Wojtek comes up with a new way to scam people. And we'll see if the coronavirus really has had that breakthrough that I'm hoping for. A lot to wait for the future as far as what happens with these stories, and I will update you as necessary. That is all for this week. We will be back next week. Planned date September 11th around the same time. Good night, everybody. And shalom.